We don't serve their kind here. What? The joins. They left to wait outside. We don't want them. Hello and welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Richard Hutchinson and I'm your host for episode 99, Chris Causes Chaos at Canadian Collecting Club Convention. Joining me as always is Peter Davis. Good evening, Pete. No, oh, Richard, that was a mouthful and a half. It was. It was nearly perfect alliteration. Didn't quite get it. Pete, which character from Andor or Rogue One should have made it to A New Hope but didn't? Oh, this could be a spoiler, Richard, for you, if I answer this. Oh, uh, which character? Um, I, we should have said, uh, it'd be nice to send the little droidy thing. Little, what's his name? BB Emo, whatever his name is. BB Emo. Um, yeah. I, I thought my moth, actually, when I, uh, when I wrote the question. But, yeah, that's oh. a good shout. Yeah, that'd be nice to see him. Next on the list is Andy Spoons Norton. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Richard. How are you? I'm fine, Andy. Bob Iger is returning to the helm of Disney. Good news or desperation? I never pay much attention to who's behind these things. If I like what I'm watching, I like what I'm watching. Jason, good evening to you too. Evening, Rich. Jason, what on earth should they do with the next movie? Oh, I'd have... uh, It would either have to be uh, Lobot, the sex tapes, or... um... Medic, the 2-1-B show, I would say. Either of those. Scottish bloke. Get the Scottish bloke a movie. I thought they were already out, to be honest with you. And next we have Andy Preston. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Rich. Andy, try and bring this back to being grounded. Is there enough of a homage to the prequels in Andor? Is there any homage to the prequels? Well, you've there's got a, your Senate, haven't you? There's, you've got, yeah, you've, you've got your Senate, yeah, that's there. Um, you've got some references to separatists. There was a scene with clone troopers at one stage, so yeah, it's it's there. I suppose there's as much reference to the prequels that, as there is to the other movies, really. I mean, it, it 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 almost kind of exists in its own little space, doesn't it? But yeah, it's there. Yeah, it is, and, and I must admit, I really enjoyed seeing the Senate um, when that first appeared. But let's move over to the intro now. Now, World Cup. I absolutely love the World Cup. And I've heard lots of people say that the best World Cup ever was Italia 1990. Um, and obviously it was a good World Cup for many reasons, such as Cameroon, Roger Mia, Toto Scalacci. There was, there was a really good reason for that. For me... Argentina 78. For me, the best World Cup was um, 86. I loved Mexico 86. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. There were um, Preb and Elgiar and people like that. It was absolutely great. It was a great time collecting the stickers, getting things together. I was a little bit too early for Spain 1982. I have no recollection of that at all, although I must have watched a match or two. Now, um, Pete, Andy, Preston, Jason, you probably remember... Where was the 1970 World Cup held? The one after England? 
Brazil. That was that, I know Brazil won it. Did they hold it as well? Did they? No, uh, it's it Mexico, wasn't it? Mexico was seventy. No, Mexico had eighty-six. Was it Brazil? It may be in Brazil. Anyway, so I'd have been in nineteen seventy. I'd have been one year old, so I'd have been too busy. Uh, for the yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Pinocchio. Anyway, so let's have a little bit of World Cup fun then. So, um, great set of questions here. So, Jason, I'm going to come to you first because you're obviously really, really excited here. So, four questions for all of us. First of all, what's your greatest ever score? Second, what's your collecting goal? Third, what in Star Wars collecting deserves a red card? And fourth, who in the collecting world should win a trophy? So, Jason, let's come over to you first. Um, and before I start, I've, I've got to come out with the train spot in Renton quote, which is, I haven't felt this good since Archie Gamble scored against Holland in 1978. Um, if you haven't seen train spot in, um, it's got a great reference to uh, possibly the group, one of the greatest uh, World Cup goals there has ever been. by little Archie Gamble. Back on to the Star Wars stuff. And uh, what's your greatest ever score? I've had several. Um, the one I've picked was... Um, the first celebration Europe, which was in, was it 2007? I'm going to say. So there was a listing put up on Rebel Scum listing uh, the first 12 Palatoy mint on cards for sale. And at that point, I needed, um, I think I needed three or four at that point, And they were all fairly difficult. And the listing went up when most of the American collectors were in um, mid-flight over the Atlantic. So I managed to kind of get in, nab the cards I wanted, and then I had to go and um, go and travel and pick them up in person the day before celebration. So the day before celebration, I basically spent all my money, but I managed to get um, and complete the first set of 12 power tournament on cards. So I think that was probably my greatest score. Collecting goal, um, I said one of everything, but no, I can't do one of everything, just, just to have fun with it. I mean, I think when it gets to the point where I'm not having fun with it, you know, collect something else. But, I'm, you know, I'm still trying. I mean, it's been, been tough recently, but I'm, I'm still trying to have fun with it. So uh, red card, well, you know, well, my, my favourite red card candidate, uh, Toy Tony for... Uh, getting all those pristine, lovely, uh, unused Paltoy card backs and uh, just trying to uh, iron iron bubbles and figures onto them, which is a bit of a waste. And who wins the collecting trophy? Well, I, I saw him uh, at the weekend, and he's still going strong, and he's still doing things for the running Stormtrooper for charity. Yes, it's Jez Allenson. He's an absolute legend and uh, worthy of a trophy. Absolutely. Great answers there, Jason. Didn't know about um, Celebration Europe. That was an absolutely great score. Come on to my next one. So what's my greatest ever score? So this must be about six years ago now. And that was those three Palatoy corded items that I found in a market in Newcastle. So that was a 30-back Yoda. It was a Palatoy Luke Bespin, which I can never remember the card back. It might have been a 45B from memory, but it was the, the only one, and possibly still the only one known to exist. And it was a 45B C3PO. And I scored all three of them for £280 each, which was actually bargain considering the price that the Euro I was going for. And I certainly remember Pete messages as I'm going, buy it, buy it, buy it, it's worth thousands. I was like, yeah, right. No idiot's going to have something of a sale. £280, that's worth thousands. But he was absolutely right. Um, so, yeah, that was my best ever score. 
What's your collecting goal? Well, I think Jason, you did allude to everything loose. I still think that is um, that is correct uh, for me. Always has been everything I possibly can loose. Uh, can I mainly dabbled in some other areas, and I do like some of the Japanese stuff, but for me, it, it's can I and it's everything loose. What in Star Wars collecting deserves a red card? It has to be the prices for me now. Um, astronomical prices. Um, no sign of them slowing down really. Um, I know one or two people say, look, uh, they're starting to slow down, things on selling, etc., etc. But, you know, it's, it's not going to get back to how it was for a good while yet, I think. And who in the collecting world should win a trophy? Well, for me, it's got to be the person who's keeping the SWCA and many other things going. And for me, that's Juan Salvatore. I think the work that he's doing on the SWCA, the posts that he's doing, I love those um, posters and one-shots that he does on the Facebook um, groups. And also his assistance with Christopher Riley in the whole annual and other things he does for the community. So that's my four. Um, Pete, let's come over to you next. Greatest ever score. I think I've really had a major score, to be fair. Um, it's probably just complete in my loose collection when I did and not wait until now. You know, those last few figures I got hold of never paid more than £100 for anything. Um, managed to, to finish it off. So I think that's probably my greatest score. <laughs> thinking thinking of like the price I could have paid. I mean, there was that video that came out the last, what was it, last week or whatever, that guy put together his loose collection, paid $10,000. $10,000 for a loose collection. It did include a uh, viral cake jar, to be fair. Well, what but about that's... that um, J- uh, Leah that you got? Oh, that's, that's not the, one in, the one that you got in Belgium. I mean, that, that was must have been one of your best scores. Well, yeah, but it's, but it's, well, I don't know what it's worth. It's probably not worth anything. You know, it's so battered. and yeah, Well, not battered, but it's so sun-damaged, Richard. I mean, it's not worth anything. Although the, one of them, one of them did go um, at auction a couple of years ago for was it one and a half thousand. But mine's such a bad condition. It's not, it's not worth. It. I, just, I just, you know, I just, I'm not in, into big scores. Um, you know, the 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 layer I got off Bruce White, the um, Empire Strikes Back carded layer. I mean, that's that was a probably a, a decent score for around about hundred dollars. Probably worth several times that now. Uh, but yeah, I don't really have any great scores score wise. Um, but I'm going to just say finish my loose collection. I think that, that was my greatest ever score. Finish it off now. I would better do it. I don't think I wouldn't. Certainly wouldn't justify paying two or three hundred pounds for a yak face and four hundred quid for a, a lights, you know, a, a R2 pop up. Um, yeah. So there, Richard, in your face. Collecting goals. Um, vintage wise, it's still trying to find those random Empire Strikes Back items. Um, they do they do seem to be harder to find uh, these days, and of course the you know, the price of this stuff goes up and up. Um, so I do enjoy finding um, Empire items on a, on a vintage on a vintage collecting note. It's always fun. Uh, what deserves a red card? Now, uh, if you if you think about the search for the Holy Grail, became the principal quest of the Knights of King Arthur. It was believed to be kept in a mysterious castle surrounded by a wasteland and guarded by a custodian called the Fisher King, who suffered from a wound that would not heal. His recovery and the renewal of the blighted lands depended upon the successful completion of the quest. So calling something a grail when it's featuring in a shop and you can go and buy it really, really deserves a red card because it just really gets on my nerves. You know, the Holy Grail should be something that is almost unattainable. 
Um, it cannot be something that's easily get hold of. You know, I'm not talking like a one-off item. I'm talking stuff that is maybe not even heard of. That's got to be a grail item. Or you know one person who owns it and you want to get hold of it. Not off-the-peg item. Really just as a red card. And who in the collectible deserves a trophy? I think anyone who collects to enjoy, to archive, to display, and to share knowledge. Anyone like that deserves a trophy. Um, people who just collect to sit on it for a couple of years and then flog it, fair, got no problem with that, but they do not deserve a trophy. They just have the cash, fair enough. But people who actually put the effort in, and be like, I guess we've got a couple here, haven't we? We've got uh, Mr. Spoons, he's got his website with diecast stuff. We've got Andy P, who's done his website with his collection. Um, he likes to collect British stuff. We've got Jason, who's got all sorts of random cardboard. Probably got every single card back in the whole world. I've got the Palatoy Matrix website as well. <laughs> exactly. So, so anyone who's got archive, like anyone who's into archiving, collecting, because they just simply love it, deserves a trophy because that's where the real collecting joy comes from, I think. Uh, people who just collect to invest, no trophies for them, sorry. Not even a badge, I'm afraid. Andy Preston has come over you next to the same questions. I had to put a bit of thought into these, actually. My greatest ever score, there's a few that come to mind. Um, there was one where I bought a load of figures locally, paid a pound each, and that included a fairly mint yak face. That was a nice score. But greatest ever one, uh, I think I've got to go right back to, it must have been late 90s or around about 2000, at a little toy fair down in Exeter. And I got there reasonably early um, and gone around the stands and looked at all the trains and the dolls and the teddies and matchbox cars and so on, as you do, thinking, is there going to be any vintage here? And I came across this guy who was, um, he, he must have just arrived himself because he was still setting up his stand. Not a dealer. He was a private guy. Um, he was selling off stuff that he'd been collecting. And he had so much um, rare Beyond the Toys stuff. So he had Helix and HCF and Letraset and Clearo and uh, Addis and what have you. And as, as as fast as he was taking stuff out of boxes and putting it on his table, I'm picking it up and saying, I'll have that, I'll have that <laughs> and that. So I must have cleared out about half his stock and got it at a decent price. And some of it, I mean, I'm thinking of the uh, the Clearo Imperial Shuttle bubble bath set. Never seen anywhere else again since. So that was a really good score. Very pleased with that one. Collecting goal. Um, well, I've got two collecting goals, I suppose. One is completely unattainable, um, and that is to get everything vintage that was produced in Britain uh, or for the British market in the vintage period. As I say, never, ever going to get there. Um, totally unrealistic to expect to, but I'm having a lot of fun trying to. Associated with that, even stuff that I can't get um, is trying to learn about what was available in Britain um, and to develop my knowledge and my understanding and uh, hopefully help the uh, collecting world uh, a bit in, uh, in that respect. And then perhaps in terms of my own collection, a maybe slightly more realistic goal Ultimately, I would love to have a recognisable prop from the original movies. And when I say recognisable, I mean my dad, who is not a Star Wars or a sci-fi fan. What I'd like is something that my dad would have a look at and say, oh, that's from Star Wars, isn't it? So uh, that would be my ultimate collecting goal. 
What in Star Wars collecting deserves a red card? Well, I'm going to show my red card. It's a bit of an obvious one, but those makers of reproduction items who do it purely to deceive. Um, we all know who they are. The sad thing is that some of these guys make fantastic customs. Um, a custom being something that is newly made, newly created. It's not a copy of something from the vintage line. And I'm all for vintage customs. But vintage reproduction it is such a blight on the hobby when you get these repro weapons circulating and fooling people. Um, it, yeah, just no. Just no. Red card, go away. Off you go. And who in the collecting world should win a trophy? We've heard some very good shouts already so far. I'm going to say... My friend and yours, Mr. Dave Tree, lovely guy, does, uh, you know, he's, he's always around all the fairs, but uh, especially for organising the Farthest From Convention a um, couple of times a year. It's one of the absolute must-do events. Uh, it's such a, a small, friendly event. It gets all the best collectors um, coming along to Farthest From. You see stuff there that you don't get at any other show. The breadth of knowledge in the room is fantastic. The panels are great. Christmas, he does the meal and so on as well. So, uh, yeah, collecting hero, Dave Tree, give that man a trophy. And to wrap this up, Andy Spoons Norton. Thank you, Richard. There's some uh, really interesting answers there, and, and everyone's very different, aren't they? So it's a really difficult one, Greatest Ever Score. I'd, I'd agree, you know, I don't think I've ever got, I've had some good deals, but it's like an amazing bargain. So I was thinking about this, and it's it's kind of the purchases you make when you can't you're just very excited about and and probably mine i've been after a, a loose tie bomber for ages and this is going back a few years again so it's all relative isn't it in terms of prices and things i mean uh, there's some very recently bought um special offer y-wing that was a bargain price but it's still a couple hundred quid or something so when so when you when you're talking a couple hundred quid, is that really, you know, is that really a bargain in the big scheme of things? So mine would be this loose tie bomb, and I, I felt a bit guilty about it afterwards. So it was on a on French eBay, a tie bomber and a tie fighter, both die cast and loose. And I got them for just under £30, I think. And another tie, I can't remember now, tie bombers are maybe about £100, maybe a bit less. And and I because the auction was in French, I'm sure I've talked about this before on the on the show. The auction was in French. I didn't even bother translating it, just just bid on it and won it and they arrived and the, the TIE fighter was very nice. But the uh, the bomber had its wings glued on and I was a real arsehole because I got it for absolute steel. In fact I sold the TIE fighter for about twenty pounds, so the TIE bomber cost me a tenner. So I emailed the guy, I said, Hey, what's going on here? The, the the wings are glued on this bomber and uh, he got back to me and said, well, yeah, of course they are. That's what it says in the auction. And obviously, if I translated it, that's exactly what the French said. But it was a really, you know, I've wanted one for ages. I've still got it. It's on the shelf. Uh, and it was that real sort of buzz, feel-good thing when it when it arrived. So that, that I think, is my, my greatest ever score. So not not most exciting of things, but, that, you know, it made me feel brilliant. Collecting goal, that's that's really different. I actually really liked Andy's answer there. That's um, I think I would have stolen that if uh, if he hadn't said. But it was probably and it's just pretty pretty hard to achieve to get every you know nice shout out before Pete. Thanks very much. But to get every diecast vehicle on its different countries car back. So that website, I would love it if every photo on there was mine. 
And most of them are, but there's still a good chunk that aren't. So actually owning everything on there so that every photo was mine, that, that will be my collecting goal. Um, and I, I suspect one I won't achieve. You know, there's some really hard ones to find there. Uh, the red card, little cheeky one for you. Anything from Sigma? Got a nice red card on my C3PO and R2. Came with them all, Richard. Uh, but actually, it'd have to be. And I, and I saw someone posting about this the other day, and it's been a bane of my life on Instagram. I don't know if any of you are regularly on Instagram. It's the scammers on Instagram, and I'm guessing Facebook, because this is where I saw someone post it the other day, they message you, if they see you're a Star Wars fan, and they message you saying, hey, have you seen my account? I've got all these things for sale. And I don't know if it, it feels like it's just one person, because the photos are all, it's, they, they're, they're useless. The photos are just harvested from the internet, all different backgrounds, different styles of photo. They're clearly not one seller. It's really obvious. I, I tend to string them along for a little bit, ask for extra photos, which they find um, quite often of a random different item. You know, they, you get caught out pretty, pretty good. But they clearly must have some success, otherwise they wouldn't bother. So it's those basically just thieves, aren't they? they, they they're out there trying to scam people. So they would be the ones that I would give the red card to. And who should win a trophy? I'm pretty much exactly the same view of Pete, but I've put a name to this. And it's the original, it's the reason I collect. Uh, it's Steve Sansweet. So he fits Pete's bill totally. You know, he's he's created books. He's got a museum. <laughs> he's, just, he's archiving all these items for people. Yeah, I know he charges money, whatever he needs, but he needs to keep that uh, that museum going. I think it's fantastic. Uh, and his original book for me was Concept Screen to Collectible. It's when I kind of started along this path and suddenly realized there was this whole wide world out there. Uh, so, yeah, Steve, Steve Sansweet, I think he's done more for the collecting hobby than anybody else. So that's, that's me. Yeah, great answers there, guys. I can't argue against any of them. So, well done. Great. Let's move over to latest acquisitions. Spoons will stay with you. Let's go down your list. Uh, nothing vintage at all this month, Richard. Um, I've been doing a little side run of Shadows of the Empire figures coming on nicely. Uh, run on Trilogo and run on Kenner. So I picked up uh, a, a Boba Fett versus IG-88 and a Darth Vader versus uh, Prince Shizor on those. But yeah, nothing vintage. Apologies. Are those ones with the comics that are packed in them? Yeah, they're big. They're big. I, yeah. I, I use the DC cases for the, um, the the standard size ones. I'm not quite sure what to put those in, so I think I'm missing just missing one of the tri logo ones. Now I think Boba Fett on the tri logo, and then that's nearly done. A couple of the other tri logo loose cards as well. But it's going along nicely, that. Yeah, nice little one that. Pete, come bowl us over. <laughs> bowl you over with a lack of vintage, Richard. Uh, no vintage this month, but lots of other stuff. Uh, ridiculous stuff. Um, what was a little journey I had, Richard? I think uh, I mentioned it to you guys. Um, I was pursuing a Queen Amidala and Princess Leia, so that's almost vintage, a bowling ball. And it has been on Facebook. This guy had it. He's had it for ages. He wanted 200 quid for it originally. And he's like, I'm not paying 200 quid for a Amidala bowling ball. I, I've never seen another one online, aside from one in America about two, three years ago which was actually in a box but this was a loose one and over the last year i've worked this guy down and finally he sold it to me for 20 quid um but i had to go and get it popped down to st albans it was 
the house was an absolute shambles. Uh, it had been battered in by the police. You could see the, the marks from a ram, from a ramming raid. There was all sorts of shenanigans going on. I was made to wait for about 20 minutes for, between people who came to the door to serve me. And it was just like, oh, my goodness, am I actually going to get this thing? Am I going to be shot? I don't know. But eventually it, it turned on my hand. A guy kind of like grabbed the cash, threw the board to my arms, and uh, that was it. But, you know, so it was a reasonable journey, about, you know, 100, 140 mile sort of round trip, nothing major, but I had a Saturday out in, uh, in St. Albans. It's quite fun. But it's, it's one of those things I've just not seen any. I mean, I've never seen one over in this country. So where he got it from? I don't know. Probably burgled. I don't know. Um, other Amadala stuff. Got this, this random Funko Chase enamel pin badge, which is absolutely stunning. It's like it's not a little tiny pin badge. It's about uh, probably about four, about three inches high, maybe four inches high. I guess depending on what sort of guy you are. Um, also got another a kind of uh, hard get item. Again, not over here, but in America you can find them. It's a 12 inch Attack of the Clones Amadala 12 inch doll which are very hard to get here. And that was from the boys at Toys of Tatooine. He had a bit of a, an Amidala score and um, gave me first dibs on it. So I was really chuffed with that, really good condition. Got a very strange little book about Amidala and her handmaidens. Um, this came from Amazon. Um, it obviously came from somewhere in the States because it was a an ex-library book because it was a kid's learning tool. Uh, doesn't seem to have been commercially available. There was no price on or anything, which normally books seem to have. I did have a barcode on it. I need to check that out. A bunch of Af Dr. Afra comics. Then I got um, I've sort of like, I've been sort of collecting sort of PC CD ROM stuff from the, the kind of 90s or as early as possible. And uh, got a bunch of stuff actually, which is for, for 99p and got the Star Wars Jedi Knight PC game, which is decent. The Star Wars Droidworks PC kind of sort of tool. Um, the Star Wars episode one at the Gungan Frontier. Anyone ever heard of that? It's like a, um, a, a sort of map, landscape mapping kind of program. And an, an episode three activity center PC. All this stuff for 99p. An Attack of the Clones Creative Print Studio disc. Another CD-ROM. Uh, these, these are really good fun, actually. I was surprised at how they actually hold up today. Um, Grant sent me a bunch of Amdala postcards. Very nice of him. And I got a very strange thing. Uh, Andy, you might be interested in this. Uh, Shadows of the Empire mini book promotion. It came with a Nintendo magazine. Um, again, Ooh, just, yeah, like it. Uh, sealed as well. So obviously ripped off the magazine. Uh, it's an 80 page extract. So uh, that, was, uh, that was quite a bit of fun. But yeah, I had a, a good score. I didn't pay a lot for some of that stuff, but um, the, you know, the, the 12 inch was a bit expensive because <laughs> I said you just don't see them over here. They just do not appear. I don't know whether they were ever released over. I very much doubt it because I've never seen another one. But uh, but I finished off my 12-inch Amidala collection. I'll have, have them all, even the modern one, which is a bit naff. But, uh, yeah, there was, there was no more apart from some very, 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 very rare Japanese custom one-offs that got released, which I'm never going to own. So I'm not thinking about those. Nice items there, Pete, once again. I'm glad you've got some ones that are coming to an end. Okay, Jason, um, let's have a look at the items that you'll pick up this month. Right, well, uh, you know, it's time to put your dinner on because uh, it could be a while here. My first vintage, vintage item, you, you may remember a previous podcast, I got myself the shop display carton for the HCF Star Wars 4-in-1 pencils, but I had no pencils, so I've only gone and found myself a pencil, Rich. And it, it, it's a great pencil. So it's um, 
it, it it's kind of like stripey all the all the way down the four different colors that are in the pencil and uh, i think those colors are it looks like blue black green and red and then at the top it features as, as you look around the pencil there's luke and Lear on there and it's got a little blue top on it so um that's my first uh vintage acquisition and um Second vintage acquisition, you'll never guess, Rich. Yes, it's another pencil. It's another HCF pencil. It's another four-in-one pencil. And uh, this one has uh, orange, blue, red, and green colors in it by the looks of it. And um, is topped in red and it's, has Vader and uh, a Stormtrooper on it. And then uh, it, it's, it, it's a great run. Um, my, uh, my third and last vintage item, um, Rich, can you guess what it is? Yes, it's a, it's another HCF pencil, and uh, this one looks to have as its colours. It looks like it's like it's uh, yellow, black, red, and green. I'm going to say, and it's uh, yellow top, and this one has C3PO and R2D2 in it. So um, I now have three pencils in my uh, in my shop display carton, and I've got a load of HCF square pencils, but I've got no carton carton display holders. That's the third holder that I need to have a full set of those. So I'm, uh, I'm looking for one of those now. Uh, in my non-vintage items, uh, Mark Daniels was very kind to send me a set of um, his latest stickers without any charge. And I'm very, very thankful for those, Mark. It goes go, goes my uh, sticker collection. And then... Um, Stefan and Jan's latest um, French collection book, Galactic Plastic, uh, landed through my letterbox. Uh, and that's another lovely book that they've come up with. This one features um, all of the all of the French kind of um, all the instruction inserts and stuff. So they're all in French, but then all the all the text surrounding it is translated to English. So it kind of tells you what what they say if you don't speak French particularly well. And that also came with um, a bunch of um, kind of uh, postcards and a beer mat and another picture, which go which has gone into my French Touch um, uh, wall collage, which is uh, just steadily taking over one wall of my collection room. So I've, I've kind of rearranged all that to get the new stuff in and taken a very nice picture of it and stuck it on their group. So um, thanks again for that, guys. And, uh, and that's everything. Not a huge list, Jason, but some very nice items once again. Um, I must have missed that book, so I'll keep my eye out for that one. Um, moving on to Andy Preston, then let's, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> you've more made up for Jason's list. Yeah, I was going to say my list is a bit Jason-esque this month, so I'll see if I can rattle through it quite quickly. Uh, firstly, three large Letraset transfer sets. Um, so set of three, um, Mos Eisley, Death Star and the Rebel Base. Um, and these, these are the bigger uh, transfer sheets. These came from Pete Vilmer. Uh, thank you, Pete. And or props department T-shirt, um, which has got a nice sort of police effect badge on the front. Um, so props department, Pilgrim 2020 to 21. Uh, Pilgrim was the code name for Andor. But interestingly, if you look in detail at this badge, there's some Oribesh writing across the middle of it, which says Andor Season 1. So uh, uh, for all the code names and the subterfuge, if you speak Oribesh or can read Oribesh, then it's pretty obvious what that T-shirt was connected with. On the back print there, there's an Imperial Cog logo with the, the kind of the fledgling Rebel Alliance uh, symbol overprinted over it as if it's been graffitied on top of the Imperial cog. So uh, quite like that one. 
I picked up um, from Amazon a brand new ice cube or olive grabber. Little metal thing with three prongs at the end and you press a little button on the other end and these prongs open and close and you can pick up your ice cube or your olive. Why have I got this, you ask? Well, it's because apparently it is the exact same model and they are still making them. That was used in Star Wars for one of R2-D2's arm appendages. Uh, when he's playing hollow chess with Chewie on the Millennium Falcon, little arm comes out of R2's body to press the buttons on the game. And it's one of these, uh, it's one of these grabbers. So it was only a few quid. So nice little, uh, nice little found prop. I got a Droids White Witch hardback book. Uh, that was from eBay. A Factors sticker um, featuring Luke Skywalker. That was from Craig Stevens on Facebook. Thank you, Craig. Uh, only one of those to go now, the Chewy sticker. So if anybody out there has a spare Factors Chewy sticker, that's with Chewy spelled C-H-E-W-Y, I'd love to hear from you. You could make an old man very happy. Uh, next up, a Palatoy Mail-Away white boxed PDT-8. Uh, and that, again, came from Facebook from Charles Jones. Thank you. This was towards the end of the run, surplus stock being sold off. And I think it, they were um, PBP in origin, but uh, sold through Palatoy um, through an offer. Clint Garnis, I did a trade with Clint. Um, he sent me some Empire uh, and Revenge of the Jedi fan club patches. I sent him some Icarus placemats. Um, so it was a, a nice little deal. Picked up a Thermos Star Wars lunchbox from Mark Daniels on Facebook. Completely new item to me. Never seen one before. I don't think Mark had either. And a lot of others on the Facebook thread said the same thing. Uh, blue lunchbox with a black sticker on the front with the red Star Wars logo and R2 and 3PO. And in the background, what looks like a funny sort of evaporator. So nice to pick the flask up. And um, very lucky then, just a couple of weeks later, to find the corresponding flask um, on eBay. Um, so let's uh, put that little set together. A couple of musical items. Um, I found an EP, uh, a seven-inch vinyl EP, and this is by Chaz Burnett and Kim Allen, dated 1981, I think it is. Uh, who are Chaz Burnett and Kim Allen? You may well ask. I haven't got a clue. But one of the tracks on this four-track EP is the Star Wars main title theme by John Williams. I've got no idea what it sounds like. I'm going to have to dig out my record player and uh, and uh, have a spin for that one. But the, uh, the this is also signed by Chaz Burnett and Kim Allen. I can I can feel the jealousy radiating off you. Cassette tape next. A cassette made by Decca. Um, released in the UK. Uh, this is a Cinema Gala um, compilation tape. Star Wars, Close Encounters, and various other uh, sci-fi themes. But on the front, it's got a nice sort of Art Deco cover. Nice picture of Vader with his lightsaber out. So uh, um, nice little cassette. Again, one that I've not come across before. Next up, a Return of the Jedi window sticker. This would have been put in cinemas. Not sure whether it's an Odeon exclusive or whether it was wider than that. I've got a feeling it was wider. It was uh, available to all UK cinemas. But uh, uh, it's basically a rectangular sticker. Um, the top half has got the red and black um, Vader helmet logo. Um, with uh, the, the small inset of Luke and Vader fighting. Below that, the yellow Return of the Jedi 
uh, logo, and then three little circular cutouts. You've got uh, Gamma Ray and Guard, you've got Luke Skywalker and R2-D2. That's the third out of the set of four that I've got now. Um, and lastly, some magazines. Uh, Sunday Times from May 1980, that's got an Empire Strikes Back feature. Uh, Reader's Digest from October 1982, that's got a feature on George Lucas. And the Radio Times from April 1981, that's got a lovely feature on the the radio drama, uh, which was on BBC Radio 1 at that stage. Um, some nice Marvel-inspired uh, artwork in there, a nice little article about the the radio drama. And you'll be very pleased to hear, Rich, that's my lot for this month. Yeah, some amazing items once again, Andy. So you've all done well this month. Very, very great. Okay, actually, I've seen a lot of uh, Radio Times and UK magazines uh, appearing for sale recently, and there's been a lot appearing in the um, Star Wars Phenomenon Great Britain uh, Facebook group, which is run by Craig Stevens, and a lot appeared in there recently as well. Anything rich you're getting this month? No? No, 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 not for me. No, no comics or anything? Nope, nothing. I picked up absolutely zilch this month. Very random comics to my moment. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, then, so over to the action figure face-off. Interesting match here. So we've got Andy Preston with Yakface, Andy Spoons Norton with Lobot, Jason with Leabouche, and Pete with the Hoth Stormtrooper. So I'm going to go bottom up this time. I'm going to start off with Pete. Pete, take it away, win this section for the Hoth Stormtrooper. The Hoth Stormtrooper? Well, this character... Richard, you know, appeared on screen for no more than 28 seconds and certainly spoke no words at all in the film. And it was released as part of the first wave of 10 figures for the Empire Strikes Back in 1980 and listed as a third Empire carded figure, Imperial Stormtrooper, Hoth Battle Gear in brackets. And uh, it's a demonstration of how caring the Empire was of their troops. Um, a nice long helmet to cover the neck, resulting in less cold necks so no sick days and uh, a skirt to prevent snow blowing up the bottom a much more meaner rifle also to blast rebel scum with uh, these boys actually appeared on all in fact a lot more box items so it's obviously a very popular figure than uh, boba fett did they actually appeared in the attack scout walker Turret and Probot playset, Imperial Attack Base, Half Ice Planet Adventure Set, Imperial Cruiser, MTV7, INT4, ISP6, and a hot sand backdrop, because obviously sand does the same as snow to uh, the necks and the bottoms. And of course, uh, their own tripod laser cannon. So uh, they're a very popular figure and they, they were put everywhere. So, uh, you know, for 28 seconds of, of screen action, they did pretty well. And of course, you've got variations of carbacks. I won't go into all of them. But uh, I think the, probably the most fun one outside of the Glass Leak one is the one for the YPS, a very famous German comic magazine. YPS asked Kenner for a Star Wars figure for the comic. They needed 500,000 pieces. And Kenner, obviously they've been churning these things out, suggested the Snow Trooper. The problem was there were not enough weapons. So YPS used some different weapons from the G.I. Joe line. And uh, funny enough, the price of the comic was cheaper than a Snow Trooper on a card. That's how bad it was. But uh, yeah, Beautiful figure everywhere. 
best ever figure. Probably, you know, I mean, the best figure with a skirt at the very, very least. That's me, Rich. I think that's, ooh, a good 45 seconds. Brilliant defensive, great knowledge here, Pete. Um, I'm still not sure if it's pronounced YPS or EPS, because I've heard both versions, but... We'll YPS, with YPS in my book. Yeah. Jason, take it away with Leah Bausch, or Bush, or however you're going to pronounce it. Um, I just, I, I think I'm going to have to go with a quick uh, summary of all the all the positive things you can say about Lobot before uh, before I do that. So here we go. Yep, that was Lobot. Moving on to Leia Bush. Uh, now, is it Bush or Bush? I can see in the in the show notes it's been spelled B O U double S H, but is in fact B O U S. Double H uh, and Leia Bush. Uh, obviously, um, when uh, Leia goes to cut, go and try and uh, rescue um, Han Solo, she's got her Bush armor disguise on, and so the figure uh, comes in the Bush the Bush armor, and it features a detachable hat, which is very nice, and uh, the bubbles on the the mineral cards of uh, they have a nice little uh, separated compartment, and some of the bubbles to have the little hat in. And it comes with the world's longest blaster. Now, um, I don't, I don't particularly remember seeing this amazingly long rifle blaster thing in the film. What they are missing is the thermal detonator. Where, where's the? I mean, I, I guess if they did have a thermal detonator, it would have been the most lost bit of toy of all time because it would just be a tiny little circle. Yeah. So anyway, what, what can you get, um, Leia Bouchon? Uh, well, it obviously uh, it premiered on. Uh, the Return of the Jedi card, so there's a good selection of Kenner cards there. There's some Palatoy cards. Um, it's a, on a tri logo. You can get you can get a Bush, but not on the Power of the Force. And you can also get it on a, a very nice uh, Return of the Jedi French card. Um, I think it's one of my, you know one of our one of our, one of our better get ups, and um, I really love the helmet. So there you go, Leia Bush, just missing a thermal detonator for perfection. You know what? I've never once considered that, Jason. How could we, how could how could I've not got to this point of thinking why didn't Leah Bush have a thermal detonator as an accessory? That is a great shout. That great shout. Right, and this one's not taken away with Lobot. Well, a little bit offended there with uh, Jason's denigration of Lobot. The uh, words of Jack Nicholson as the Joker came to my mind. They never rub another man's rhubarb. Not quite sure why that came to my mind. And obviously, if they don't mind, then feel free. Uh, anyway, Lobot. I love Lobot. He's like he's one of the few figures I remember getting before I'd seen the film. You know, I was Empire Strikes Back was the first one for me. Uh, didn't know who any of the characters were. Got a Lobot. He looked great. A cracking set of headphones on. And there's little known fact, Richard, that Lobot is one of the rarest figures out there. Did you know that? It came with a Cloud City playset. Very rare playset. The Bespin three pack with his mates Bespin Han and Ugnor. Darth Vader's treachery causes difficult times with this threesome. Another very rare set. And last but not least, he was also carded as Lobot Lando's aide on the Canadian exclusive skin wrapped card. I don't know if you know about these, but they were made for Sears Canada. Exclusive multi-pack bonus figures created for uh, holiday catalogues. The very first release of Lobot, so they didn't have the picture and they didn't have the, the nameplate colours and things. But a lovely card, very, very special. And with his baldy head, though I can't really talk these days, skin wrapped seems very apt. Now, he first appeared on the normal cards on the 41 back and he's got Stormtroopers flanking him on that. 
And there's a different image used on the Tri-Logo cards because he's got best spin security guards behind him there. Both are very nice images and credit to John Hollis, who's clearly a master of the expressionless face because he looks identical in both pictures. And it's what you would expect from a man named after a lobotomy. That's what he's named after, Lobot, and an elder of Krypton. Did you know that? He's also in Superman. Lobot really is a mysterious figure, but he's also fun. He's got a 70s disco dancing yellow puffy shirt with an all-in-one trouser suit. Or is that a, a gilet like a fisherman would use? Or it could be a body warmer. He's dressed for all occasions, dancing and fishing. The micro collection figure is even doing a John Travolta Saturday Night Fever disco stance. Surely no coincidence. It's got the boiled humbug sweet light communicator headphones and the classic Bespin blaster as seen on Andor. And did you know there are two very different torso sculpts? Breast pockets on one are set in from the body warmer lines and the groinal area of the second version has a much thicker zip. Two different belt buckles, too. Going to sign off with my favourite card, the Palatoy. Colours are beautiful on that. A fitting card for a lovely Lobot. Groovy, baby. Well, this is going to be really tough because I just thought that one person would take it away and run with this one, but uh, it hasn't happened. Oh, how do I decide on this one? I absolutely love that. Um, oh, how could I have forgot Andy Preston, who's sitting there chomping at the bit? Just kidding, Andy. Take it away with Yak Face. Rich, rich, rich. Yak Face, an unbelievably rare figure, worth an absolute fortune. Or is he? Well, the sculpt captures his long face, big black eyes, wide flat nose, Einstein moustache, and a soppy grin. He's wearing a nifty blue flight suit, a tan vest, pirate boots, and a big fur stall. This guy is not going to get cold on those cold Tatooine nights. He came only on Canadian Power of the Force and European Trilogo cards, and it's on the Trilogo that his only real variations can be found. He comes either with a Vibro X, Palace Blaster, or most commonly no weapon at all. But it's the mystique attached to Yakface that is his real talking point. Never released in the States, Yakface was a grail piece to American collectors in the 90s, almost impossible to find. And it's that status which led to his reputation as a rare and valuable figure and why his value remains high even to this day. The theory is that he was held back for a mail-away offer that never happened when the line was discontinued although no evidence of a yak face mail away has ever been found. Could it be simply that the figure just was not ready in time when the rest of the line was put out to shops? Whatever the reason, the yak face figures ended up being packaged on Canadian Power of the Force cards. And then rather than selling them in Canada when the line was ending, Kenner decided to cut its losses and most, if not all, were shipped straight to Australia for sale there and to come full circle there was very little demand in europe for the last 15 many trilogo cards were sent back to the states and sold in bargain bins in kb and other retailers so an american kid if he was lucky could have bought a yak face at retail in 85 or 86 and been the envy of all his mates yakety yak don't talk back Brilliant. You normally bring up the rear, Andy, and you've done a good job of bringing up the rear there again. So, oh, how do I debate this? I, you know, I love Jason's uh, thermal detonator. I loved his passion about Leah Bush. 
Um, a lot of research gone into that. I love Dandy's talk about Lobot. I love Yakface. But I've got to go with Pete. I thought Pete was oh. brilliant today. Flash in the pan, who knows, but brilliant. Well done, Pete. You thoroughly deserve this Flash one. in the pan? I'd have thought you'd have given it to Spoons for the use of the term groinal. I don't think we've ever had that term that, used. That's what I was yet. aiming for. I do know what Richard likes. He likes a bit of groinal. <laughs> Ah, Lobot. What a, what a, what a, Lobot is a good... He's an underrated... He's a good figure. You know, I, a good actually, figure. I'm a little disappointed there. The yes. easy yeah. option was the Hoth Trooper. Got Jason bad-mouthing Lobot before he even Ooh. started. There's you see, that, that, that offended me, that did. That offended me, that did, that, that bad-mouthing of Lobot. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I agree with Andy. When I was a kid, I love Lobot. He was a cracking figure. You could, you could kind of switch him around from Empire to to uh, to working for the Empire to working for the good guys because he, you know, he was a kind of robot head. So he could be a tra- he was always my traitor as a kid. So and he's, yeah. and he's key to the whole. T- I should have said this, shouldn't I? He's key to the whole takeover of um of. Uh, okay, it was called. Cool. <laughs> ah, Calcity. well, you see, if you had a, if you had a brought all that up, you had it would have had a better chance, Andy. Well, if it's not the figure, you see, Richard. I like to stick to the facts. Mm. This is I do fact. I do recommend that if you ever get a chance to read the, the it's only a series of five comics. Richard's probably gone. Um, the the Lando series. Mm-hmm. They, they they cover a lot of Lobot's kind of like how he became Lobot. Um, it's, it's actually a decent little mini series. I've got to be honest here. Yeah. Was he yeah. like a really happy-go-lucky character full of life? No, not it's really. I, now. I can't quite remember exactly why. Whether, whether he was slightly getting like he was like I think he was having wasn't he having too many kind of um, things added to him, Rich or something. I can't quite remember. And and he just basically went full on. He was getting like a dementia or something, and he he went he was basically dying, and he, so he went full on. Kind of like having his head got modded, like, yeah, modded, and that was the end of his his personality. I think he became the Lobot we know today. But because you see a few of them in around, yeah, like him, where I think there's a, I think it's in I want to say Solo. There's some like there's a character like only with a face and no back of a head. Um, so there's a lot of like brain things going on in Stars. But yeah, definitely worth picking up that comic if if you can find it. They usually get pretty cheap to be fair. My hairline is getting dangerously close to his uh, headphones, so I might just color get. Brown and yellow stripes in my hair, and uh, just yeah, go just, just, get, time. just get yourself a nice pair of headphones. I can feel the cosplay coming on, Andy. Yeah, I, <laughs> oh, so. I like a puffy shirt as well, actually. Yeah, I think you'd look good as Lobot. Mm-hmm. Now, let's move on then. So, um, oh, it says quiz, but I think I'm going to leave the quiz for the moment and we'll just move on to the purchases that we've seen out and about. So, uh, Jason, we just heard from you. So, what have you spotted and what's tickled your fancy this month? Yes, this was a. Uh, post on um, Beyond the Toys and it was from one of uh, the admins there Lee Bullock and he just says dinky little BTT find as of recent and it's an HCF school kit I know Preston's got one of these but I've I've never seen these for sale anywhere else and uh, Lee Bullock's found himself one so it's it's the school kit that they gave away in school so it's kind of got this uh, this great kind of set of um, rainbow stripes that go from yellow, orange, dark orange to red that kind of go across the top of it. And it, it's kind of got a sealed cardboard top with that on it. And then a cellophane packet that's got um, a three pack of um, memo pads in it and uh, a ruler, a pencil and uh, a couple of pencil toppers. And it just looks absolutely awesome. And very kind of, it's got very kind of, um, it's even not even an 80s vibe, very kind of 70s vibe to it, and I think it just looks absolutely marvellous. Well done, Mr Bullock. Yeah, it does look very 70s, doesn't it? Yep, love that. It's so Lee Bullock, that actually, when you look at it. Brilliant. 
Right, Spoons, uh, I think we're heading over to the 12 back group for you. We are, and, then, and actually, this could have got the red card. Facebook, I, I, when I see things on uh, on Facebook I like, I take a screenshot on my phone, save it to my photos, and think, right, when it comes to the show, I'll find out uh, and, and put the link in the show notes. I can never find the post again. Um, it's unbelievable. So this one, yes, yeah, 12-back group on Facebook, not a, a, a newest acquisition, but uh, a showcase as part of the happy hashtag Happy Halloween on the 12-back group and this is joe iglesias and it's a princess leah halloween costume from spain um, now he doesn't say it's a bootleg but knowing what joe has almost certainly it's a bootleg and the way it looks it has to it can't be licensed it's unbelievable so it's a el imperio contracta i think that's how it's pronounced the case like a princess leah costumes the first thing that jumps out it's got buttons up the front of it so this is her uh, hoth hoth outfit it's got shiny silver poppers up the front. You know, we don't have buttons in space. That's what George Lucas says. And a massive Millennium Falcon badge uh, on on the uh, over one side of the top. Uh, yeah, that's that's exactly what Leia would have a big picture, <laughs> just big picture of the Falcon on her. But the gun is just unbelievable. It looks like it's made from the top of a swing ball set uh, with a fishing reel attached to the side. It's just absolutely crazy. But I love it. Um, if it is licensed, brilliant, but I'd, I'd be surprised. Fantastic item. Absolutely. I don't remember George Lucas saying we don't have buttons in space. Did he say that? No, he said, yeah, there's no... Um, it's like there's, you don't see any zips or buttons. It's all the costumes. Yeah, the, the fasteners aren't there, are they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, they said that, didn't they? They said that people got upset about it because there was a woman in a zipped-up thing. But actually, if you go back and look at... The cantina, there's all sorts of zips right. and are, you know, yeah, fasteners yeah. and stuff. So it was, it was sort of making a point, but actually... They certainly didn't have shiny silver poppers up the front of anything, that's for sure. Well, I don't know. You want to go in that cantina, well, look, there's all sorts of nonsense. <laughs> all right, then moving on to mine. So this was on the Baggy Group, uh, Frank Muse's Baggy-tastic group. It was posted by Christopher Wielmeister. And he posted, has anyone ever heard of factory overstock 10-pack baggies from KB Toys? A few people have told me it was a thing with certain figures, who knows. And I'm just looking to get verification on this one I got a few years ago. I've never seen them before. And then he posted a photograph of 10 uh, prune faces together in a clear plastic bag with their capes and rifles. Now obviously as we know, these baggies can be very, very easily faked. And... I think it's impossible to put a verification on this particular baggy, but Jeremy Carpenter posted um, a bit further down saying, yes, these were sold locally at my local KB store. I don't remember Prune Face exclusively, but I do remember they sold these in packs of 10 in the clear bag. And I think that's, you know, could you imagine it? your parents came home and you had 10 Prune Faces or you had... 10 robots or something. I mean, what on earth would you do with them? I Rich, what's a collection of prune, what's a collection of prune faces called? I mean, that, you know, that is, is it, yeah. Is it, mm -hmm. I mean, what, what, what's, what's the terminology for a 10 prune faces? A collection of... <laughs> exactly, yes. A ball bag, ball bag of prune faces. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, I, I just think it's brilliant. I mean, obviously, as we know, you know, they're looking, you know, put these things together in two packs and bullies eight packs and things, but sticking 10 of the same figure in a bag um, they could have mixed them up, couldn't they, surely? But great photograph. Um, I really hope that that's legit because I, I love seeing it. Right, Andy Preston, come with you next. 
Thank you, Rich. This is something that I spotted on uh, Echo Base um, Vintage Group on Facebook. And this is something that was put up by Michael Thornton uh, on the on Facebook. He goes by uh, Michael Peter. And he put a post up with a lovely photo. He said, I've finally added a POC layer. The bubble's seen better days, but she's just amazing. Big thanks to Sergio Sierra for being so damn sexy. And there's a fantastic picture there. Um, if you can imagine the Palatou or Kenner Empire Strikes Back card with the original Leia in her white gown, it's similar to that, but at the top, the logo says Star Wars, and then inside that in red, it doesn't say the Empire Strikes Back. It says, and I'm going to uh, probably make as bad a mess as this has ended earlier, uh, El Imperio Contra Ataca. Then you've got the, uh, the the figure name, and at the bottom you've got that lovely blue POC logo. Uh, a real rarity, fantastic acquisition. Uh, but he goes on, he says, uh, and I've also added this Turkish rubbish as well. And in his photo, alongside Leia, there is a photo of an Uzai Death Star droid. Uh, just amazing. Love this. Um Again, typical Uzai style. It's a dreadful card back. Uh, it's a picture of the Death Star droid just sort of stood there on a yellow background. He's off center. It's not the best photo. It's not the best card back. But uh, you know, these these are, oh, Uzai cards are in a way they're so bad they're fantastic. Uh, Andy, Andy, real... that's the that's the pre scene to uh, the Death Star droid being picked up by these Jawa sand crawlers, isn't it? He's obviously wandering around a desert scene. Just, you know, kind of like, you know, seizing up and they're just like, pick him up. But that's obviously a very good car. I can't believe you slowed that off. I think you've got it, Pete. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sandcrawler just out of shot. But regardless, a very, very rare figure. I suspect that the uh, that Mike's actually a lot happier with the Uzi than the Leia. Um, I mean, those are his two focuses, Princess Leia and the uh, Uzi's. And to get those two in one go, absolutely superb score. Well done, Mike. I've just got to say, Andy, that your pronunciation there was far, far worse than Andy's Moons Norton. Right. Um, Pete, to move on to you next. Yeah, this isn't really an acquisition. <laughs> I was trying to avoid looking at anything since I spent far too much money this month and travelling around and stuff. So, uh, but something did catch my eye and I was really quite intrigued and I'm hoping that uh, uh, Cass can send me a free one. Um, but it's I, I didn't even well, I, I don't know about grading I, I don't watch anything that's graded or have any particular um, interest in it but CAS what, what does it stand for I think what it stands for Collector Archive Services they have this um, bubble preservation system which is basically a nice sheet of plastic with the shape of the bubble which goes over the top of the card back if you're getting it graded then it gets sealed obviously in it's acrylic case and I think oh I wouldn't mind one of those for my Han Hoth I've got a hand off, which is just barely hanging on. Uh, it's still sealed, but it's it's going to go at some stage with a bit more gravity, and it will go. I'm thinking, I think you need to start selling these. I think you have to have your figure graded. But Ross, if you're out there and you're listening, you know, hey, bring one, bring a few over for celebration. <laughs> I'll be your best friend ever. But so, what do you think of those guys? I, I would love him to release these things. I think they'd, they'd sound like hotcakes because I'd I'd get all my loose card backs and stick them in an acrylic case. And shove the figure in and display him. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Good shout there, Pete. Absolutely. Anyone else? I mean, I think that's brilliant. I think it's a great idea. Really simple. And would actually help with a lot of car backs. Because I've got a few that probably need a bubble around, another bubble around the bubble. Yeah, I could definitely got a couple like that that I'd go for. 
Yeah, should we, we we need to pressure him, don't we? We need to get him to bring some over for free for <laughs> podcasters. If he doesn't, then we're going to slag him off. Right, okay then. So the quiz this month, well, I had 15 minutes to come up with a quiz and I think I've knocked something together, which is hopefully going to be a bit fun. So we have five rounds and they're going to be very quick, so this quiz shouldn't take long. And it has a World Cup theme linked to Star Ooh. Wars in it. So the order I'm going to go for the first round is Pete, then Andy Spoons, Jason and Andy Norton last. So Andy, you get two goes. And the last one's meant to be Andy Preston, of course. So I'm just going to edit that now. Okay, so the order I'm going to go is Pete, Andy Spoons, Jason and then Andy Preston on the first round. Um, and it starts off fairly simple. So there are 32 teams in the World Cup. And your answer is one of the teams that appears in the World Cup. Now, each team will only appear once. It's going to start fairly, fairly simple, but it's going to get tougher as it goes down. So I'm going to give you a clue, and all you've got to do is name the country, which obviously will be a team from the World Cup. So, Pete, I'm starting with you first. <laughs> okay. Kroger Building at 1014 Vine Street. What, what you just want to say country in the World Cup? Yep. Yeah. United States. United, yep, States. United States, one point. Oh, okay. Three. Andy Spoons, 43, Hugh Street, Collingwood, Ontario. Canada. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just, well, I just, I was wondering what the Star Wars link is, but I didn't think I know. The, the, the link is Irwin um, Toys headquarters, Irwin yeah. uh, Toys factory, and for those who didn't know the Coca building, that was obviously Kenner's headquarters. Jason Jackson Street. Colville, LE67, 3NR. What could that be? Oh, that would be uh, England. Yes, it would be England. Uh, that's obviously the Palatoy Old Factory. And, oh, I should have said this. Apologies, Andy. There's there's one tougher one in each round, and you've got a tougher one this one. <laughs> so, Hos, Hostalric Girona. Ooh. You've also got Rich's accent to contend with. Yeah, exactly. Historic somewhere. Girona is Girona in Spain. I'm going to go Spain. Well done, Andy. It's Spain. That's the PPB factory. So first round, we've all got one point each, and USA, Canada, England, and Spain have been eliminated from our guesses. So moving on to round two. So Andy Spoons, you're starting off first. Lilyadi. Mexico. Uh, Jason Takawa. Japan. Andy Preston Meccano. France. And Pete <laughs> Krieg de Stern. Uh, Germany, isn't it? Germany, well done. So we've all scored maximum points so far. We know our stuff. <coughs> this is where it all goes wrong. Perhaps not yet. Perhaps not yet. Jason, you're first. Glassleet. Uh, Brazil. Correct. Andy Preston, Tot Toys. Argentina. Correct. Pete, Dog Chow. <laughs> <laughs> what? Dog Chow? Oh my what, what? goodness. I'm trying to think of a country in the World Cup with Dog Chow. What would Dog Chow be? Oh, I'd, um, Uruguay? Uh-uh, that's incorrect. No that, idea. That was the Australian stickers, the dog chow oh, stickers we talked about before. And Andy Spoon's Clipper. 
Netherlands. Netherlands, that's correct. So doing well so far. Moving into <laughs> round four. Um, now this is where it's going to get pretty tough. So Andy Preston. By the way, um, I'm just going to give a caveat to this. Um, we haven't found anything that's vintage. I've been very, very close to it. So some of these might creep into late 80s, uh, very, very early 90s. So Andy Preston. Nesquik. Chocapic. Zucosos. Estralitis. Milo. Tricks. <laughs> you're gonna laugh. Oh, blimey! Um, I'm just putting the zero on your score for me for that. Right, go on. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> sounds vaguely Spanish, so I'm gonna say Portugal. Oh, so so close, so close. It's actually Ecuador. <laughs> um, Pete, so close. Back to you. Vieux den Egin Jedi, and then in brackets, things to do and make. Uh, Denmark. Denmark. Well done, Pete. Yes, uh, Egin gave it away. Egin, yeah. Andy Spoons, King Comics number two. Good luck with that one. <laughs> King Comics number two. I'm going to have to go Wales. It isn't. It's South Korea. The King Comics number two is a famous South Korean magazine that is virtually a rip-up of Star Wars. Um, and it's certainly well worth hunting down because it's bloody blatant. But yeah. famous, famous magazine, did you famous say? Famous magazine, yes. Right. Everyone's got a copy of it. I'm surprised you haven't got one on your shelf. Right, uh, Jason... Star Wars Mini. Now I've got to be careful how I pronounce this one. Right, I'm going to pronounce it the wrong way, and then I'm going to pronounce it the right way. And I'm only pronouncing it the wrong way because it's funny. So the wrong way is Kulawanka, but it's actually probably Kulavanka. So Star Wars Mini Kulavanka. Kulavanka. Uh, I am going to go with Poland. Poland is correct. Well done, Jason Smith. So, halfway through. No, no, way over halfway through. Um, So, we have Andy Spoons and Jason tied on the lead with full marks, and Pete and Andy Preston both dropped one. Uh, Right. I I dropped one, Richard. I've got to be honest here. Did you? Yeah, I didn't. I said Wales. Yes, I did. Jason in the lead. Jason's in the lead. All these people dropping one. I wonder what I could say. Yes. Well, at the end now, anyway, round five. I do have a tie break one. Round five, so it's back to Peter Buddy first. Oh, hello. Okay. Bandua film and sponsor strip at bottom. <laughs> Can you say that again, Richard? Because that make no sense. Bandua, so spelled B E N D U R, Bandua film and sponsor strip at bottom. And we can't have a country of audio. Nope. Oh, goodness. Uh, France? It's not France, uh, nope. We've had France anyway, so um, that one was actually Serbia. Serbia? It was. Did they even exist when Star Wars was out? Well, yes, they would have done. Just probably call it a different name. <laughs> Andy, Andy Spoons. Just make it up countries. <laughs> Andy Spoons Norton. 
Socialist campaign Yoda photo bus stop poster. Sorry, I was laughing and saying, I'm on mute then. <laughs> Say that again, please, Richard. The, the socialist campaign Yoda photo bus stop poster. Socialist campaign. Uh, oh, I'm running out of countries as well, aren't we? Uh, let me think. It's a bit of a blatant clue when you work out what countries are left. I can't think of what countries are left, so that's part of the problem. Uh, have we had... Oh, I'm going to go wild card, Qatar. That is incorrect. It was Switzerland. Oh. <laughs> oh, the Swiss. Jason. The Swiss. Now, I know fine well I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but I'm going to pronounce it as if it was English, and that is Ja Sam Jedin Usenik, and then in brackets, I am a Jedi Knight. Well, let's go with Qatar on that. That's incorrect, Jason. It was Croatia. That's your first dropped point. And Andy Preston, Lou Ewoks Hemmer. Well, there's not a lot to go on there, is there? Um, well, as everybody else seems to be saying it, Qatar. It's not Qatar, no, that is Belgium. Right, so what we've got here, we've got Pete on three, we've got Andy Spoons on three, we've got Jason on four, and we've got Andy Preston on three. Um, I've only got two left because um, lots of countries actually aren't represented at all on the Star Wars map. So, And by Star Wars map, I mean obviously some countries will be due to film locations and things, but I didn't want to go down that route. So where am I going to go? This is a tough one, right? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with first answer wins on this one, okay? So, Kultumara Inc. Calais 14, NE 1124, Puerto Nuevo Porto. Nope, incorrect. Portugal. That's you, you ruled out with this one, Andy. <laughs> Uruguay. Uruguay. Nope, that's you ruled out, Pete. Oh, it's so it's bad. between Jason and Andy Preston. Cut tomorrow, <laughs> Inc. Cali 14, NE 1124, Puerto Nuevo Norto. Senegal. That's incorrect, Jason. Andy Preston, do you want to save it? Uh, I want to, but can have another it, go if Andy it, gets it wrong? Yeah, it why so, not? It does sound Spanish. Um, which other South Americans? We've had Brazil, we've had Ecuador, we've had Argentina, we've had Mexico, we've had Spain. Oh, God. Yeah, Spain or South to, America. Uh, That's probably your problem, I think. <laughs> that was Spanish, though. <laughs> um, pass. Pass. Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Well done, Andy Spoons. You've got that one back. Same, same and then the last one. This is the only country that's represented that's left. So, same again. First one who shouts out gets it. So, this is Ewoks, a conquista de Endor, and then a brackets battle for Endor. Morocco. Incorrect. I'll go for Portugal again. Portugal is correct. Andy Spoons, you've got that one. So, the following countries were not represented for anything at all that I could find. And those were Senegal, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Wales, Iran, Tunisia, Morocco, Cameroon, Ghana and Uruguay. 
Oh, well. Or old um, Uruguay. Poor old Uruguay, yes, exactly. Mm. I thought they'd have something. South America. Nope, nothing there at all I could find. So, or Africans as well. You'd have, thought, you'd have thought they were Nick Bassa or something. Bassa yes, stuff. you would have thought so. Hmm. Right, so heading over the score since Andy Spoons Norton. Um, uh, looks though like you won the quiz by two good shout outs in um, the knockout round there. Um, but I think it's such a shame that Jason actually done it properly. So uh, <laughs> I've ruled out two of your goals due to VR. So Jason, you're the winner of this month's quiz with four points. Andy Spoons Norton comes second with five. Pete <laughs> and Andy Preston, you both come third. Um, with three yeah. points each, but well oh, done, so, guys. Well done. Question. I've, I've always had a question for you that mm -hmm. suddenly crossed my mind. Yep. Do you work as a VAR ref? Because you've got the personality. <laughs> yeah. I, I was yeah. going to say, it's good to see uh, Scotland win something for once. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that thinking was there as well. It's the right. first one ever got out of a group. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then, so it's time to move on to Rebels Briefings. Well done, Jason Smith. wonders. It's Star Wars. It must be worth a fortune. Cassian's Climax. Fabulous four-pack find. Con Catch-Up. Echo Gimcrack Challenge. Stoberfett. Scratching the 44-year-old Itchy. And may the fonts be with you. The rebel base is on the moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Right, warehouse full of wonders. Oh, this is a beauty, Richard. Absolutely. We always talk about this, don't we? You always go on about, oh, there's no other Star Wars surprises. Well, this was a surprise. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this has been shared on every single Facebook group, every Star Wars fan site. It's all over the place. Um, and, and rightly so as well. So if anybody's listening to this and hasn't heard of this, um, I'd be really surprised. You must be literally off the grid. So Dan Morphy on the Star Wars Vintage Action Figures Facebook group um, had posted a total warehouse find over 450 Star Wars figures. All have been stored away in the original cardback cases since 1980. Some pieces were added later dates, but most were purchased in the early 80s. All sold at no reserve in our February 2023 toy sale. This is a total fresh find. Still taking consignments for this monumental sale. Check us out at morpheauctions.com. So obviously questions started flying in, you know, once this was uh, posted. I think one or two collectors were a bit annoyed because they thought this was going to go on the radar, under the radar, not a chance. Um, so Dan um, responded a little bit later saying the owner bought the seal cases for his kids in the 1980s. The kids showed no interest, so he put them in storage. The cases were all open to see what was in them back in the early 1980s. He then closed them back up and put them away until they were picked back out two weeks ago. Some pieces were bought and added to collections at later dates. I know the owner personally, and he was the original buyer of the cases back when they came out. They will be sold in lots, 
most like figures will be sold together in a lot. For example, there's a box of 24 Yodas. They will all be sold together with the box. Now, absolutely fantastic find. So, Andy Preston, coming over to you first. 40 years in a warehouse and they've never been exposed to heat, cold, moisture, dirt, dust or rodents. Can this be legit? Well, at first sight, it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? 450 mocks all in their packing cases. I mean, yeah, too, too good to be true. Unbelievable. But, uh, yeah, can be legit. I mean, I, I don't know where this find was. Um, don't know where the uh, um, the storage unit was. But, uh, you know, if, if it's somewhere that, that, you know, they were well packed away, um, they might have been under a tarpaulin or wrapped in plastic or anything climate controlled who knows but uh, they appear to have survived really well they are genuine of course they're genuine there's uh, as you say everybody in these dogs looked at these um and uh, yeah it's real it is legit it's a fantastic find and uh, i'll be very interested to see how they sell yeah and uh, i bet you pete sorry ian sanderson will be wondering as well i wonder if you still got those 24 b-wing pilots in a box that he bought from vectors so, so the question i had is is the biggest find of all time I don't know, to be honest with you. It, I mean, obviously, it, it must be up there. But the Vectors find at a toy store um, mustn't have been far off that if it didn't surpass it because they seem to be pulling corded figures and toys and boxes and, you know, the stuff that was destroyed because it was too ruined. I mean, that must have been one huge find as well. I um, can't remember the name of that toy shop now because I mean, let's remember it. The big vectors. Like beaches, Frank Beaches. Beaches, that's the one. The beaches. I mean, that was huge, and that went on over four or five auctions, didn't it? And I, I remember going to Vectors um, and seeing that, and the Star Wars pop, even though it was obviously by far the biggest and you know most advertised, it was it was a tiny part of what they had. So, and all the rat, all the rat poo on the. Uh, yes, they so, did. Because I didn't realise how big that shop was. Because I went to see Chris at um, Metropolis. He knew he knew the place. Had been there. And he was telling me how massive it was. It was because it looked we, we we thought it was a little shop, didn't we? But it was actually an enormous shop mm-hmm. that went on. It was like two or three shops all almost put together, and it just went on for there was just rooms after rooms just full of <laughs> rat poo <laughs> and Star Wars figures. Now, Jason, there's a lot of items in there. There's been a lot of discussion about things. So, what for you are the standout pieces? Um, pretty much all of it. It's like almost all. I mean. The majority of it is just multiples of the first 12, 20 Kenner mint on cards, and everyone's got, you know, there's six to eight of all of them. And there's a line of 21 back fets. It's just incredible. You know, there's a, there's a few other, you know, you know, non-Star Wars cards, but it's pretty much, that's the majority of it. And I don't know how many, how many mint sets are there, but it's uh, quite a few. Jason, what does a, a 21 back fat go for? Roughly. Oh, God knows that. But, I mean, you know, there, there were how many? How many were there? About 10 of them? Were there 8 or 10? There was a lot. I think you're looking at about $1,500, aren't you? 15 that's nice. That's a nice start. <laughs> There's been speculation as well about whether some of the Lukes might be DTs, double telescoping lightsabers. Um, I think that's unlikely. For the 1980s, I think it's very unlikely. Yeah, it does look like it on some of the photos, um, but then he's not released detailed close-up photos yet. I'm sure they will for the auction, but uh, be, be interested if they were. That'll raise the price a little bit. Absolutely, will it? Um, now, you know, Pete, 
you know, we talked about selling there. Is it a sensible way to sell? And who's likely to buy such big bulk volumes of these? Well, uh, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised anyone who's got access to uh, a grading company to quickly get them graded. Um, I mean, I would assume someone who's uh, there'll be a lot of these. Be great. Um, do, is any thought that they might be graded before they're sold? Because some of them look very, you know, they'll none of them look like they've got any damage on them at all. That anyone knows about grading, which I don't. Would these fetch really high gradings? You know, eighties kind of grading y things. Again, without the benefit of detailed close-up photos, it's difficult to say. But they, you, you're right. They, you know, if, if they've been pulled straight out of the case, then they're going to be case fresh, aren't they? They're, I would have thought they will grade high. They're, they're, yeah. all, they're all in acrylic cases now because uh, Ian's display accessories. Uh, he had, to, I don't know how long he worked for, but he shipped out 450 cases for him. Well, there we go. And the the FX7s, you know, just as an example, there's quite the close-up of those, all unpunched look absolutely pristine one may have a slight sort of crush to the stem of the bubble but oh yeah i would have thought that the majority of this is going to going to grade high there's a big close-up of one of the loop stormtroopers absolutely mint card unpunched yeah i think i think a lot of these would grade very high yeah so people you know poor people lots of money but i'm a little it's a little bit sad that like i said they're going to be sold in lots i mean they, you know, this this is encouraging the investor to buy these or yeah, if you want one and then obviously sell the rest of them but that's a little bit on the sad side but I guess the the, the line of thinking is probably I don't know is a line of thinking sensible would someone want a discount if they bought five in a box rather than just buy the one because you know they're obviously going to sell four of them and keep one if there are five in a box um, I don't know I, I guess it's a bit sad that the people can't access them one at a time kind of thing and but I guess from a selling point of view, you want to get as much money as you can. I don't know. I don't know what would what would fetch more. Ten loose, you know, ten um, in an acrylic case, Boba Fett 21 backs or one at a time. Because, you, you the know. one at a time would, but it would have to be over a much longer period. So you'd have to sit, sit on these for uh, a while. And I'm sure they'd all go, but they're not all going to go as quickly as they would in, in lots. Yeah, so I guess someone. I wonder if anyone would just buy. Off, I wonder if actually anyone has offered a, sh, a, a shed load of money for them all before auction. I wonder if that's been a thing. Be interested to find out if some of them disappear before the auction. But who's going to buy them, Richard? People with loads of money. And um, spoons are going to come to you last. And so, do you think the sale of these will affect current values, or are they just such a high-end item anyway in such good condition and the volume it's not going to make any difference not going to make any difference at all richard so I, I, i've done a quick tot up you know so there's 450 figures you think yeah actually if they're all on the market at once they could they could affect value but actually looking so let's go for the 12 backs the majority of them there's eight of most of the 12 backs a few have fewer uh the vaders there's 12 of so we're, we're talking relatively low numbers and you think how many thousands of star wars card collectors there are 12 vaders how quickly would they be snapped up at market price if they're absolutely mint if they're graded the people that like graded will go for them they um absolutely yeah there's not going to affect the price at all there's not enough of them the the largest or the highest number of any figure there out of interest is the yoda there's 23 yodas which is uh, slightly odd, isn't it? Why, why are there so many Yodas? So maybe, you know, 
if they're all sold at the same time you you wouldn't shift all those in one go i don't think so if you but you would if you brought the price down but if you sat on that and sold them over a couple of years you're going to see no difference in price key one for us though there's three lobots uh it's such cool. a desired figure that nothing's going to happen to the prices on those i've got a lobot on a card believe it or not yeah i have and i'd like one Actually, I think I took you up on the uh, the Amazon Lobot. Oh. Actually, that annoyed me. Red card. Two. The second parcel arrived, uh, squashed like the first one. Did you get both they, refunded? Uh, the second one, it, it was marginal, so I just thought I'd keep it. I complained about the packaging, so they sent it in exactly the same packaging yeah. for the second one. They're idiots, aren't they? They are idiots. It's really frustrating. Oil Mail have standing instructions to crush all Lobots when they, whenever they see No, they sent it. <laughs> you yeah, for they, Amazon, Jason. <laughs> They sent them in envelopes. It's like, this is ridiculous. But, I mean, just just claim for all of anything like that. I just claim for more now. I've had dental picks arrive in bigger boxes. <laughs> yeah. that Lobot came in. I was just looking at those pictures, actually, of, of the figures. I noticed a couple of, do have, like, price labels on them. They're not all from mint boxes, are they? There's there's a, an Imperial, there's a Hoth Imperial bloke. Not Imperial. Hoth Rebel Commander. He's got a, a Toys R Us sticker on, I think. Is that the shrink nap, shrink wrapped name for them, Pete? The Hoth Imperial bloke. <laughs> yeah, bloke. And then there's a Lobot with a price sticker on, and there's a um, an EV99 with a price sticker on. Uh, there's a few. I mean, I'm not saying they were on the shelf, but because they they're, they look unpunched, I can't really see on the EV99 looks unpunched. But it might have just been you know that someone had just priced them up and shoved them back in the box kind of thing. But there's definitely a few price stickers. Not that it, that means anything. Just uh, I was intrigued. Some of the uh, some of the Empire figures are clearly from different issues as well, which is quite interesting, isn't it? There's like the uh, I think is it the Ugnaughts? Yeah, Ugnaughts on two different offer cards, Han Hoth on three different cards. So there's a bit of um, bit of mixing and matching as I get through the uh, the Empire phases. That's just they I guess are that, crazy. I guess that tallies with the um, story that we had from the auctioneer chat though that uh, um, this guy had bought some cases and put them away, um, and then added to them later. So the ones that you're referring to, the EV99s and the hand best bins and so on, could well have been bought in stores individually um, and then just shoved away with the rest. Yeah, and they're also... Ashton, there's, a, there's an unpunched Luke um, X-Wing pilot, but generally if they're unpunched, they are the Empire ones as well, and the, and the Jedi but the 12 backs with in the multiples, they're all unpunched. So that yeah, does work, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it just to see the slight, um, you know, yellowing on some things, even though they've been in boxes, there's little little bits, you know, some figures that are bubble still not going to degrade. And then on some figures like the, I think on the 12, well, I'm assuming they're 12 backs, tell me differently. But uh, they look so clear, like they've just come out, well, they have literally come out of a box. But it's funny, isn't it, how some of that plastic degrades and some doesn't. Doesn't matter where it is, just degrades. The moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. It's Star Wars, Richard. It must be worth a fortune. It must. Everything's worth loads of money these days. Oh, well, it certainly seems that way if you're going to auction, that's for sure. Um, so obviously, AX had their auction on the 15th and 16th of November 2022, and they've been, you know, quite famous i think for the rocket firing effects that they've been selling most recently um this one didn't have any rocket firing effects but for me had some incredible items that are 
probably, you know, far more rare than Rocket Fighting Fets. So, we'll start off with the first one, which is a carded action figure of Ben Kenobi with a DT lightsaber. And this sold for $79,178. <laughs> and I remember when one went for sale on Star Wars Forum UK, it was about £20,000 about 10 years ago. And it was how on earth, you know, are we hitting that amount? Um, but, you know, nearly $80,000, that is incredible. Um, and that's been stated as being the second highest price ever paid for any carded Star Wars figure. Well, well, it's about 80 grand these days in pounds now, Richard, was there yeah, with, our, with our pound. Yeah, uh, it's not I, too far. I, actually, you've missed the BBC News, and apparently the pound is uh, strengthened against the dollar in the last four years. Yeah, it's probably about 0.1 <laughs> half a penny or something. Uh, it's got to think, and I wonder what, what is the highest price? What would beat a carded DT Ben? Can't imagine anything like a Vix getting up that high or nothing like the Meccano Fett. Um, didn't, didn't something go for a hundred thousand or something? Oh, I yeah, think that's the Rocket Firing Fett. Yeah, that wasn't the recorded um, Rocket Firing Fett. It was a, a, a toy fair sample. Oh, or the toy like fair that. sample. Ah, that's a bit. That's a bit. Um, yeah, the, surely they kind of they kind of class that. Well, I suppose they could. Well, technically, it is. Technically isn't it? speaking, so yeah. Figure on a card, so. Right, moving down the list then, card of Sam Leo and Leo Endo and Hoth Stormtrooper card wearing the pink poncho, that went for a pretty impressive $42,000. The 12-back Vinyl Cave Jawa EFA 80 went for 26000 A prototype talking Yoda doll sold for 23600 A painted hard copy prototype 12-inch IG-D8 went for 23558 12-inch Han Solo doll with prototype ESB Hoth outfit for $15,930. And I actually thought that was... I wouldn't say it's cheap because, of course, it isn't cheap. But that was surprisingly lower than what I thought that would go for because um, I think that's a great um, costume in that figure. Power of the Force Anakin, AFA 75, as most of these are, um, just just over $14,000. And then over at Vectus Auctions from the 29th of September 2022... Um, auction we've got a tri-logo look stormtrooper but this was opened for 420 dollars uh, 420 pounds utterly crazy that utterly crazy loose little lady prune face ces80 for 340 power the force pop-up r2 for over a thousand pounds tri-logo r5d4 for 500 droids a-wing pilot for a thousand droids r2 for 1200 droid c3po for a thousand Droid Sissy Form for 2000, Tri Logo Prune Face Mint Accord for 320, Palatoid Deathstar for 1500, Kenna 77 Back Luke Hoth for 420, Tri Logo Power the Force and People Sniper for 600, a Kenna Turret Probot CES 65 for 440 pounds, and Loose EV 99 EFA 90 for 380 pounds. Now, when you compare that with the Tri Logo Mint Accord which went for 220 and the Power the Force Mint Accord for 340, utterly bonkers just don't get it totally bonkers and then heading over to eastbourne auctions a lot of loose three loose figures two fets one was clearly repainted and an a-wing pilot with a blue blaster 680 pounds i mean who's paying that and a lot of weapons and accessories some are clearly fake yeah two thousand two hundred and fifty pounds people, now, guys, people straight away people would go, just on, go, please, go they're, for they're, it. they're mostly fake how who's one, why is the auction not bringing that up and checking? And two, who's paying that money? I mean, they didn't even look, did they? Because it was, I mean, even me who's rubbish about things like that, even I could see the fake rubbish in there. So why is someone paid two and a half grand? I'm, 
Is that with fees? Um, that one was not with fees, no. Are they, are they paying it? I mean, how does it work if you just put in a load of spurious bids on one of these online auctions? And I know they have to take your card details. Can they, if you say I'm not paying, what what legal recourse is there from the auction house? I think it depends on what, yeah. I think it depends just, on what you've got. Um, so I, I've been to the auctions and I've been to lots of computer auctions. And normally um, you put down a deposit or something and you, you can lose it if, you, if you're doing spurious bidding, you know. I think if you accidentally do it, I've seen someone and he's, you know, he was just getting carried away and got stupid and didn't realise that uh, the auctioneer had gone into thousands. <laughs> it's just like, what's this guy doing? He's gone way over. And uh, there was a bit of a fight in the office when he said, you know, that he was going to lose his deposit. Uh, you have to put like, like £220 deposit. So I, I bid on online auctions a fair bit. You know, just put silly bids in, forget about it, very rarely win. And sometimes they have to take like, a pound just to confirm yeah, the card yeah. details, but they don't take a deposit. No. Particularly, you know, those two auctions, no one's taking deposits for them because no one's expecting them to go no. anywhere near that high. I want just someone larking about drunk or um, just being mischievous, really. Uh, no one's paying that for those weapons, are they? Well, a bunch of, I mean, you know, I deal on eBay all day, and the amount of time someone does not read any part of the listing, buys the item, you send it to them, and then they want to send it back at your cost because they haven't read the listing. So I'm assuming that people are just stupid and don't read listings. You know? Don't forget, though, that in an auction format, you need two people to bid up to that level. Yeah. So unless there's two something funny going on, and well, either two morons or could it be something like money laundering? Is there something dodgy going on where you, you know, you, you've got two people working in cahoots bidding up to a stupid price? But is it just some people are just not just don't understand that there's fake weapons out there? Because it didn't say fake weapons, did it? No, no, of course it didn't. So, you yeah, know, so you're not spending two grand on anything Star Wars without having some idea what you're bidding on, are you? Well, I guess if if they'd all been genuine, because there was a lot of them, wasn't there? You're going way over two thousand. So you, you take basically someone just hedging their bets. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if you if people go, oh yeah, weapons are worth loads of money, and you tell your mate, oh, you you wanted a bunch of weapons to complete your collection and flog the rest off. I mean, I so said if they were all genuine, it was worth far more than two thousand pounds because there was all sorts of blasters and stuff in there worth. You know, these days people are paying, you know, almost a hundred pounds for a layer blaster. So if you got three or four of those, you're halfway there. Well, what about speculators then? You know, these people who've just basically said to the auction houses, "There's fifty grand in my money, just buy whatever," and then sell it six months later. Could this not just be all part of that? And it's I, I can see that. For, I can see that for Hakes, Richard, definitely. And, and those prices, although they are crazy, they're, they're very special items, aren't they? Um, I mean, that one that caught my eye is obviously the 12-inch Han Solo with Hoth outfit. I suspect we know who's who's put that up for sale. Um, in fact, if anything, that actually seems not not reasonable. There's no way I'm spending 16 grand on something, but compared to some prices. It doesn't actually seem that bad. People pay that for a Palatoy carded figure, don't they, these days? It's, uh, it seems um, some crazy money. Yeah, it's, it's the lower end stuff. So the Vectis stuff, again, is some silly prices there. Are they are they speculators as well, or is that just people getting caught up in the, in the excitement of it all? I mean, there definitely is, a, there is an excitement factor, isn't there, being part of that 
online bidding process. Someone's... Yeah, it'd be interesting to have a chat with Nick Dykes, wouldn't it? And just sort of see if he's able to say who some of their bidders are, you know, where, whether it is investors, whether it's new, brand new collectors, um, or as, as you say, is it people that Nick would know, you know, people that like the likes of us just getting absolutely carried away with the bidding. Just go back to that weapons lot then. So I've got it up here. There's not, I mean, is there two thousand pounds worth of value there? I mean, there's one. T- there's there's, there's a um, an A wing. No, it's not. It's not a black, is it? That's blue. Oh no, there was a A wing piloty blaster. I think. Can't quite see it, but I mean that's a hundred pounds straight away if it's genuine. There's a. I think that's a pop of R2 lightsaber. I can't quite make it out. But that's. Well, three, four hundred pounds these days, isn't it? If if that was genuine. Uh, there's one, two, three, four, four or five layer blasters. I can see one is definitely black. You know, cloaks ain't worth that much. Is there anything there ridiculously worth it? Any value? There's all the blasters there, but let's say there's several of fakeish. Well, it's, yeah. the, it's the fake, I suppose it's the fake Bib Fortuna, isn't it? So, Absolutely. Um, a Bib Fortuna red coat. I mean, we all know about the Lily Lady um, red coat Bib, but it's not shocking bright pillar box red like this no. one is. It's, it's much more of a dark maroon colour, so um, that's an obvious fake. The other, the other absolute giveaway, bottom right, is the... Ewok bow, which yeah, is cast yeah. in a, in a grey plastic, and of course they never came in grey. Um, those lightsabers also look very suspect to me. I mean, there's there's an R2 pop-up lightsaber in there. Um, I have made doubts as to whether those are legit. So what I'm going to do, I've got a box of uh, repro weapons I bought years ago <laughs> for for reference. I'm, I'm sticking them on an auction house. Yeah. Yeah, I set fast some years ago. I should have kept them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, if they were all genuine, right, and, and ignore the cloak thing, because that's just nonsense. But if all those weapons are genuine, is the two the grand's worth of value there, do you reckon? You know, plus fees. I'm not. What's, what is the most expensive weapon? A, le- a layer blaster there? No, or the pop-up the saber? E-wing, no, no, no. The black earwing blaster. No, no, the pop-up saber. No, the, the, yeah, pop-up saber. Pop-up saber. That's, nah. that's, that, 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 yeah, it is. It's going for like three or four hundred pounds on its own. What a load of crap. It's not, it's Richard, seriously, I'm not kidding. No, they're, they're, they're selling. Yeah, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. A pop-up uh, saber now, uh, with an pop saber, you were talking 400 quid. And people are just going, the saber, I'm sure one went recently for 380 on one of the groups. Someone paid 308 pounds for a pop-up saber on its own. That is just ridiculous values now. The, uh, the yeah, the Lear blasters, you know, getting close. I mean, some people, you probably get that for 100 quid. Um, There's at least one black um, pilot blaster. Yeah. Which is so what are they going odd. for? Hundred, hundred, or a little bit yeah, more? Yeah, a bit more. So, this, but I mean, so, you know, on on first glance, soon as soon as I saw this photo, I thought, oh, pilot repro. But even with all that, you see, you I, yeah. just the ones you've said, which are the high end ones, pushing a grand on them. Are they, is is even the rest of it? If it was, no, I don't think it is. Coming it close is. to another grand? No, I don't think it is either. No. I think it's way off. I think you said with the expensive ones, all the rest, you know, the the Dengar, sabers a bit more, but the rest is sort of five or each. Jawa Jawa blasters can go for a little bit, you know, decent money these days. You can probably get twenty pounds on a Jawa blaster, maybe a bit more. Um, Richard probably disagree, but that's that's that is the crazy world of, yeah. of weapons these days. But I mean, there's several mini no um, 
uh, ATST cannons, isn't there? Is that, it's an ATST cannon. Yeah, ATST as uh, speeder bike flap. Actually, there's quite a few layer guns. So what have we got? For at least four, four oh, or okay. five. So that's five yeah, hundred. Yeah, you, you're having to do the work to get the money out of it, aren't you? Yes. Well, you, I don't think you get your money back. Yeah, don't for, don't forget, of course, that you have to add buyer's premium onto that. Well, exactly. So exactly. you've got two, another... 2,250. You've got an extra 550-odd um, in, uh, in in buyer's premium. So well, just to find pr- out the person who, who owned that, and, and, and there's, a, there's a non-style, there's a G.I. Joe backpack there with a collar thing on. Yeah, I wondered what that was. <laughs> because I, I got something a lot aged, I, I, and Dave Tree sort of filled me in on what I had. I had a bunch of... Is it, is it G.I. Joe, was it... Or was it A-Team? Eight, eight. It doesn't... I think it's more likely G.I. Joe 8 looks a bit complicated for A-Team. Yeah. But yeah, it, I mean, that's not even a Star Wars thing. So there's, you know, that, that is a really... Someone's... <laughs> Someone's been right ripped off there if they've actually paid for it. The two, I mean, uh, the two loot blasters for Jedi blasters are different colours. Is that a, would that be real or is that variations? I know there's a there is a couple of, but don't quote me on what they are. I know there's a couple of different colours, isn't there? There's one for the Lando General. No, these, it's not. They're both grey. Sort of two different types of grey: dark grey and light grey. Oh, there's down there. Okay, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's also one hidden. Oh, there is behind. a there is a black yeah, there's a black yeah. one, isn't there? A Lando one. Yeah, so I mean, so if, even then, if you got the top price paid, you, I don't think you're getting near to two thousand two hundred. Well, let's say two thousand five hundred, really, with the fees and all that sort of stuff. Uh, there isn't that value there, so someone has just there's something got wrong there. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range: fifteen minutes. Right, Cassian's Climax. It's all over, Rich. Well, not for you, but for us, it's all over. No, I'm going to have to duck out this conversation because I haven't watched the final episode of Cassian. But the reason why I'm going to stop in there is because it says, and also the Tales of the Jedi. Um, And I've got to say, the Tales of the Jedi, meh. What? Absolute rubbish. Drivel. One or two couple of good moments in there, but a completely forgettable series that just wasn't needed um Dave Filoni is in danger of ruining some of the characters that he has you know created who are going down quite well but uh yep I'll leave it over to you guys in to discuss the second <laughs> half of the series the only input I'm going to give is that for me the second arc um was far far better than the first arc take it away boys just what whilst you're still there Rich um Tales of the Jedi I can't agree more I thought it was you know it interesting in passing but i don't know whether i'd ever watch them again but a million times better than grogu and the dust bunnies did anybody see that the little short oh my god <laughs> was that no. dreadful <laughs> that sounds dreadful just it was in the what grogu and the dust bunnies have you dreamt this it's a, no it's a little two or three minute short go have a look on disney plus it's there no. right, it's it, rem- Andor, it reminds oh, me please. of those hungarian or those eastern european cartoons that used to get on the bbc back in the 70s that were just incomprehensible a little naked mole yeah things like that or egbert was it or dilbert or something or oh. goran goran bookenstager or that show was that ridiculous yeah. show depression show right let's talk about andor because yeah. richard will come back and he'll get sport right so it's all over andor has ended and i think it was one of those shows where we had when it started or when it was being we were told it was going to happen everyone just went no interest at all because it was like a character no one really gave too much of a hoot about it was a good film rogue one but, you know, Andor wasn't the character everyone 
went nuts on. His action figures never sold. They became peg warmers. It, it wasn't a character that I would give two hoots about. But then that usually happens, isn't it? A show is talked about. Um, it was always rumoured that it was probably going to be the best show ever because that's how these things work when there was a, no one's up for it. And I think it's been absolutely brilliant. I think it's been a novel on screen. It's been beautifully thought out. It's been beautifully put together. It looks great. Uh, there's a few little bits and pieces which are a bit, a bit annoying. Um, and I think they probably got wrong. But the big thing they got wrong was they didn't start with an explosive start because if people are going to get into the series, they're going to watch the first couple of episodes and they're going to be a little bit disappointed and wonder why people are talking about it. But obviously, if you like a novel, you don't put it down after the first two chapters if it's a bit naff. You stick with it and hope that, you know, come halfway through, it gets better and, and drags you in. And that's exactly what the series did. So I think it's absolutely fantastic. I think it's one of the best series. It's in my top five series of all time of ever, anything because I've been totally and utterly swept away by it. Um, but it did start slowly. And um, Disney, to try and haul back a bit of the popularity, have actually sold the show to just, just the first two episodes, have sold to other channels to try and get people in. But I don't think the first two episodes are going to drag people in. But uh, right, thoughts, guys. I, I, I think the way it ended, the last, very last scene was just perfect. It was chef's kiss. Mwah, perfect. What do you guys think? Spoons, come on. You always got something to say about this. Yeah, um, totally agree with you, Pete. So I wasn't gripped by by the first half at all. I enjoyed it. It's Star Wars. It's interesting. I think I said at the time it felt like an HBO drama, but I'd seen far better HBO dramas without the Star Wars, and I didn't didn't need that by the end. I totally agree. I I, I have not been that gripped by a television program for ages i keep saying it. i've not long finished the sopranos absolutely love the sopranos i wasn't sitting on the edge of my seat through sopranos it's brilliantly written and and well told really bought into the characters but this was you know and we know that andor survives you know he's he's in the next film and you still what's going on what's going on it was just absolutely fantastic um, I mentioned to you before we all started recording my daughter watching one of the episodes and asking why her heart was racing at the end of it because <laughs> it's because it's that tense. It's just it was so well done. Yeah, ab- absolutely brilliant. And I, I seem to say this after every Star Wars series. <laughs> That's my favourite one. Yeah, of all time. I think they're going to be hard pressed to top this. I'm going to be interesting. I'm going to watch it again because watching the the first half, I think with the second half in mind i probably appreciate it more um i actually watched the trailer after a finish today and that was very interesting because there's quite a few spoilers in there actually if you if if your memory is better than mine and the little lad throwing his bomb in and that that's in there and um mom mosma's uh sister i'm rubbish at names sister hanging out with her and things so it's um yeah it's it's, uh yeah it's kind of few spoilers in there but yeah really really good and, and it'd be interesting i mean i watching something like uh, book of boba fett after this i think i'll be very bored very quickly well i think it's more so i think we said last time you know this is a novel that was a comic that was a, a throwaway comic just lots of crazy scenes stuck together with lots of famous characters right so mr preston i wanted to ask you actually because you're you have a kind of like a link into many actors and stuff um, did you think the acting in this show was absolutely one of the best Star Wars performances? Because I think like Mon Moth and Genevieve Riley, 
I mean, she kind of had a good spell, and then I think the last couple of episodes have been staggering in her performance in her how she's kind of sold her family down the uh, down the line. I mean, what, what do you think overall the acting? Do you think it's, it was a bit naff or or brilliant? I mean, how, how do you see it? Yeah, I I think it's been absolutely outstanding. Uh, and some real good character moments as well. Probably the three standouts. There, there were there were three soliloquies, three um, moments where you've got a character giving a speech. The ones that stand out, you've got Kino Loy, uh, Andy Circus in Narkina 5, when he's speaking over the loudspeaker, he's encouraging the uh, prisoners to revolt. That was superb. That was, uh, you know, goosebumps. Luthan talking to, I can't remember his name, the ginger-haired um, ISB chap who was the rebel mole. That was a fantastic speech. I was going to say Marva at the end, her hologram recorded um, before her death. That was a really good speech. Uh, but also Claire talking to Vel in Luthan's shop. Um, and she had a really good little speech uh, about what she'd given up and what she was fighting for. That uh, shop, Andy, that, let's stop you know, that shop has caused the most, I mean, online, the most intrigue I've ever seen. Every single thing that appears in that shop is getting analysed to the nth degree. You know, some of the stuff in there is from, you know, legend stories that have appeared in comics and all sorts. Everything. That show, I've never seen a show where where people are stopping that and they're freeze framing it and they're grabbing it and they go, oh, that's the helmet from, you know, Hoo-Ha McNulty from the Legends series of comics. It has been, I mean, they, they know what they were doing with that shop with Star Wars fans, weren't they? Oh, absolutely. The the Rebel Force radio guys have been getting very excited about that. <laughs> uh, no, it's good. Lots of lots of little Easter eggs in there. Um, it was and nice Andy, to... can I just go, yeah. go back a bit to your speeches? Do you, do you have a favourite speech? out of those favorite out of all of them probably luthans yeah because i because i thought today uh marva harry potter's aunt she <laughs> that was just absolutely brilliant I, I thought the others were good but i i thought that she delivered that so well and it's particularly as she's hologram as well um yeah it's just uh, that it's just another level but anyway yeah I'll, <laughs> I'll let you go on no, no, outstanding. And, the, you know, again, the acting throughout has been really, really good. Uh, nice to see um, a mainly British cast. That's uh, that, That's been really good. And to see well, some of the Scottish British people British. like Jason. Well, the, I... the, one, the one thing I would do is uh, I'd, I'd, I'd make a film of it and I'd start at the point at which Andor gets arrested to the point at which he breaks out and then stick on the, the post credit scene on the end. I think that would be a kick-ass film. Prison Break. Yeah, I mean that works as its own little um, episode within the series, doesn't it? It's it's, it's own little tale. They said that, that they were making several story arcs and sort of piecing them together. So yeah, I was going there. Yeah, that that was unexpected and brilliant at the same time. And that was yeah the the way they pieced together that whole prison break. So they had to convince that Kino Loy character to be with them, even though they were planning their own kind of like heist or escape or whatever without him. And when they finally got on board, it wasn't just, hey, let's run out. OK, you know, the way that the show convinced him, the way they showed that the, you know, it was done over several episodes as well. It wasn't just in an afternoon. It was done. He had to be convinced of his own own, you know, mortality. Basically, you won't get out, mate. You're going to die here. And when it clicked in him and that scene when he's walking down the corridor right at the end of the show and uh, Cassian asks him for about the fifth time how many people on each level and he finally gives in. I mean, that was just that was heart wrenching and also kind of like, I don't know, it was just empowering, wasn't it? It's like finally he's bought in. 
he's on board because he kind of liked him, didn't you? Because he he was just doing what he was supposed to do to get out of there, and he didn't want it to be ruined. And when he when he realised he wasn't going to get out ever, then we, we don't actually know what happened to his character in the end. Because he said, "Oh, I can't swim," and yeah. then that was the last time you saw him. So oh yeah, we see him again. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to see him again next series. I'm sure. So, Jason, what's the legacy of the show? Do you think for 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 Star Wars ongoing and just for Star Wars watching? Because it hasn't been well received, if figure wise, as in in people watching it. But I think it. Do you reckon it might pick up over the next? You know, now it's all out. I think people will binge watch it. The the word of mouth will help it. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, it's it's still when when people binge watch they they watch a few episodes and if it doesn't grab them they they move on it's always going to have that problem that it's it's got a weak start so you know that, that that that's the issue with it but if you can get past the first few episodes it's just it just builds and builds and it's fantastic and it's a kind of completely you know all all the kind of series we've seen it's all it's all very kind of cartoony and Jedi's and and you know lightsabers and stuff and there's none of that in this. It's um it's really gritty and it's really real. Do you think think Luthen is something or other because he's got a kind of a lightsaber hilt with him, hasn't he? Do you reckon that's that's going to lead to something? It obviously is going to lead to something because they keep saying we we should reveal ourselves kind of oh, thing. So, so was his spaceship? Did that not have lightsabers coming out the side of it? <laughs> well, exactly. That's, well, they were I mean, more like lasers, weren't they? Kind of they like... were, but they were very lightsaber, weren't they? Because they came, they stuck out. They didn't go on forever. Yeah. I think they just came you, out and they chopped people the up. Me- you can see the pitch meeting for this when they were doing it. They were going right. We're not going to have we're not going to have any Jedi Jedi powers. We're not having any lightsabers. It's just going to be hard gritty, you know, about about how ruthless the Empire can be. You know, that, but, I mean, Luther and his friend Vel, or it was his daughter, or whatever, and they're all they're all linked. Sorry, they're all linked in some way, aren't they? So, uh, you know, you know, speculation of what Luther is. I think he's going to be um, a little bit like um, Max von Sydow's character in Force Awakens. It's going to be kind of like a keeper of the Force or keeper of Jedi or something or other. I mean. Um, and then my wild speculation is, is he's an acolyte of the Emperor, but I don't know. <laughs> Do you know what? It actually annoyed me a bit today. I mean, there's so little that has annoyed me. I thought last week's episode was a little bit filler, but threw in a nice space battle. So that was great. But Luthen today, he's he doesn't want to be recognised. He's on a planet where everyone's wearing kind of muted pastel browns. And he's dressed like like <laughs> Luke Skywalker in his black Jedi robes. Um, and you know, Cyril. I mean, I know he wouldn't appreciate that Cyril's there. I, I mean, I thought that I thought Cyril was going to recognise him. I thought that was a really clear plot, you know, turn, but didn't didn't happen. So I was quite pleased, really, because it was probably a bit obvious. Yeah, it was, I, I did find it a bit odd that, that Luthen did go to that planet. I and mean, be so conspicuous. Yeah, but also, I mean, you know, that little, I mean, you know, as a criticism of that last episode, I mean, you had Sinta, you had Val, all, all, you know, going to kill Andor. So why did Luther need to be there? Did, and and also, all the, all, all those people that were going to kill Andor were all these new people in a in a town where everyone knows each other, <laughs> wandering around on their own, following each other for the most part. So although, bit, although I could have done that because, I mean, people were being drawn in to, for the funeral, weren't they? So um, I guess you would know each other in, in a small area, wouldn't you? But then people they'd coming been, in. They've been hanging. So most of them have been hanging around for a while. But also, you know, there's there's plenty of, as it shows, into killing that Imperial guy who was yeah. following her. 
I mean, you know, I, I, people look around and go, that must be an imperial person. And if I do anything, I'm going to get shot. So, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I didn't quite see why Luthen had to be there. To sort maybe, of like, maybe he didn't, maybe he doesn't trust the others, but it is, uh, it was, it was good. The, the only other thing that, um, and it not, not related specifically to Andor, and I'm sure we might have talked about this before, is the Shadow Troopers. Shadow Troopers are great, but, there's there's that sort of issue where you have to have something new in each Star Wars thing. I can't remember where Shadow Troopers first appear. Was it in fact Rogue One? It was, yeah. Well, the Death Troopers. Death, Death Troopers. Troopers. Um, so, there, yeah. but you know, we never see them again, do we? In the trilogy, that that kind of stuff. You know, why? They probably died. It's called Death Troopers. <laughs> so it's clues in the name. But I do, yeah. I mean, I do like the fact they do have different. Uh, um, you know, I mean, ever since the Imperials, the hot stormtrooper, we've had you know variations of the the kind of the same thing, which I like. You know, to do all the conditions. I mean, you had the guys from Scarif, those troopers, and, and they. Yeah, that, that's well. that's fine. But the Death Troopers are a kind of elite troopers, and all the battles we've we've seen, but they've not have had some elite troopers on the Death Star. I mean, I have no idea. The argument they let them escape. But anyway, you'll, yeah, going, you'll probably see them appearing on on a, on the next of you know, release of Star Wars on Disney Plus. They'll be like in the background of a CGI'd in, yeah. But yeah, I mean, what about the ending? I thought I thought the ending was fantastic. We actually left. I mean, they can actually leave it there. To be fair, they don't even they don't even need to do a season two because there's obviously loads of loose ends which Star Wars loves because they can go and do comics and other series. Um, I still so I was still a little bit disappointed with the whole Cinta Vel kind of thing. It didn't really go anywhere. They're sort of packing up and going. You know, um, Luthen could have just done it on his own. It almost felt like it was two characters just doing a job, and then there wasn't any conclusion for them. I still, I'm still very awkward with um, the Cyril and uh, what's her name, Dedra. I mean, he's, they seem to be he's stalker, isn't he? That was yeah. stalking. Yeah, but that, but she was almost like you know looking at him like, oh yeah, well, hello. and it was, it was a little bit. Oh, I, I thought if they kiss, I'm turning this off. Well, that's, I, I that's, thought that's she was going to kill him actually, because I, was I thought she'd you know, kill him. Because she she and her way, you know, he is a bit of a creep. Obviously, she likes likes the attention a bit. But the shame of being rescued by yeah. someone as lowly as him, I did wonder if she didn't want anyone to but know. But it was that. in private, though, wasn't it? So that it, no one's going to say, oh, you were rescued by him. But you see, now she's got a problem to deal with him because she, she kind of owes him, really. But so. Yeah, there's but, um, definitely, yeah. definitely going to be payoff in the next series for that. Because the next series is supposed to be three proper arcs with time in between each one. So it's supposed to be the, the I think it's now, was it five, that was five years back before Yavin. So the, each of the next arcs are going to be a year in between each one leading up to the events of Rogue One, allegedly. That's what, that's what's been put out there. Uh, <clears throat> but what about the last scene? I mean, I thought it, I thought it finished. Yeah, the end credit scene. I thought that, that finished off everything really nicely for that series. Yeah, the fact that that Cassandra has been building the Death Star, which I knew, I just knew those things were going to be part of the Death Star. I thought, you know, those those expandable plastic things you get in, you know, doctors' surgeries and stuff. So you see, so you you pull them out and they expand to it. And was, I thought it was going to be the, those joints for the Death Star building the actual shape. Of the Death Star, I didn't realise I actually got that far along with it, but um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was a lovely way to tie Endor into the wider Star Wars universe because, as somebody said earlier, uh, they took great pains with this show not to include Jedi and um, you know big space battles. You know, it, yeah. it really wasn't like anything we've seen before. 
But then to get that final shot and to see what the Empire's been building on Narkina 5 and presumably on many, many planets like that in the galaxy, and to see that the big plan is coming together, you know, it, 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 it kind of brought that one little story out into the big Star Wars universe. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I, it'd be interesting to see if they... I, I would actually like to see little tiny... didn't have to be an actual um you know scene but be quite fun especially with Mon Mothma and uh you know we've got uh, yeah we have had the Death Star in there now and and things which I don't think Andor really does anything with the Death Star until Rogue One anyway so it'd be it doesn't really matter that was kind of like a ha that's what you've been building ha 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 but it'd be interesting to see if they do have like background shots of Darth Vader and the Emperor in the background just kind of like walking off from a scene that'd be quite fun to have little tiny mini background cameos for for things um, but it'd be quite interesting to see if, if they actually do go and actually have an episode with Darth Vader doing something. You reckon they might do? Anyone? Jason, you reckon Darth Vader might make an appearance in season two know, or the Emperor? How many years before before uh, Rogue One are we now? Well, it's five years before about that, five that, years. That Death Star looked pretty much finished. Yeah, but... Well, yeah, I was surprised how. But I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that that was that was that in that case. It just. I think it was. It could have just been a shot from any time zone. Yeah, yeah. So you could you could you could just say it's it's showing you how they were used. It maybe isn't at because that. they didn't put it in the actual show. I think it was just more of a like a little side thing, like like, like you would do, like, you know, like you would do in a comic or a, a book right. or something. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So there's, also, was... there's also a lot of um, kind of interior decorating to do before that's ready. <laughs> it could just be the <laughs> shell. Yeah, could be. Yeah, I mean, it could just be. But I mean, I thought that it, that they were put didn't they? Were they putting in the gun or the 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 weapon in were, Rogue yeah. One? So yeah, well, that's the last. That's okay. It just slots into place, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So the thing, with, think, the, the thing with the other Death Star that the that we see in Return of the Jedi, I always thought that needed a bit of car tape on it, <laughs> just to just to kind of patch up the the bits which weren't weren't quite finished. So. Well, actually, I mean, they started building that. I mean, how how many years between? The end of the first Death Star to Return of the Jedi. I mean, they must have must have had that on the go at some stage. They, they, they might have been building a couple at the same time. What do you reckon? Because isn't the second one supposed to be bigger? Yeah, the second one's substantially bigger than the first one. Yeah. So, I mean, how many years is that? How many years passes between? It's not that many years, is it? It's only two, three or four, is it? Three or four years? Not sure. Yeah. yeah. But then they've already built one by then, haven't they? So they know what they're doing and uh, they've got all the technology tested. So it is, but it's still a big project. If you're if you're making something bigger, I reckon that okay, we'd be interested. If they they do actually uh, ever get to that stage of hang on a minute and they build another one. <laughs> How many Death Stars we got going on? But obviously that wasn't the second one because obviously it hadn't been fully built. But so I mean overall, guys, overall, I mean, is this a show you might go back and watch again? Or I mean, I'll probably watch it. I probably uh, bought watching two pieces with someone who probably hasn't watched it, but uh, I'll, I'll definitely go back and I watched the first series of The Mandalorian twice, and that so far that's the only one. And I did like the other Mandalorian ones. It's just it's just time, but of it everything, this yeah, I'm I'm really keen to watch this again soon. Yeah, me too, hundred um, percent. Definitely rewatchable. Um, and I think I'll probably get more out of it the second time round because um, there, there's a, a lot of times that you're sort of watching it and thinking, oh, well, you know, what, what happened in that show then? And knowing where all the threads are ending up, I think it would give you a greater appreciation of some of those um, episodes where it didn't move along quite so quickly. 
So, uh, yeah, very rewatchable. I'm hoping as well that, uh, again, as as you said at the outset, it's not got the wide critical acclaim that it probably deserves. Uh, or they, well, actually, I think the critics... No, I think the critical claim, yeah, the critical claim is high. It's, it's not it, got the viewing figures, but yeah. I'm hoping that word of mouth will spread and that it will, you know, it, it'll be a, a slow burner, but it'll get there in the end. I hope it does, because I'd love to see more like this. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. Fabulous. Not not a good, but fabulous four-pack find, Richard. This looks very bizarre, <laughs> I've got to say. Well, I'm, I'm glad we've covered this because I spotted this as well. So Torsten Lafos over in Best of Prime had posted a photograph of a German four-pack. And he said he's never seen this before. Can anyone provide any details? Or is it a fake? Or is it a custom? And who's put this in the text chat? Um, Andy Preston, is it you? I did, Rich, yeah. What this is is a four-pack very similar to the Irish three-packs that uh, a lot of our listeners will be familiar with. So the three-packs are within a carded surround, and I think, does it say space figures? Is that the, uh, yeah, so it says space figures at the top, and then you've got a, a sort of blister containing three figures, um, a, a really random assortment, uh, with or without weapons, and as I say, they're, they're not common by any means, but you know you you do see them around. This thing looks very similar in style. You again got the cardboard surround, but it's got um, a, a sort of red upper and a blue lower part of the card. Two yellow flashes, top right and top left, which say special offer, uh, and it says action figures, um, and the blister is obviously that bit bigger to accommodate four figures. So, in reply to Torsten's post in Bespin Prime, Richard Temple came on and said, oh, yes, it's one of those Irish charity shop clearance things. Vince Healy came back, you know, these, they, those were usually three-packs. I've never seen one like this before. And then John J. Lennon, who is an Irish collector, he said uh, the one that was pictured was actually his. Um, he'd recently purchased. He said um, these were originally packed with Action Force figures. Then they sold them with combinations of Action Force and Star Wars figures, and in the end, they packed them just with Star Wars figures. Now, as I'd expected someone to pick up, James Gallo said that uh, one of the big issues with the Irish packs is that the figures can very easily be removed, and he would have concerns that someone had flipped Action Force with Star Wars, obviously much more collectible, and Star Wars than Action Force, much more valuable. Um, and we, you know, we, we know occasions where the Irish three packs have been opened and different figures substituted to make a more attractive combination, um, and uh, you know they've, they've they've been quite rightly queried. Um, so John's come back. He said um, that's true. He said, but most tampered items. Um, have had Fets and Vaders and things put in them, not bottom-of-the-line figures. And I should say, the, the one that's pictured in this example, um, you know, they're not the most desirable figures in the world. You've got the Emperor, you've got Bib Fortuna, C-3PO with removable limbs and his, uh, his, his backpack, his bag, uh, and then a B-Wing pilot. It doesn't look as if there's any weapons at all in there. So John says it's not been tampered with, uh, later versions of these had them with four Star Wars figures. Obviously, they'd run out of Action Force and they used Star Wars. Uh, I've seen the Action Force ones before. I've also spoken to other Irish collectors who've seen them with the Star Wars combination. 
uh, and with all Star Wars. They've got nothing to gain by telling me this. And he says they are far rarer than the three-figure combination. So have any of you guys ever seen one of these before? Well, nope. I've never seen the four-pack, but for you to say you can't see any weapons in there, Bibrov Juna's staff is like 18 foot tall and is very prominent in there. Um, equally, you've got the removable bag from well, three and on, well. Yeah, but but those those aren't weapons, are they, Rich? Well, if well you, that stuff's quite <laughs> weapony. If, if you if you treat these like the um, the KB two packs, where they're they're ripping them off, try logos to repackage them cheaply. I assume that's the principle behind the three packs and these four packs. Is C three PO's uh, backpack not a weapon, Richard? Yes. Uh, is that in a baggie? Because that's that's how they came when they're coming off the card, aren't they? They weren't packaged loose; they were in a little bag. Can we can we tell from that photo? Doesn't look like it. No, I thought it's that. And also the bag. argument. I mean, I'm not saying it is fair. I know nothing about these, so no position of authority. But the argument that they're low, you know, they're they're not desirable figures means therefore it's more likely to be real doesn't hold up because if you wanted to make a convincing fake you put low value figures in it because then it looks more convincing so I, I it, you can say anything about the figures that are in there because they're removable you, you can't really say one way or another whether they're the ones that were in there in the first place yeah the but the argument jason from uh, john j lennon is that the most tampered sets have fets and vaders in that because this doesn't have have them, therefore it's more likely to be genuine. That's true if you're trying to maximise your bucks if you're faking something. But if you're trying to make, I'm not suggesting John J. Lennon's doing this by any means, but if you're trying to make a convincing fake, you might put the most bog standard figures you can find in there because then it looks like proper overstock. And but yeah, I genuinely don't know, and and I suspect we never will. But what we do need is more examples i'd say that's always uh, the convincer isn't it yeah on, on the same thread somebody posted a picture of the same set but with four action force figures in so it's clearly something that was around um in ireland and uh, just for those that don't know the irish three packs as spoon said earlier um they were basically overstock figures either carded or baggied that were sent to ireland and they were donated to charity um i think it was was it a, a church charity a nun's charity and the, the the charity basically ripped them off the cards ripped open the baggies put them in these new cards and flogged them out cheap to make some money um and i guess these four packs are the same thing but yeah as to whether it's legit i don't know got no experience with these before never seen one before um but certainly um john j lennon um, who's commented there knows far more about the irish market than i do and, and there's no reason they wouldn't be legit as well. That's that's worth mentioning because because they are just made by taking stuff off cards and repackaging them. Why not do it with any toys if that's what you're doing? You know, that's, there is that point to make. Save space as well, isn't it? If you've got loads of carded figures in boxes, you rip the cards up and shove them in those. Rebel base, one minute and closing. Right, con catch-up. Uh, I'm assuming Jason has put his beard back on and gone full Thor on this thing. Yeah, I was at uh, London Film and Comic Con uh, Winter um, last weekend. Um, it, I, I kind of decided to go, kind of like I say, at the last minute. I kind of decided to buy a ticket on the Friday for the for the weekend. The Saturday was sold out, so I got a Sunday ticket. 
in terms of what there was there, there was, you know, there's, it's principally a show for people to go and go and get autographs and uh, pictures with like big name guests. So there were, there were quite a lot of Doctor Who guests, big name Doctor Who guests there. Uh, Michael Ironside was there, but there was um, a good good selection of um, lesser known um, Star Wars guests there. There were you know normal selection of stormtroopers. There was Malcolm Sinclair who's uh, in Andor, and I think there were a couple of other Andor actors there as well. There wasn't any um, Star Wars zone this time, but uh, Dave Tree was there. I had a good night with Dave Tree. He's um, going to be um, by the time this show comes out, he'll probably have organized all the things for farthest from so i had a good chat with him and um jamie woolard was there with a big wall of um, vintage items for sale so it was nice having a chat with him and i saw jez obviously talking to him about he, what he's doing next for his running stormtrooper and then uh, cosplayers there was you know cause I, I was there cosplaying um um, the Fat Thor or Bro Thor or the Mighty Thor. Anyway, I, I was I was in one of the um, costumes from Avengers Endgame where he, he he sits in a chair in a cardigan and a pair of sunglasses and doesn't really do very much. So I cosplayed that and I went into the masquerade and for my skit I just basically got a I got a chair stuck in the middle of the stage and then sat on it motionless for about half a minute. Uh, which everyone <laughs> what a skit, Jason. Everyone what thought it was absolutely hilarious. I, I didn't win a prize, but, you know, everybody enjoyed the skit and that's the main thing. Jason, so, just out of interest, these, now I've noticed with like MCM Comic Con in Birmingham, they, they, they do one like a few days later from London, that it's, it seems to have changed a lot, these things. I mean, I used to go to these, these events just purely to go around the stores and buy tat. But it seems, I mean, from what my you know, friends who have gone, that it is far more cosplay event now than than. Uh... Um, MCM is the, is the premier cosplay event, uh, you know, London Film Comic Con to a lesser extent. But they do have a cosplay masquerade, and there's you know there's lots of costuming groups there, and they have a cosplay zone, and and there were some really good, you know, as long you know as well as the kind of you know the you know there was obviously there was you know a big big tall Chewbacca. Lots of Imperials and Stormtroopers, but there was also very a couple of guys cosplaying, and they were they were really good. There was Lando and Lobot, so um, I got there a picture. Go. I got, Lobot. A picture of, got a picture of Jazz with Lando and Lobot, and they were very good. Um, well, very similar to Jazz. I mean, Lobot is pretty much Jazz, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, in the photo, you, it's very hard to tell the two of them apart, really. But I mean, but my, my point was, I mean, you know, you're talking about all this stuff, which is fantastic, but you're not talking about you picked anything up. Um, uh, I mean, have like, stores yeah, changed I mean, significantly now? There's not really, it's really like pop vinyls and modern collectibles. Yeah, and Japanese I mean, there's a couple stuff. of there's a couple of vintage sellers. There's no well, the, the Jamie was there with all mostly mostly vintage and some modern Star Wars, and there was a couple of little bits smattered about, but it's 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 just generally lots of modern stuff. There's not that much vintage at any of these shows now. No, no, exactly. So it, 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 I mean, because I've been picking up all sorts of rubbish at these shows, but now, I mean, I think at the MCM Birmingham one, there was people talking about most of the stores were just, you know, pink fluffy stores, they called them, you know, um, you know, very generic, uh, you know, Japanese. I mean, you know, I'm not knocking any of these people collect this stuff, but not really for your kind of 
rummaging around boxes of Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, if you want, if you want, if you want vintage, you've, you've got to go in, in the UK. You've got to go to Echo Live. You've got to go to Fathers. Yeah, yeah. You've got to go to a dedicated show because the mainline, the mainstream shows, they're just, it's just not there anymore. Rebel Base, one minute and closing. Richard, there's an update on Celebration, I believe. It's yeah, a very brief update on uh, Celebration. They have opened applications for everybody to come and uh, take part. So you can put in your application for um, fan props. So these are the big, you know, the, the snow speeders and the cannons and the land speeders and all, all the big things that are dotted around the Celebration to have your photo taken by. Podcasters, um, there's going to be a podcast stage different podcasts doing uh, uh, mini episodes i think it's half hour slots of their shows um so uh, that'd be a good one to look out for possibly even the vintage rebellion you never know entries for cosplay are open uh, jason, jason jason there maybe you I'm, andy you're missing your lot you're i've um you're I've, both I've, I've never done i've never done a star wars well i've done one for a, for a party i've never done a star wars cosplay in anger because i my problem with celebration is it's a perfect storm of me wanting to do lots of vintage star wars and doing cosplay it'd be too much jason don't lie you just sit in the collector's track collecting star tots <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to get startups this time. I'm, I've got a feeling we're we're we're, we're not getting startups. So I'm going to be less inclined to kind of. I think people should suggest what Jason should cosplay as. I think that's the question for this month. We want your suggestions for what Jason needs to cosplay as. I I've, I fancy a few costumes. I think we should we should do if we get a booth if we get a booth fingers crossed or fan table, we should do a cosplay day. Maybe out there suggest what each of us should cosplay as. I, I, I'm up for doing that certainly. I'm up for doing. Uh, Honestly, Richard is R5D4. I'm also likely to be doing a Jurassic Park Star Wars crossover one of the days <laughs> as well. So uh, look out for that. Seem to be believed. Yeah. yeah honestly, honestly, a dinosaur um, Jedi and you as the dinosaur. Very good. Fan panels. Applications open for fan panels. I'm not quite sure what fan panels are. Have they done those before? I think that just means. Oh, no, that's something different. I don't know what that is. Where do you get that from? Fan panels. Uh, well, it's on the Celebration website. Oh, okay. I don't know. Something new then. Something new, maybe. Uh, fan tables, um, so fan groups, uh, and uh, you know anybody who's got a group, I guess the costuming groups and the uh, collecting groups, maybe even the podcasts uh, can have a fan table to uh, um, set up and meet people. Uh, crew, you can get your applications in if you want to be crew at the event. Not through the website, but through Facebook, Gus has opened the collecting track. So again, they're inviting uh, applications for panels in the collecting track. So, yeah, Celebration is gearing up. If anybody out there has any interest in any of the above, get your thinking cap on, get your application in. I wonder if it does be up for a, an Amidala collecting track panel. <laughs> well, I'll, just take, he, I'll take my bowling ball. If he is, you're the man to do it, Pete. Rebel base, one minute and closing. Right, let's move on. Uh, Richard, Echo Gimcrack Challenge, who won? Yeah, so this was following on from last month's show where we looked at the Ewok Candy Head, the Max Rebo Eraser, um, the Chewbacca Costume and the Wilton Candle. Well, Pete, I'm going to lean back over to you because Gimcrack was always your section. So <laughs> do you want to take it away and uh, see who's going to be celebrating? Oh, well, that's fantastic. Well, in fourth place, 
joint third place, actually, I'm telling a lie. The Ewok candy head and the Chewy costume. Now, I think the Chewy costume was a was a little bit I think underrated there, I think. And he got 11% of the votes each. So that's, that's a bit, oh, you know, I, I feel sorry for Andy because I think that Chewy costume could could have a long ongoing relationship with uh, the Vintage. Wasn't, wasn't vintage, I think that was its problem. Yeah, Probably. I should have, should have worn it, shouldn't I? You should have the worn it. The candy head, though, that's, that's classic. Ewok candy head, I'm a little bit disappointed with that. That's that's because it is quality. but. And one of those votes is me. Maybe it's just us full voting. I don't know. Uh, a startling second place was the 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 candle, the Chewbacca candle. Oh, maybe it just wasn't wasn't smelly enough. Everyone loves Chewy. Yeah, that was sorry. Right, and uh, I don't know how I won, but I managed to win with forty four percent of the votes. The Max Rebo Racer, which I've got to say, it was a last minute <laughs> run round the, uh, the convention centre and. Uh, Pick that up for a fiver. So, uh, and it's it's um, it's actually a cracking piece. To be fair, it's probably not even gim crack. It's too gim cracky for gim crack. But yeah, I'll take that win. I'll take that win. Two wins today on this podcast. I'm quite happy with that. Right, Richard. No, uh, no, 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 no. Well, I'm, well, well, I, I'm really intrigued by Jeff Johnson's comment on Facebook. I'm voting for the Ewok candy head. Looks nothing like Star Wars item, but more like my neighbour's dog. Harsh, <laughs> harsh. <laughs> Jeff Johnson is the best. We love you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think we could do we could do this again another event. Uh, I think every event we do, we should try and do it because uh, it was quite fun. But we need some proper rules next time. Rebel base one minute and closing. Doba Fett. I have no idea what that even means. This is this is uh, something I saw again. Red card to Facebook. Trying to find this again after tagging it a few weeks ago. I found actually the sales posts off the back of this, which I'll come to, but I couldn't find the original post. You've got to save the post. Yeah, well, I've learned my lesson. I'll do that next okay. time. But this is uh, John Cayman on the Imperial Commissary buy sell trade, and he limelighted a Millennium Falcon he picked up from Marketplace. Uh, and as he says, so I picked up this falcon from a lady on Facebook Marketplace. She said something was rattling around on the inside. Just got it home. You see what I see. And it's a photo of the front landing leg, you know, the one you can hold and fly it around and the, the little cavity where that folds up into sort of nestled in there. It's not, as you would normally find rattling around in a falcon, a blaster, a lightsaber, maybe uh, an Ewok hood. It's a Boba Fett. <laughs> He's tucked He's tucked away just in there in, in the uh, in the landing leg hole. Why the why the lady couldn't see him, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and G- uh, John, I think, was very happy because the, the post I did find with the sales post for both Boba Fett and the Falcon, I didn't see what the, the Fett went, but the Falcon went for a great price. <laughs> I don't know what he paid for it. Um, it's just uh, just a lovely little story, and you, you never know. You know, you pick up these things, you never know what's rattling around inside there's a, there's a there's a nice photo from jeff marchant who bought the uh who bought the boba fett it's got him sitting in his falcon but uh, that's for another day but another sort of related little story about the falcon i was also saw on facebook around the same time and this is on echo based trading and this is from lee parkin now lee parkin must have been digging his parents garden for years because i again trying to find this post lo and behold couldn't find it but i did find a post from i think 2017 where lee had found a luke uh x-wing pilot in his parents garden whilst digging um big garden a lot of digging but this time he'd he'd found uh, a mystery object uh so 
he put this on uh, on Echo, seeing if anyone could uh, recognise it. It's obviously heading for the bin. Niall Dickens, genius, this guy. He flagged it up as the underneath the Falcon. It's a really sort of anomalous, dirty bit of yellow plastic. Could be from absolutely anything. And he's picked it out as the uh, the side of the Falcon just below the cockpit, I think it is. Um, and John, oh, sorry, James Hughes says it best. Niall Dickens, that's a seriously good spot. It really is impressive. Rebel base, one minute and closing. Right, uh, scratching the forty-four-year-old itchy. So this is what this is mine. This is one of my things. Well, it's got two here. So I took part. So Sean Moyan, friend of the show, friend of all of us, well, most of us. Um, him and Amy Soberg put together a special, a Star Wars holiday special watch along uh, to commemorate the forty-fourth year of <laughs> all these special being released. Um, I'm sure everyone doesn't need to be told what it is. Um, so it was a, a suggested donation of $25, uh, which I forgot was almost the same as £25 these days. Um, and, and it was just, it was, we, um, loads of us met, it's about 30 or 40 people. We all kind of met up online in this. It's actually a really good thing. It was like, like a, ask a Vimeo, you know, um, the, the video link called a website called Vimeo. It was kind of, so, so we, we had a link that was sent to everyone who put money in and we all met up. And we, as we were kind of chatting, waiting for the whole thing to start, we've uh, there were views of people's holiday special collections, some absolutely fat, fantastic items. I'll try and get the pictures and we'll put them on the social media because it's just brilliant. Um, and uh, as we as we chatted along and talked to each other and did polls and questions and all that sort of stuff, talking about holiday special, um, we we noticed there's quite a few people actually had never seen it before. So actually getting their reactions as as we were watching along was absolutely fascinating because they were like what is this um some people kind of like watched a bit and uh, right this is not for me and <laughs> ran off but so the ones who stuck it out and it started about eight o'clock so unfortunately for me that was 1 p.m in the mo- 1 a.m in the morning and it finished at just about half past three after all the talking and stuff i didn't i didn't join in to the uh the aftermath uh, zoom chat it was i was i'd gone i fell asleep about twice but uh, actually the the, um, the guys had cleaned it up really nicely so it looked good and the sound was fantastic which is a good or bad thing i'm not really sure but um all the money raised and in the end about 750 dollars i think it was it was raised and that went to benefit toys for tots which is a an american charity which buys toys uses money to buy toys for uh underprivileged kids that sort of thing you know sick kids so it was a good cause and made a good laugh. And then everyone who took part got a really nice poster. I, I won't get mine until celebration because I said it's not worth sending it. it Cost too much money, you know. Um, and so it's a beautiful picture of Chewbacca. Can I put it on the social media? Chewbacca with the main in his life day suit, holding his orb, with the main uh, antagonists from the show in the, each corner. It was just a really fun event. I think Amy Soberg thought I was probably mad. Yeah, I think I was the only foreigner there. I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> just so I just stepped three in the morning to watch this ridiculous show. But uh, it was just brilliant. It was a really good event, just real fun. And it's actually something we could do as a to use that kind of platform to maybe do like a watch along for something. It might, might be quite fun one day. Uh, but, yeah, just great fun. Real, real good event. Sean did a great job. Amy did a great job. And the collections, oh, my word, they're so good. I didn't realise there was so much stuff, but there we go. Anyone else tempted by this out of interest? No. No. 
Why, Andy? Why would you not want to watch the holiday special with friends? Oh, I watched it with Heather last Christmas, actually. It was like one Sunday afternoon. We watched it, and it, and it was quite good fun. You know, she, she watches Strictly on a Saturday, and, you know, it's it's akin to that as far as I'm concerned. But, yeah, not, I mean, it's, you know, we've gone through this, but it's, it's dodgy. It's, <laughs> yes. it's got lumpy in it. What's not? Yeah, lumpy, lumpy and itchy are just great. They, they need their own show. But, yeah, watching the – actually, watching the – I didn't realise the Mina scene in the cantina was so – I mean, she's getting sexually assaulted, uh, uh, you know, really, by that that guy with the thing in his. You pour the stuff into his head. I mean, that was that is really dodgy as well. I mean, obviously, lumpy, having, itchy, having a an itch wasn't very good. But um, you can make a few choice cuts, I'm sure, and actually re-release them. But um, that was good fun. It's good it fun. Is, good fun, Razor. It is good fun. I don't know if did you listen to. Um... Rebel Force Radio talking about it. I can't remember who who was on it, but he made a really good point. You know, everyone says, "Oh, George didn't approve it." Uh, you know, they it, it's never allowed to be shown again. And his point was, George approved everything at that point. <laughs> There's no way that was made without his approval. Uh, which I thought, yeah, was uh, you know, it's commonly said, isn't it? He's, he he found it awful. Didn't want to see it. But he must have he must have been there at the design stage. <laughs> it's just so bad. It's brilliant. <laughs> And you know there was you know lots of comments about you know Hans, Hans, you know Harrison Ford really did go for it on the acting side. He was deadly serious. Uh, you know obviously Mark Hamill's dreadful makeup looks awful, and Carrie Fisher looks amazing with a, a, a wonderful singing voice. Which there was an interview done with her actually about singing. I can't remember it might, it might have been on our on our exclusive video somewhere that she really does like a song, or she did like a song. Bless her. But uh, it was just a good, like I said, good fun event. Lots of people just, I mean, the, the reactions of the people who had never seen it before were priceless. I'd like to get a text from that chat, actually, because it was just like, what? Carrie Fisher singing? You know, um, the, what's her name? The the uh, Akamina actress, I can't remember, B. Arthur. She's doing what? They just couldn't believe the people who were in it. Um, just brilliant. Well, great night, great fundraiser. Um, not sure I'll ever do it again, but it was good to do it once. I look forward to my poster. Rebel base, one minute in closing. Right, and the last of this enormous Rebel briefing, which is going to have so much fun editing all of this, obviously, and I'll help them. Um, may the fonts be with you. So online, on Twitter, you guys aren't on Twitter, but well, you, Andy, you were for a while, but you kind of jacked it in. There's um, sometimes, after all the political nonsense and arguing and stuff, you get something like this. So here's a guy, he started up a Twitter account talking about fonts, Star Wars fonts, on how they've been used across the films, um, how they've been used in, you know, um, everything from from subtitle fonts to uh, the, the crawl fonts, everything. He's kind of keeping a record of it. He's trying to find out what the actual fonts are used. And uh, he's found some very interesting bits of information, which I caught up with him and had a lovely chat. And I must apologise in advance that he does live in New York and New York is very busy. So you can hear the traffic outside his window, bless him. But it was a cracking chat. He's a lovely guy. And, and hopefully, hopefully we might see him at Celebration doing a panel on this. So uh, take it away, me. Right. So I'm here with Justin Hoggard from an amazing Twitter channel called Star Wars Fonts. Now, the way I found you was a bit weird. 
Well, not a bit weird. I guess this is how people will find you. But I was, I do the artwork for our podcast. So, you know, it's, it's a bit of fun. We try and tie in, um, a really, really cheesy, uh, title in with a person's name as convoluted as possible. And, uh, I try and make it look Star Warsy or daft or put heads on action figures, that sort of thing. You know, it's just, it's just a bit of fun. I mean, did it for a long time, but I was after a font. I thought, there's got to be a website out there now that someone is, someone is, is all about Star Wars fonts and I can go and find it, download it and do it. And believe it or not, your Twitter feed came up on Google. And, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, my SEO's getting better. It, it was, I mean, that, that wasn't that long ago. I mean, I've not been following you from the start. You've been going a year, haven't you? Just oh, yeah. Just about a little over a year now. So you've decided to so you celebrate your first year birthday. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so it, I, it must have been maybe end of, end of last year, maybe a couple of months into it. And you got a reasonable following as well, considering it is quite a, a niche subject. Yeah. But I mean, I've got to say, why Twitter? I mean, what made you think Twitter was the way forward? It's kind of the social media platform that I'm most familiar with right now. Um, I have, you know, a personal Twitter with uh, very few followers. Um, <laughs> but I've just I've been going at it for a while. But if I had come up with this idea maybe seven or eight years ago, it would be a Tumblr. Like, it's just any of the free social media platforms that I feel familiar with, like, that's what I'm going to use for my, like, current project, I guess. So I just happened to be on Twitter at the time, and I thought that would be the way to go. Maybe so Instagram seems to deal with images quite well. But, yeah, I I guess... I guess a good way to build up a fan base or a follower base, isn't it? Because Yeah, I wanted to have that, um, the interaction. Yeah. Is it it always a good interaction? Do you ever get any lunatics going, you know... I want to come in your house and, you know, stab you because of something you've said. I mean, not <laughs> yet. I haven't even reached 2000 followers yet. So maybe eventually I'll get I'll get the uh, the crazies in there. <laughs> yeah, that's I think that's what a lot of people do um, see Twitter as. I mean, it's it can be a brilliant resource. I mean, like your your channel is showing it is it can be a fantastic resource where people can actually uh, chime in because I mean, I mean, as as I think you do as well. You follow people like Pablo Hidalgo, so mm-hmm. you you can get some great insight into yeah. in, in, into the industry and into the into the hobby. But at the same time, I've also seen Pablo get it in the neck, right? For for not saying anything, just be, existing. Yeah, ex- existing. He's had it. You know, he's had all the he's had all the hassles from the the sequel trilogy haters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you you have built up. I mean, you say he's got, got a reasonable following. I mean, I think over a thousand, was it four thousand seven hundred? I think it was. I think that's a pretty good follower base in a short, reasonably short period of time when you're not a celebrity or you're not, you know, yeah. doing something which is main, uh, uh, essentially mainstream. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm just I'm just some guy who likes Star Wars and fonts. <laughs> what drives you to a font? What is it? I mean, how did it? How did that start? What the love of fonts? Yeah, yeah. I mean. Oh. I'm I'm not even really sure. Um, I, I feel like I've loved I've loved them forever. Kind of. Uh, I remember downloading when I was in middle school. I would download the fonts that people would make based on like band logos. Okay. And so then I would just like put them into MS Paint and then make like a collage of my favorite bands using the fonts that people have created. And it was just it was really fun to have that kind of control over like existing brands, I guess. Yeah, and yeah. That just kind of built into just a love of all fonts, and it's it's something that they're very identifiable, and I could sort of memorize them, and even sometimes like impress people by like knowing a font, I guess, or at least I like to think that I impress people. I don't know what they think about it, and it's just something that grew and grew, and then one day it just 
met Star Wars, here we are. We probably underestimate how powerful a font is. I mean, for a start, you know, the Star Wars font, the main font for the for the logo, or the, the current logo, should we say, because sometimes they, they have messed around in the past. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it, it's instantly recognisable. You put that to any bit of type into that font or into that typeface, you know what it is. There's, there's yeah. no, I mean, it must be a, a percentage of people on the planet who don't know what it is. But straight away, that that's how powerful it is. You, you don't even have to have the word Star Wars written out. You can have the word cat burglar. And yeah. Yeah, straight away, you'd know, oh, it's a Star Wars font. Straight <laughs> up, it's so, so powerful. Oh, cool. The new Star Wars thing dropped. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cat yeah. burglar, huh? Sounds interesting. <laughs> ah, there we go. I've just named the next project. I'm giving it away. <laughs> go register the domain name quickly. So how how much do you get involved in the font? Because I know I've seen on, on your Twitter feed, you do... You do so, you know, a level of analysis, a level of appreciation of it. I mean, you know, have you studied every single Star Wars font that, that's, that's started? I mean, we see a lot of, especially in the, in the early packaging of the early things that, that were used in this, in the, you know, as soon as Star Wars started merchandising and people started doing stuff, they, they use that kind of like that Star Wars logo that just sort of disappears off into the, into the background. Mm-hmm. And then of course it, it's, it kind of then eventually became the, the, the standard Star Wars logo. So, did that was that an original drawing or was that original typeface? So the logo, the so the current like yellow outline logo. So it was designed by I want to say Susie Rice, and I think she said at one point that it was based on Helvetica Black, which you know maybe, <laughs> and yeah. as far as like proportions and um, like stroke width and things like that go. But I don't think it shares a whole lot of similarities with that. I found I can't remember I remember what it was now, but I found another like font from the time that sort of looked more like it fit but i can't i can't remember what it is now but yeah so it's basically just like it's customized any font that it may have been based on has been sort of lost in the design now do you know how much the alphabet they actually did in that font did they actually do like a star wars sheet or anything or did they just you know do the logo and that was it uh probably just the logo if i had to guess oh, i'd love to see a i'd love to see an entire alphabet done by the original creator because yeah i mean you probably used like you know the yeah, the the general whatever uses a Star Jedi font, mm-hmm. uh, which I do tend to abuse, and um, you know some of the some of the letters are are not great and they don't they're look not great. quite right. I mean, no, no offense or anything, but there some of them can be a little rough. But they, <laughs> to be fair, these are twenty twenty five year old you know fonts that people just created for fun, and that's yeah. it happens. Yeah, I just I just wonder if you ever been interested in. It's, it's sort of developing the the entire alphabet out there for the uh, Star Wars font, just a just a mini project. Yeah, I mean, I've I've done some letters. I know that there are some people uh, working on it now. I don't know if I if I'm at liberty to to really talk about that project, but there's definitely a like a big one coming. Okay, that's um, cool. From some some some, I guess hobbyists they're sort of professionals i don't know how to describe them <laughs> um i like that people can leverage that into a job it's clearly something that they care about because it's something that they were doing before it made them any money it became that passion became like a career and i, I think that's very cool is that something you can see yourself leading into with this sort of thing i mean it is I fascinating <laughs> i would love to be part of if if you know lucasfilm wanted to do something font related there's a book um one of the things that inspired me there's a book called uh typography of the future okay which shows sort of the fonts that are used um for like opening titles and uh on props and things for like sci-fi movies so i'm pretty sure alien is in there um some of the star trek movies and i saw that and i was like oh that's really cool i wonder if i could do something like that with star wars um and i would 
I would absolutely love to do that. I was quite surprised there wasn't anything out there that no one had actually done it. Yeah, you know, it actually kind of recorded the fonts. I mean, there's there's more fonts than you probably realise in Star. You know, used in the Star Wars titles, the end titles, the end credits. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the subtitles. I mean, you 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 do tend to cover everything. If I see something and it looks interesting and identifiable, sometimes they're not. Sometimes these these things are either hand lettered or just a font that's been lost to time. Yeah. But if I see something and I'm like, oh, I can uh, identify that and it might be useful to someone, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna put it in my collection and and see what I can do with it. Okay, a couple of things there. So how do you identify a font? I mean, I've tried all sorts of, I guess one way would be probably to use Google Lens for me these days, take a picture of a font and see if it comes up. But how do you actually, do you have a process to actually identify it? Uh, for the most part, I start with either uh, what the font, which is the, um, it's on myfonts.com. Um, and that you just, you upload a picture of a font and then it'll, It'll try to identify it, and it, it does a pretty good job usually, but that's only going to be for things that they have uh, for sale on their own website. So then I also go to whatfontis.com, uh, and that one actually, like, scours a lot of the, like, databases, and it, so it'll do, like, free fonts from, like, Defont and, like, Creative Market and even, like, the big ones. And so that one's really powerful. Um, and so I usually just try to match it. Uh, if I don't recognize it at first, and that usually yields results pretty quickly, actually. Um, but then, especially for older fonts, um, I try to think of maybe like a font that I can identify that looks similar to it. I'll go to uh, fontsinuse.com, um, type in the font that I that I know, and see if I can find any like related fonts on there because they have that's a really good database that I use a lot. Because uh, they'll have like similar fonts or like information or links to like type specimen sheets, and so I'll just I'll just kind of build a network of like this font leads to this one, this one leads to this one, this one was the same designer or was used in the publication for for here, so I know that it showed up at least in like, as early as 1964. So sometimes it takes a while, um, and sometimes it's just immediate because uh, a lot of the fonts that they use for these professional things like. You're going to find them on just these regular websites and a lot of times Defont. And so, you know, you just get straight in there. You see, yeah, we're all about collecting. So uh-huh. and some of us collect, you know, the, I'm sitting here surrounded by cardboard, you know, 40-year-old cardboard. So, you know, I can't say <laughs> I can fully empathize with, with collecting quite well. But uh, so you have a collection of fonts. I mean, how do, do you, you know, how do you categorize them? Do you have like data sheets? Do you try and get as much information as possible. I mean, how how does your collecting habit kind of form? I mean, do you, what sort of depth do you have in your collection? Uh, not that much. <laughs> okay. It's it's mostly just like, so my, uh, the folder that I have of like specimen sheets and some samples and things like that, it's just, they're just by name um, and they're all just kind of thrown in there uh, willy-nilly. Um so not not a whole lot of information there. So sometimes I'll just have to like scroll through and there's, I want to say there's like 200 and something files in there that uh, because there's such high quality scans for a lot of these that I found online, like it's over three gigs of just JPEGs, PNGs. Um, and so they're not very organized, which is kind of uh, everything in my life, digital <laughs> files, because they're just so hard to organize. I don't know. Um and then for the Star Wars examples, like book covers and uh, show titles and things on posters and uh, things like that, I just basically have them by like media type. 
And then for some of them, I, I try to have them by year, see how the fonts that they've used change over time. Because you can see clear like design styles sort of emerging in the different like decades, and I think that's really neat to see. Um, so those are those are kind of more my Star Wars examples are a lot more organized just because I can do them by show or comic or book or whatever, um, and then do them by year or sometimes just alphabetical. I guess the more you collect, the more that actually helps you organize because one you have to, and mm-hmm. two you you gain a, an appreciation of something. So. You know, like you know, people were collecting you know, every every single figure on a card. They might just go, well, you know, I mean, I mean, I started off doing that, not collecting every single figure, but just collecting the ones, just the ones I liked. But then people start collecting, you know, right, I want to get every, you know, Princess Leia on every card in every that came out across the planet. And then, you know, you start to to organize from there. And then, yeah. and then you know, also starts to starts an obsession as well. Unfortunately, where you you oh, must yeah. become a completist. You must have every single uh, variation because there must have been. I, I'm assuming there's a little bit of variation, especially on the the artwork um, of you know because the, they have re-released the, the original film so many times, mm-hmm. and it has and it has changed. I mean, you've gone from you know one set of set of uh, typography to a completely different set when the special editions came out. I mean. I'm assuming you're you're keeping touch with everything that's come out, even the same film being reissued. Oh yeah, I mean if if I can find an example of it online, then you know I'm going to try to collect it. I'm going to have it there. Um, and if it's if something is appreciably different, um, then maybe I'll I'll post like a comparison of the two, which is is cool because you can see like what what they did, and even with like the special editions, like the end credits, uh, they actually reset those. Um, and it's just in a slightly different weight or uh, width of the typeface. It's kind of cool that you can see, like, here's the original, here's the new one. Um, they're a little bit different. So, so how, how much does it change in the films? Because I mean, I mean, the original crawl. I, I didn't know this until recently. I, I guess it's one of those things you're thinking, oh yeah, of course it would have been, would it? But the, the original crawl was a was a you know a printed out big long sheet which they filmed. Right. So, of course, you know, it would be. I mean, it would be. What, what am I thinking of? You know. It, yeah. No. That wouldn't have happened. You know, there was no digital kind of stuff at the time. But I mean, how, did did you find what what font they used with that? Cause that must be quite hard because that's obviously a font that's been used, but mm-hmm. it's an angle. So you know, how on earth do you do you identify it? This is actually what started me with okay. trying to identify uh, Star Wars fonts because a number of years ago I was trying to uh, recreate the crawl in After Effects because I thought, you know, why not? I'll just give that a go, see if I'm good enough at that. And so uh, online, there were a bunch of places that were like, oh, it's it's News Gothic. Oh, it's Franklin Gothic. It's whatever. It's this. And I was like, well, you know, I bet I can figure it out if I just take a screenshot of it, like change the perspective to make it like straight up and down and whatever. And so you can kind of like you can identify it that way. But then I, I also more recently found like behind the scenes photos. And so you can get them slightly closer on one of them. I found I've always assumed that it's real. I have no way of knowing if this is like an actual thing or something that someone made more recently but it's just a straight on shot of the empire strikes back crawl on you know some sort of film i don't i don't even know what the material was that they used uh and so that really helped because that was because it was such a straight on shot i could actually identify like both of the fonts in there the title and the crawl like main body and the thing is with things like that especially you know pre-digital fonts you're going to be able to sort of match them, but they might be a little bit different to like, you know, the the digital versions that are out right now. And so that's what started me on getting the like specimen sheets 
like scanned specimen sheets from the 60s and 70s and even before. I mean, I have uh, a PDF that I found of like a font specimen book from like 1912. A lot of these fonts are very old and have just been in use for hundreds of years now. But yeah, that's that's kind of what got me started uh, collecting those as well, because I was like, well, if the digital fonts don't quite match, then maybe I can find records of the original ones that they would have used in like sort of, I guess they, it would have been like phototype and like letter set and things like that that they would have used at the time. So so how how much consistency have you found within the three, well, the, the, the original three films especially? I mean, with things like Opening Crawl, the, the you know, things like Lucas, you know, Lucasfilm Limited, typeface i mean is, is it pretty standard I, i've never really noticed i mean i kind of see the green lettering of lucasfilm in my head or yellow letter i can't remember and uh yeah, it's probably it's been green. changed so many, yeah it's green it's, it's yeah, so many times that one's green and then yellow for the crawl <laughs> that's it um uh, yeah i've said it so many times it just kind of mushes into a into you know it's i'm not really looking at it i guess i'll probably next time i watch it i'll probably i'll probably pay more attention but i mean uh, you know what is the level of consistency and uh, were they consistent or did they uh, did no. chop and change no not at yeah. all no the lucasfilm especially is the least consistent the first one is in like uh univer 65 and then the second one's in helvetica and then the third one is in news gothic like they just for some reason not even the the production company was standardized until they changed it to the newer logo in uh in 97 um, and then, like, for the crawl, there were two different versions of the original Star Wars crawl, because there was the one without the title, and then there was the one that they redid in 81 after uh, Empire Strikes Back came out, um, which the Empire Strikes Back one and then the, the A New Hope one, when they when they added A New Hope to it, those are consistent, except for the angle of the crawl, um, but the fonts are the same for those two. Um, but then the original Star Wars crawl before it got the title was a slightly different font. In, it was a uh, trade gothic instead of news gothic, which there's very little difference between them. There's just a couple of little tiny differences that that's how I landed on it being trade gothic instead of just some other cut of news gothic. I went back and forth between that those two for a very long time. Um, and then when you got to Return of the Jedi, they changed the, um, the title font of it to Univer. It looks like Universe. Uh, I don't know if you know that font. Um, to the the like thin, like ultra condensed one, which is where you get that like straight legged R versus the one that's like at an angle. Um, so like the consistency over just the original three films is uh, very very little. Which we do discover with with like merchandising and stuff. The you know, it's one of my kind of favorite sayings of them taking liberties on all sorts of designs. So, so for Star Wars, it kind of, it was, there was some consistency of using stuff on packages and boxes, but, you know, I mean, obviously there was no brand document that came with it. It was like, right, put this logo on, use this and go for it. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, I mean, we keep finding, you know, Star Wars crammed into a corner or turned three quarters or, you know, all sorts of stuff. Empire Strikes Back, there's not a great deal of stuff because, they just kept using Star Wars. And there was Empire Strikes Back stuff, but that had a sort of like, you know, a definitive logo that, that was used, and which is what our logo is based on. And um, and then Return of the Jedi, they, they sort of started to get it right, you know, you know, don't put anything over the logo, keep it clear, you know, and and, and you saw that, that you've, you've seen that evolution of, I guess, just getting their brand identity right, wasn't it? I mean... Yeah, they really, like, play fast and loose with it originally. Yeah. Even, even in the, like, the official stuff, like, like toys, I guess, were licensed. Uh, like on the novelization of the first movie, they're like, I think the first one just uses like plain Helvetica black. 
and then you have like later editions using like older logos and having one where like the word star is on the left side going vertical and the word wars is at the top going horizontally away from it so it like kind of turns a corner weirdly like they just they didn't have that consistent branding at all in the early days and i don't even think that they had anything really consistent until like the 90s probably yeah probably not i mean i think the turn was a bit better so we we don't seem to see too much difference with the logo there there are some it's liberties but it is especially on the the toys and stuff and and uh, and the, the I mean there was just you know Return of Jedi just exploded with stuff mm-hmm. you know and that's where it went mad it's like Phantom Menace level amounts of stuff just everything got Return of the Jedi attached to it or you know ev- everything was licensed you know food items to or to climbing frames to whatever so there's no consistency in the original trilogy what what about the the other trilogies I, I mean I mean you do cover everything Star Wars don't you? it's not just um, well, obviously we're a vintage podcast but we do. We do like to talk all Star Wars, so I notice you've been you've been uh, analysing the Andor logo at the moment. Yes, because there's uh, a million versions of it. <laughs> Once again, the inconsistency comes back just with the uh, the the number of like overlaps that enclose that the negative space for the O, or the logo itself being uh, at least two different logos that I've seen, um, and I have not watched the show yet. No advice, so I'm quite excited to watch it later. Yeah, I'm, I, it's, I think as soon as we're done here, I'm probably going <laughs> to run in and watch it. Um, but, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was another logo, you know, in the actual show. So it's it, just funny that that inconsistency did come back a little bit. Um, not quite as, like, egregious, maybe, as some of the earlier things. Well, do, but, do you know do you any speculation to why that's happening? Why? I mean, are they just a bit of a mess or are they... I, honestly, I don't know. Like, I can't really think, like, it can't be that useful, really, unless they wanted people like me to talk about it. Yeah, it just, it just seems strange. I mean, there's, there's I guess, you know, there's, there's a big production going on. Because it has taken a while to come out, this, hasn't it? I'm sure it was going to be early in the year. And it got delayed, and then I mean, yeah, it gets put. These things get pushed back because they decide to yeah. refilm stuff, don't they? That's just film yeah. companies for you. But I wonder if it's just, it's just a bit. Maybe there's just lack of consistency going on at the top level. I mean, it, it does happen. It does happen. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be unusual. I mean, it's, I guess it's possible that they sent out, you know, their logos, and then they changed the logos, sent those out. Those got lost for some people. They're using the older ones. Like I, that kind of thing definitely happens. Yeah, because there was there was a lot. I mean, it, it, if for my untrained eye, it, it seemed to be as I search for you know, various things I collect, and uh, you know, you go through the the prequel trilogy, and it does seem to be quite consistent. You know, Phantom Menace has got a real look to it. I mean, it's, if you if you notice, there's a lot of difference with the with, with the prequel trilogy with fonts and designs, or is it just as messy? Um, actually, no. I think the prequels were probably the most consistent. Because the like the poster branding and things like that, like you know, you had like the big episode two or episode one, episode two, whatever, in the middle, and then like the title underneath, um, and those were all very consistent. Um, the only inconsistency in the movies that I can really think of um, in the opening crawl, uh, episodes one and two were like exactly the same, and then episode three for some reason changed the body text to a slightly different version of uh, News Gothic. And I'm not entirely sure why they did it. I'm pretty sure they even made it a little bit smaller with, like, uh, bigger spacing between the letters. And I think that it might even be a slightly, like, thinner 
like this version of News Gothic might actually have like slightly thinner strokes. It looks a little bit weirdly smaller, and I don't, I don't know why they would have made that change. Do you reckon they just made an edit and had to put it back in without using the same bit of software they were using? Something, something as stupid oh, as that. Maybe. I mean, you know, I mean, editing stuff. I mean, I'm just trying to think. 1999, when things that like were, were, I was, I was using computers at the time. The internet wasn't hadn't been out for too long, mm-hmm. so technology was at a certain point as it is now. So yeah, I mean. They might have done it and gone, oh, we, oh, we've got to change it last minute. They might have just like given it out to a company to change or something. And then, boy, yeah, maybe. You know, and they I were mean, like, oh, yeah, all news gothics are the same. Whatever, we'll just use ours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just, just, or, or someone, oh, we haven't got that font. We'll have to, we'll have to nick one. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to download a dodgy copy off the internet. We'll get, we'll get the free one, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but things like that do happen. So, right, where are we going with fonts? So, you've, uh, you've got a wonderful collection. You've got a Twitter feed. Now, like I said, Twitter feed, it's, I was a little bit surprised that you had a knowledge base on Twitter because obviously, um, you can lose your Twitter feed quite easily. I mean, you could say, you know, you could say boo to a goose and, um, and then you get banned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's that easy. I mean, do you, do you back up the information? Do you take a copy of your threads and inf- does anyone give you good information online out of interest? Out of, uh, yeah, I've, I think like I, we've, we've had, um, I've definitely posed questions to the audience. We haven't, I keep saying we, I don't know who we is. Um, <laughs> you're uh, a brand, you're a brand now, you're a we. Brand, you know, we, we at Star Wars Fonts Limited. Um, but no, like I'm pretty sure I've gotten people identifying things for me. Uh, definitely the people who run uh, Fonts in Use, the website that I mentioned before. Um, I've posed questions to them. Uh, about something, especially the uh, font that they used for Shadows of the Empire, um, yeah. which is called Woodblock. Um, okay. Originally, the info that I got on fonts in use um, said that it was available in 1999, which obviously is after Shadows of the Empire, which is 96. Yeah. Um, and so I, I asked them about it, and they were like, oh, we had our info wrong. It, it was actually from, like, 1991. And I was like, okay. oh, then that, that makes sense then. We've, we've solved that mystery. So, yeah, like, I can connect with people pretty easily to get just some some different insight people who know things better obviously uh, you know i can ask like pablo hidalgo things and then people who work for uh lucasfilm sometimes will be like hey like i know the answer to that you can kind of connect to anybody and i think that's one of the things that makes twitter the good like a good platform for me to use because it it's not just about me like if i had like a website or if it was just like a blog or something like putting the information out there i want to make sure that i'm learning as much as my audience is it's more of like let, let's all compile the answers to like you know every font that star wars has ever used and we're all working together it's a good use of uh, twitter for good use i mean there's so much nonsense on twitter i know but it, but it's annoying because twitter is a fantastic platform and mm-hmm. without the nonsense on it people just arguing the toss over ridiculous things get angry and banning and all that. if people use it for this because it is you know i mean if you want to know what's going on Something's happened, you know. I mean, when we've had like, you know, uh, riots or, or whatever, you want to know what's going on. You go to Twitter, you don't go to the news sources because they'll have their own takes on it. If you go to Twitter, you will find a bunch of people, you know, there on the scene giving you live footage, you know. Yeah. It, it, it is, I think it is, it, it should be used for good. Unfortunately, at the moment, I guess it's sorting itself out. I mean, we forget this. It's, what is it? Is it 10 years old? Is it Twitter or a bit older than um, that? I'm just trying to think. I think a little, maybe. I think we might be getting up on like 15 15 years so maybe it's it's you know it has been around for a while and it's 
I still think it is still finding its feet that people, you know, not, you know, I said certain generations use Twitter all the time and certain generations just completely just go, oh, it's just full of idiots. Yeah. Um, you know, which is fair sometimes. <laughs> but but there, yeah, there I, are a few out there. I think, you know, I've got to say, I think you are using it for the right reasons. Have you reached out to Lucas uh, to see, no, to see what, what they've got? Not really, because I'm, I'm not entirely sure what I guess I, I wouldn't really know exactly what to ask. Yeah, know? that's fair. That's fair. Um, but I mean, that's I, I think it's a great idea. Like just to see, because maybe somewhere, I mean, I, I, I don't know for sure, but like somewhere the original sheets that they would have used and like filmed with the camera for the crawls. They've got to be there. So someone's got them. Somewhere. I bet Gus Lopez has got them. I bet you. Yeah. <laughs> I bet he's got them. Someone <laughs> like that. There's a, there's a bunch of collectors, right? And they have amazing collections. I mean, seriously, you know, stuff that I would never better feel. You know, stuff that I, I probably worth more than I'll ever earn. Gus is a, is a legend and he, he owns the Death Star. Oh, he's got the Death Star. Sure. I I just I just tell people I know the guy who's got the Death Star, and that makes me feel really good because it's like yeah. I know the guy who got the Death Star. So uh, I I love reminding with that that thing mate whenever I see him. But he's he's a top bloke, and I bet he would know. Either he he might have it himself, or uh, there's a couple of the guys out there people like Duncan Jenkins. Is you know, these guys are you know behemoths of the collecting world. They would either have it or they'd know who's got it. Or they'd be in the Lucasfilm archives, I would assume. So, yeah. I see, I'd love to, I see, I, see I'm, I'm hoping this, this discussion leads you on to someone going, you know what? I want to get you down to Lucasfilm and you can actually compare your information you've, you've acquired and see if one, you were 100, because you said that you did a sort of comparison and use your expertise and just see how, you know, whether you were spot on or maybe you can actually give them inf- information. I mean, is there anyone in Lucasfilm that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> who actually knows what the font is? Do, do they know what the original font for the original film was? Do they know? I mean, it's it's possible that they don't. There was um, I I mean I don't know if this is accurate, but a couple of years ago, um, before I even started doing this, but when I when I had successfully identified the font that they used for the title of Empire Strikes Back in the crawl, no one seemed to know that information anywhere on the internet. I couldn't find it. Um, obviously, the prequels used a different font. The sequels used a different font. Everything, you know, whatever. And I felt like I was maybe one of the only people in the world who knew what the original font was that they used. And so that was one of the reasons that I even you know, started the Twitter, because I was like, I want to get that information out there in whatever way that I can. And then obviously I wanted to expand on it and just do more and whatever. And I've and I've since made a um, like a revival font of that. If you want to, you can download it for free <laughs> from my Twitter. You know, I, I kind of wanted me identifying that to get back to Lucasfilm somehow. And they were like, oh, like they'd be like, oh, that's the font now. And then they would know it. Like, I, I don't need acknowledgement, really. I just I wanted them to know it because I wasn't sure if anyone still knew. Apart from being in an archive somewhere, you know, maybe that information isn't there. That's what, that's what I'm, I'm fascinated. I, see, I, I want, see, my end dream for this would be to see you get carted off to Lucasfilm, to wherever it is that they keep this stuff. It's a Skywalker Ranch or whatever. And they, and then you'd be sitting there, these, these annals, like, you know, uh, huge, big, sort of like, you know, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of style <laughs> thing where you're, you spend the rest of your life, you're, you're like the meister of, of, you know, going through this information. You're, you're sitting there, you have to, you have to keep record of all these faults. That's it. That's the, that's your, that's the end of your journey there. You spend the rest of your oh, life in Lucasfilm. That. I mean, that would be a dream. <laughs> Why not? Why not? I mean, I think people underestimate the, 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 the fan base of what they know. 
we get people who, I mean, to me, you know, a figure on a card, I, you know, I definitely get, and I get that there was a one on a Star Wars card, one on a Guerre Stellari card, and you know, all these foreign ones. And then people get it right down into that. Actually, that bubble was slightly different. And I, I, it's a, I'm not knocking it. It's a wonderful thing because you know you should be interested in your hobby. But people yeah. will, will go into that detail. But it's not there on a database that's not been created by a fan, by you know a non-professional. So mm-hmm. this knowledge is yeah. You know, there's there's loads of databases, loads of websites. Uh, there's an entire website uh, which is fantastic called the Imperial Commissary, which just features on it has an entire archive about uh, gun reproduction because. Little Star Wars guns, the toys. Um, there's a lot of reproductions out there, and some of those weapons are getting quite valuable. Like I said about the, the lightsaber, you know, those things are worth hundreds of pounds now. Yeah. So you know, there's a lot of reproductions out there, and people are making money out of a hobby. So, you know, it's good that the, we have expertise. I, I put you in there with the level of expertise. I want to see this grow, hopefully, to become something monstrous. I want, I want you to get, I want you to do a book. I'm not going to help you. I, mean, I would love but to I want do you to do I thought about doing a book and maybe like self-publishing it. And then I was like, you know what? Twitter is easier. It is. But I think, I think eventually you'll, you'll get a, to a point where there'll be so much knowledge. And if it is on Twitter, it's, it's like I said, it is quite a hard thing to go through. I mean, I was, right. I was, I was going to have a quick scan of stuff and, you know, some of those discussions and, and knowledge should be somewhere on a website or in a book. I mean, maybe, you know, because there's not tons at the moment, you're still, you're still discovering. But I mean, you're thinking over three trilogies just for Star Wars alone. That has got to be, that's got to be a, a crowdfunder straight away, surely. If anyone at Lucasfilm is listening, oh, yeah. I'm available. Come on, come on, Hidalgo and all that <laughs> lot. I'm glad that I could contribute to something because <sighs> I know that there's, I mean, in Star Wars, in the fandom, there is a lot of passion. Oh, yeah. A lot of people who know every little detail about something and i just just want to be part of that you know yeah well you are you are now <laughs> yeah you are now definitely but I yeah just, just make sure my way in <laughs> just make sure you take a take a screen grab every every tweet <laughs> you've done yeah. just in case because like i said twitter is a strange a strange place um you just don't know what happened. but i mean yeah I, what's your what, what are your plans to go for so you'd love to maybe get into other mediums i mean i have the Instagram account for Star Wars fonts. There's nothing on it. I've done uh, absolutely nothing with it. But I would like to do like sort of cross-platform stuff if possible, just to to reach the biggest audience you know that I can. And then even like just just a standard sort of like blog uh, could be good because then that way you can actually go through and structure it. I'll probably branch out at some point. Have you studied just? I won't say UK, not UK or English fonts, but have you done like Japanese fonts? Have you gone that way? No, not yet. Um, not yet. I like that though. Not yet. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind. I think that uh, like I've seen a number of like Japanese language fonts. I've actually downloaded a couple because I was trying to make a logo in Japanese a couple of years ago, um, despite not speaking the language at all. <laughs> um, but I've seen some of the variations um, and it's obviously it's a little bit harder to, recognize when it's characters you don't know obviously like you know the latin alphabet i'm very familiar with i've been using it uh most of my life okay. um and so like i know when i see like an m in two different fonts i'm like yes those are definitely different and i know what it is that they've done but then you see two like japanese fonts and you're like oh this one has like this character has the little the little swashy thing at the top and this one over here has like a different angle and so like 
fonts that you're not or uh, languages that you're not quite as familiar with like you don't really notice the finer details in the differences between the fonts but i'm i am interested well if anybody wants to find me i'm on twitter at star wars fonts so if you if you got if you got info for me or some way that i can uh expand my audience or just what i'm doing let me know well thanks so much all right see ya bye bye Hey, Chris Porteous here. Back in October, a few members of the Ontario Star Wars Collectors Alliance put together an event in Toronto. It featured special guests from both Kenner and Kenner Canada, an exhibit with every Kenner Canada boxed vehicle and playset, lobby sales, and a tour of Fourth Moon Toys, a local vintage toy store run by OSWCA member Mike Freeman, who was one of the primary sponsors of the event. Special guests included Jim Swearingen and sculptor Stephen Geddes from Kenner, George Irwin, CEO of Irwin Toy, and Brenda Young, translator for Irwin Toy. We were also graced with the presence of Jim McCallum and Scott Bradley to keep the record straight as far as Kenner Canada facts. The event was called May the North Be With You. We recorded the panels, and those will be available on YouTube eventually, but we thought it would be fun to give the TVR listeners a little preview of that content this month. The clip you're about to hear is from a panel featuring Jim Swearingen and Stephen Geddes, hosted by Mike Freeman. It was especially interesting to hear Stephen as this was only the second collector event he's attended. And in this clip, he offers some interesting insights into the development process at Kenner. I hope you enjoy it. Now, our next panel here, we have Jim Swearingen and Stephen Geddes, and we're going to talk about kind of the early days of Star Wars uh, at Kenner. I always want to say the early days at Kenner, but Kenner was doing a whole bunch of other stuff before Star Wars came along. Um, uh, so uh, I think we've all, we've kind of had the intro on Jim, and uh, we know a bit about uh, who he is and uh, the kind of pre-production work he did. Um, Stephen, you were a sculptor. Mostly, and you started out, uh, did you start your career at Kenner? I started my toy career at Kenner. Um, I Basically, I had um, responded to a, a listing that had been posted with an uh, uh, employment agent um, that um, had announced uh, an opening for a senior toy sculptor uh, with a toy company located near Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, so I applied and found out that it was Kenner Products in the middle of Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, so I, I uh, went through a couple of audition pieces for the, the head of sculpting, John Gardner. And uh, <clears throat> I, was, I was 
basically it was for a the listing was for a senior toy sculptor and and I wasn't a senior toy sculptor. I was a sculptor. That was about it. And uh, so the first um, the first audition piece that I had to do for them was uh, for a, it was a baby doll head, and uh, I had to do it in wax. And the only wax that I had at my disposal was uh, basically Victory Brown uh, foundry wax. Uh, so the the first uh, the first piece that I did for John was totally underwhelming, <laughs> and so uh, he said, "I'd like you have you do another uh, another audition piece." You know, he says, "Come up to Cincinnati." I was living in in uh, I was living in Kentucky at the time, and uh, so uh, he said, "I'll give you the wax. I'll give you a waxer. I'll give you a handful of tools, you know, to work with and everything." So. So I, I, you know, kind of sweat bullets, uh, you know, like getting this baby doll head uh, um, remodeled and everything. And uh, then uh, eventually uh, got hired. So you you hadn't intended to go into toy sculpting. It just the opportunity came up. Yeah, I, I had gone to graduate school to basically teach in college. Oh, okay. And um, uh, at the time I was I was I had been working for the Kentucky Arts Commission. And uh, as a artist in the schools, uh, different high schools, and uh, the second year that uh, I I was ending my second year as an artist in the schools, and the people from uh, from the state, uh, it was a uh, it was a state arts uh, you know program, mm -hmm. and they had come to come up to uh, Somerset to interview me, do my exit interview basically, and kind of evaluate the program. And um, so it was, it was kind of away from Frankfurt down to Somerset, and it was late afternoon. And, and so my wife said to them, uh, you know, would you like to, uh, you know, stay for dinner? And um, my, uh, you know, my contact said, well, we'd love to, but we've got a date to go with some friends and see this movie, Star Wars. <laughs> and that was kind of the first I knew of it, uh, you know, and uh, so... Yeah, it was it was a real revelation when uh, you know this job showed yeah. up and uh, perfect time to start. Yeah. Well, everything had been in turmoil for us that summer, yeah. uh, you know, because we our lease was out and we had to move back to Wisconsin, and uh, so finally uh, the guy from uh, the uh, employment agency mm -hmm. calls me up and he says, "Okay," he says, "Now look, uh, have you seen Star Wars yet?" And I said, uh, no, I haven't. And he says, well, go see it because Kenner just got the movie rights to this 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 movie. And so that night, my wife and I drove down to the next town and went in the movies. And by the time that they were in the cantina, yeah. I looked at that and I thought, oh, I got to work for these people. <laughs> that job is mine. I bet. Uh, Jim, maybe you know more. Was there a bit of a hiring spree kind of as a result of Star Wars once it really got popular? And probably, yeah. Well, we had, we probably did, especially people like sculptors. Yeah. <clears throat> because uh, a lot of the product that Kenner did, like Easy Bake Oven and Spirograph, required engineering and some designers. But we had, and we have done Baby Alive. That's why you had to do it, baby. Uh, baby head. <laughs> but uh, 
so yeah, we probably in areas where where we didn't we weren't lean. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they would have gone for for to staff up, and I think they kept staffing up as things went along, especially in that area because it took a whole different uh, set of skills that uh, we didn't have a lot of. I mean, it's- I think I think they were paying a lot of money to to people who had been ex ex Mattel sculptors uh-huh. to you know do it out in California and then send it back. And it's cheaper to sorry, it's cheaper to have them in house than do freelance. Yeah, it yeah, was so definitely I, I've cheaper. Seen some of the, no. the paperwork from outside sculptors. But they weren't any more talented. <laughs> they may have been less. They would have been uh, on step, but we did get healthcare and stuff. So yeah, yeah so but we did. Yeah, they would have. Uh, they uh, hired some really fantastic sculptors, and uh, every. The, I have to say, uh, Stephen has been to. This is his second event with seeing fans, um, and I'm I'm really pleased because I kind of introduced him. He and uh, Nancy Flanagan were. In, in uh, uh, Nashville, and I was really pleased to see what kind of reaction fans and collectors had meeting sculptors, because they did a lot of hands-on stuff, and it it was really gratifying for me to see them, you know, bringing Dago by playsets to Steve to have him sign them and stuff, because. Because it's one that it's like the background actors. Uh, people don't see them, but when they come to events, people want to meet them. You know, all the all the character actors that were in the backgrounds, the guys in the cantina show up at events, and people are like, you know, there are people that do squid faces, their their thing, or Akbar or the calamari. So the, he's kind of the calamari of sculpting. Maybe. <laughs> Actually, I have two other arms under here. <laughs> so I'd like to go back, uh, Jim. That day when you visited ILM and you mentioned it in your presentation there, I think for like everybody here, that is, you know, would be the most amazing thing ever. And it's really cool that you were, as you say, kind of like a sci-fi geek and and actually, I guess, appreciated that uh, that day. I know that at that time, um, like they were kind of behind on a lot of the visual effects and, and stuff like that. Was it John Dykstra that you met there? Or? Yeah, just in passing. Okay. That scene at the beginning of Toys, the Toys That Made Us, yeah. that actually happened. That's uh, Charlie Lippincott was the marketing guy, <clears throat> and I'm and the guy that plays me. That that's a guy acting in New York they we did go by and he mm-hmm. said this is Jim Swearingen he's going to that 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 actually happened so it was very cool to walk down the hall and see the X-wing models and the death star and the uh, tie fighters so i got to see all that stuff and meet a few of those people as we got in and introduced to a, many more people than i can remember but yeah that was yeah it was I mean, I was starstruck. Well, and you showed those uh, black and white pictures that you had along with the script. Had you seen any ships or vehicles before that point? We had a snapshot of an Mm X-Wing 
and a TIE fighter, and I think a Millennium Falcon. The ones that were on the early packaging, there may be some back there. Yeah. There's a shot of an X-Wing and a TIE fighter. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we had a snapshot of kind of an odd angle of the Millennium Falcon, but that's what we started with. And that's why I was out there, is yeah. to get more information, because they were not prepared uh, for what I what we needed. Yeah. Like, I, you know, ideally, I would have gone in and said, I need a top and a bottom and a side and, a, you know, all the views. But all they had were like action shots. Yeah. So uh, I got to glean all that and bring it back. And the details like those uh, on my table, there's some uh, reproductions of uh, Joe Johnston's sketches. Yes. Yeah. It would give us an idea of what things were, what looked like. And to go and. Again, I wasn't taking pictures in the studio, but uh, to see the real X-Wings and stuff was yeah. way cool. It was like, whoa, you know, all that. You know, I think the first Death Star, one of the Death Stars ended up, Gus Lopez is a big collector. I think he has yeah. a Death Star that was in the trash somewhere. Yeah, I think he's got it uh, in his entryway, I think, or something. So it's, he'd found, you know, found it by chance. So, yeah, it's really, yeah. it really was cool to be in there and, you know, to go to the cantina when I went with the marketing guys, there's oh, wow. people, you know, dressed up in costumes having lunch. It's like it <laughs> takes it out of out of reality. So. Yeah, I guess it's kind of weird for us to think of a time where you wouldn't know what an X-Wing or a TIE fighter looked like, right? From reading yeah. the script or, or why we're so used to them now, obviously. But, uh, yeah, you wouldn't know until you got to actually see something physical what it was really like. They were, I mean, they were working on special effects right up to yeah. that May 1st, practically. Yeah. Was it, was, were people rushing around and like just very... Well, I didn't see any of them. They were, oh, okay. I'm sure there were people slaving over editing machines, which again, it was all film. You know, yes. they're cutting and pasting the thing together. And it's not, you know, they can't just manipulate it with a keyboard. They're like... You know, they had chopped the thing and stick it together. And if you've ever done film, it's it's a whole different process now than then. So yeah. Um, so Bernie Loomis, you mentioned him. He was was he CEO at the time of president president of uh, of Kenner. Um, so like that was a pretty big risk he took. Eh? Was he known to be the risk taker? Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. he did. Uh, he was. He did uh, Baby Alive, the doll that eats and poops, which is a big, that's a pretty big step, you know. So yeah. He, uh, we we make presentation. We would make presentations periodically. That we were owned by General Mills, the cereal company, and we would periodically present to them different ideas. And at the same time that we he, they presented Baby Alive, <clears throat> they did uh, Mrs. Jones which was the doll that got pregnant. And the story is that the executives at General Mills said you can have one, but not both. So they picked the right one, did baby alive. They, they picked poop and pee? Over. <laughs> yeah. But the, yeah, that's a big risk. I mean, a big risk. Yeah. And Star Wars was a risk because they didn't know for sure. I mean, they, when you see interviews with the actors, there are quite a few actors that go, you know, we we didn't know. It seemed kind of corny to us. And, yeah. And they had, 
now, and that's one of the things uh, they the sculptors didn't were kind of not were charged with not making the figures look too much like the people in the movie because there was a concern by the people in the movie that if it bombed they didn't want to have somebody coming up to them with their their doll and saying hey do you remember this so they they did they took some effort to make them look kind of like the character but not like the actor oh that's interesting yeah, yeah. Um, and when you guys decided to go three and three quarter inches, like, did you realize how that could, would affect the toy industry basically for the next couple of decades, or it was just a decision that had to be made? Well, uh, it was, we did the figure small because <clears throat> at least I pitched it as the heroes of the movie were the X-Wing and TIE fighter, mm. not the, not the, all the dolls or the you know, figurines or whatever they used yeah. to call them. But, um, but we wanted, I wanted to be able to do the dogfight. Yeah. Just go looking back at Roy Rogers stagecoach. I wanted to be able to take the action I saw in the movie and mm-hmm. put it in the hands of the kids. Cause that's how I would have played with it. So we needed small figures, but the three and three quarter inch scale was kind of nebulous at the point at that point in time. Yeah. I, I guess there weren't a lot of vehicles for other, other toys like for uh, well, I guess GI Joe and stuff had stuff for the 12 inch toys, but yeah, but making the X wing big enough to f- and huge, yeah, yeah, because it really ended up changing uh, everything for the next next few lines. Like everyone was doing that that scale, right? Yeah, uh, Battlestar Galactica was done at you know the figures are all really tiny because yeah. they were doing the same thing. They didn't really care about the characters. They wanted the they wanted the ships mm. oh that's interesting so and it made it it was especially challenging for the sculptors to do what they could at that scale yeah because the doll heads yeah. this big and you do these figures they were yeah I guess, versus a 12 inch doll yeah he should, uh, steve should talk to it it's much more complicated than you realize how to you just don't sculpt a figure there's a whole lot that goes into the different materials and the well, yeah, I'd love to hear about that. Like just your process, Stephen, when you're sculpting, let's say, let's talk about a figure and just like what are the steps that that you go through on that? Originally, um, basically, there was a, a process of cannibalization that took place as as the movies progressed and as, as the line progressed so that um, – a lot of the original figures don't exist anymore. They got turned into something else. Uh, you know, the walrus head got turned into you know some somebody from the the, the Empire Strikes Back. Um, I, I was I was telling somebody earlier that uh, anybody tries to t- sell you the original wax of the three and three quarter inch uh, C3PO, uh, they're selling you a swampland in Florida because I remember taking that that C-3PO and turning it into the, uh, the uh, sand crawler droid, you know, that for, you know, like, I think it's like 1.5 seconds, you know, when, yeah. they, when they get dumped into that thing, you know, it turns and goes, <laughs> and I remember playing that over and over and over on the video, you know, just, yeah. uh, tr- you know, try to uh, pick up the characteristics of the, of the head. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but typically, uh, originally, uh, a figure would be uh, uh, cast from a generic figure or a mold from a previous uh, figure okay. in, in the toy wax. And then we would uh, you simply start cutting or adding on uh, wax with the uh, like the waxing pen. Yep. So that it, it was kind of a combination of, of uh, modeling and carving. Uh, you add material and then you'd carve it down and then you'd, you know, using rifflers, which are, you know, just very small files uh, and, uh, you know, uh, loop tools to polish. And, and uh, John Gardner, the, the, the fellow that hired me who ran the department uh, at that time, he would he would use uh, the front of you know, the face of a, a small, very tiny piece of of uh, 400 grit, you know, silicon carbide paper. And then he'd flip it over and he'd use the back to polish it. And then finally, he'd finally polish it with a piece of toilet paper. Uh, you know, so it, it almost turned into a Zen, uh, a Zen activity after a while, you know. You get it down to that point and then there's, there's a little pinhole and you gotta fill it. So then you gotta fill it with this waxer and then you got a blob of wax and you got to start over again you know uh eventually what they what they started doing by like especially by the uh, the third movie um i guess because the actors felt uh, it was safe enough um we had to start getting them to look like the characters yeah the you see the return of the jedi line is much more detailed in the faces yeah, yeah. Uh, of both the alien and human creatures oh yeah and Princess Leia was a killer. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one figure, I think it was from the third movie, that they went through uh, just about every sculptor in the staff. Oh, really? And I guess Carrie didn't like any of them. <laughs> or her, her agent or whatever. Yeah. And uh, so finally, uh, they just gave up and sent uh, sent the, the, the figure with the head out to uh, Joyce Christopher. And there were two Joyces in California, Joyce Christopher and Joyce Clark, mm-hmm. who had done work for uh, for uh, Mattel for years. They were legendary, and they were the go-to people. You know, you wanted to. They did Barbies, yeah. you know, and all that. And and if 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 you wanted it to be pretty and pristine, mm-hmm. you know, and and all that, it, it went out to the Joyces. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, and. Uh, so then I could, you know, if I couldn't do uh, Princess Leia, then I go back to ugly stuff, <laughs> yeah. which, which was my forte. I, yeah. I did warts and wrinkles and scales and stuff like that. Really, you know, I, I like doing that a lot. Well, as a sculptor, would you be responsible for any accessories and weapons too, or was that? Uh, well, it depended on the on the accessory. Yeah. Um, uh, guns and, and uh, things like that yeah. were usually done in, uh, by the uh, the people in the uh, uh, in the pattern shop, okay. which was another group of really skilled people. Has anybody seen? You must have seen pictures of the original the original pattern that they did for the Millennium Falcon. I mean, is that the is that the wood one? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen pictures. I mean, I, I you know, I, I came from a wood carving background, wood sculpture. And I went down there and, you know, first time I went down to the wood shop and the Millennium Falcon pattern was you know, kind of sitting there leaning against the wall. Mm-hmm. I almost wept. 
yeah. uh, uh, the land, which is, you know, like the, the Millennium Falcon was, was basically, it parted on a flat plane. So you had the top and you had the bottom. And um, for the land on that pattern that they, they built the, the, the pattern on, they had two pieces of like two and a half inch thick slabs of Honduras mahogany that they had milled down to dead flat. And then they built the, the Millennium Falcon out of cherry, you know, like grade eight cherry. Yeah. I mean, and then the, all the, you know, the, the uh, ribs and the rivets and everything were done in, in styrene. So it was white, you know, it's yeah. just, it's an amazing piece. And so Jim, that's where, is that kind of the department where your work would go from from like if you're doing the preliminary and conceptual designs uh, and you said and then it goes to production, it's kind of their problem. Like what's that step after you? That, that step, that was actually a step after the design engineers that okay. do the production design. Then the then it went to the tooling and pattern making people. And that Millennium Falcon pattern is two up. So you know what the, so done two up it's, and it's really the 77 technology because it was done two up, it went to the Orient and then it was cut. They use a panograph to panograph it down to full size in the steel with shrink and stuff added in it. But yeah, that pattern, all the patterns, the X-Wing TIE Fighter and the Millennium Falcon were all done two up. So there were all these beautiful sculptures. Yeah. And the, the yeah, the, the fellows that did that work are, you know, as talented as the sculpt, almost as talented as the sculpt. Yeah, they were talented. <laughs> they were good. They were, they were amazing. Uh, yeah. There's a few of them still around, I think. So, uh, but they built some amazing patterns and they did it for a lot of toys that uh, some of them, the X-Wing, because of their scale, were done two up. Some of it was done one to one with shrink added. That's the other thing that the sculptors had to do was figure out shrink because the materials for the bodies and the heads were different. You had vinyl that shrank yeah. and had to go through processes and the, the uh, bodies uh, shrank at different rates. So you have to make sure that by the time you got them together that the figure looked like it was supposed to at the at the beginning of the process. There, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I'm diverting, but. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> the big head, small head Han Solo. Yeah. Probably, my conjecture is <clears throat> that we hired a new manufacturer in the Orient and they, I think what they might've done is taken an existing head mm -hmm. and made a mold and then from a, from production, not from a wax, not from a one with shrink, and that they they figure. may have panographed it up or down or something, mm -hmm. so that the heads were not uh, they were the wrong scale. Mm -hmm. They didn't come back and say, "Hey, we need a new yeah. hard copy. Oh, okay. We need we're going to do it ourselves." And they yeah. that's why you ended up with big heads, little heads, yeah. because they probably in the process didn't want to go all the way back and say, hey, we need a hard copy or whatever from our stuff. So, yeah, the curious things would happen sometimes yeah. once it, it got to the tooling. 
the most embarrassing figure that I remember working on was the uh, Cloud City uh, Lando. Yeah. Uh, because uh, I remember sculpting it, and uh, um, when it came back as a product, he's got a very kind of a the head is compressed you know yeah. there's not enough there's not enough back of the head okay yeah. and i think what happened was the you know the the two faces of the of the mold yeah uh simply got planed down too much so that uh you know you kind of look like zippy the pinhead <laughs> you know but well that's interesting to talk about because uh, you know us collectors are all about variants and paint variants or, you know, the tiniest difference in figures. Um, so Lando, for instance, that Lando, there is smiling Lando that actually has the mouth paint and then just, I don't know, happy, but not too happy Lando, <laughs> yeah. uh, without the smile. Did you originally design it with the mouth paint or do you know why some have and some don't? No. I don't. Maybe Jim does. No. Well, I know, Jim, you've been asked before about uh, things like uh, Farm Boy Luke and different hair colors or different uh, different paint apps. And I think uh, collectors always theorize these like weird reasons why they did it. But uh, from an insider, what's your view on on why there are all these variations? Yeah, I, 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 I understood that I created a controversy when I was at ICC and made a presentation. Somebody asked me why, <clears throat> why the farm boy had brown hair sometimes and yellow hair. So, and I said, well, uh, we, uh, we had a manufacturer that made a mistake. And, and people were like, it's a mistake? <laughs> what you call... A variant is usually a mistake, especially in the early figures, because we were, I mean, we we had to ramp up pretty quickly, and we had manufacturers that we could rely on. We knew them, so they were the first ones, and then you need more figures and more figures, and the, and the, we were using people that we hadn't used before, and usually it would be, you'd have a paint spec, you know, that, that we there'd be a drawing and there'd be arrows pointing to different things saying what color they were supposed to be. And somebody, you know, it could have been they switched pages from Luke to somebody else. Or yeah. something. But usually it's just a mistake. And the, at that time, we have 5,000 brown-haired Luke Skywalkers or orange-haired Sky, Skywalkers. Yeah. And do you want us to dump them? Or do you want them to be shipped? And the usual answer at that point was ship the things we need. I don't care what color his hair is, yeah. unless it's green or something. That we're we need them on the shelf, and that's why you know, that's why collectors get their variants because they yeah. we ship those few. It wouldn't be very many because we had lots of QC people, but yeah. one slipped by and it was like, well, because they were crump, they were pumping out figures by the thousands every day. So it was like, we need, because you see pictures of cartons sitting on the floor and they're being emptied by, they're not being put on the pegs anymore. They're just like, that's why they're people, to get, now people have unpunched cards. <laughs> yeah. It's because they never got on the peg in uh, Toys R Us or somewhere. So just by chance, there's another variant. Yeah, and just keep selling it. I think like overall the QC from Kenner seems 
to have been pretty rigid. Like besides those paint variations, it's pretty rare that you find, uh, you know, manufacturing error. Um, of sometimes you get some short pours or start stuff like that, but yeah. overall, really good quality on the stuff. Yeah, they had, they had people in, you know, each manufacturer had their QC, and then we had people in Hong Kong, you know, doing a lot of work, a lot of footwork and stuff, yeah. getting from place to place. But, had Kenner been manufacturing a lot in Asia up to that point, or was this, like, I know it wasn't probably their first rodeo in doing that, but was manufacturing starting to shift over? Well, action figures were a new thing. Like all the X-Wing TIE Fighters. Yeah were or a lot of them uh we shipped the tools to hong kong we did some manufacturing here and yeah. then it went to hong kong but um we did a lot of manufacturing of the first x-wings and tie fighters and millennium falcons in cincinnati mm-hmm. in norwood yeah. um so a lot of it was done in-house but the tools are cut in the ore and then brought here because oh, okay. it's cheaper to cut them over there yeah so the stuff went back and forth and we were talking to George the other day that yeah and well yeah because we'll talk about some of the stuff that was made in Toronto yeah because uh, we well. there I mean there's videos online if you there are yeah. lots of videos showing the manufacturing together and yeah stuff like that yeah lots of you know rows of people uh with screwdrivers hanging from the above and they're like yeah there was one this is completely aside we were manufacturing a thing called Gabigail, which was a a doll that had a recording mechanism. So you'd speak to her and then she'd talk back. And I don't know if I should tell it, but it's there's a there's a line of these dolls going down. And they're all face down on the on the conveyor belt, and then there's a somebody in the on the line is putting the the body on, and has a screwdriver, and there was a screw right in her butt. <laughs> And there was a video of it. And she's like, but she has all these little bodies going down. There's a screw right in her butt. (laughs) But the Millennium Falcon, she didn't have to worry about that. Doesn't have a butt. No butts. (laughs) Well, uh, speaking of butts, actually, uh, Stephen Walrus Man was one of your, uh, was that one of the first products you worked on? Uh, Well, that was the first figure. My the first project I had was the Dianoga. Okay, for the Death Star playset. Yeah, and I, I think, um, well, I, I I think I I mentioned to someone earlier that was uh, I think it was a test piece when John Gardner hired me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came down to um, uh, sign the contract and everything, um, he picked me up at the airport, mm-hmm. and we're driving back into Cincinnati from northern Kentucky, which is where the airport was. So it's, it's a distance. And he's just talking general, you know, and he's talking about Bill Lemon and, and, and how he does these figures mm-hmm. in, in cellulose acetate, uh, fully articulated and everything, you know. And he says, yeah, he does them in acetate, and he only charges $750 a figure. And I thought, wow, this is the promised land, you know. <laughs> And I think that he regretted telling me that. And so when I, I showed up for work the, the, the first day, yeah. uh, first day in October, um, he, uh, I got the Dianoga. Mm-hmm. And John had me working on the Dianoga for six weeks. 
Well, I, I was going to ask because in the movie, we really only see the eye and, and a wee bit of the neck. Yeah. How did you flesh out the rest of the body there? I didn't make it up. Tim Effler did. Okay. Uh, Tim Effler uh, just, uh, you know, he comes down there and, you know, hey, you know, this is the project. And he had the drawings and everything and the Dianoga and it had the, it had the tentacles and everything. And I thought, yeah. wow, how did he know that? <laughs> yeah. uh, and he didn't. He made it up, yeah. you know. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, I, I wore away as much texture on that Dianoga just by handling it and, and you know, like uh, sharpening some other area. Uh, but John was going to make sure that I, I took it seriously and that I knew that just because it was little did not mean it was insignificant. Yes. Yeah. And I, I thought I was going to lose my mind, you know, <laughs> six weeks. I mean, he had me, I had to make a nest, a nest. Uh, if you've got, if you've got a piece, uh, like a one piece sculpture and you know, it's going to have a top and bottom, uh, to the mold. Mm-hmm. It was going to be a parting line, and with the Dianoga, it had to, you know, walk. It had to. It couldn't stay in a in a plane. Yeah. And so the way you you did that, uh, the purest way, the the John Gardner way, was you made a nest out of uh, plaster. Um, and you would you would build this little pile of plaster up, and then before it set, you'd have the your wax and you'd have silicon uh, paste on it so that it didn't stick and you would set it down and before the plaster set you'd set it you'd, you'd set it the way you wanted it so that you know it was basically in, in the case of the dianoga the tentacles would both be the same distance up off the off the, the uh, bench top yeah you let set up and then you'd pull it off of that nest you'd shear down the sides of the nest so that there was no plaster sticking out Beyond the, you know, the, what the the shadow would be of the of the the wax model. Okay. And then you'd uh, take a, a square, a small engineering square, and a piece of uh, carbon paper, and you'd hold the carbon paper against the the wax, and you would run that square along, and that would give you your parting line. And if you had any bumps yeah. on the side that caught the carbon paper, you had to draft them. So that they wouldn't catch on the on the mold, and so he decided six weeks was a, a good time for me to you know learn to do that. That's a that's a lot of time on one little one little green guy. Walrus face was a dream after that. Uh, you know he, he didn't he didn't have pimples. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I connect it because he is also known as butt face to uh, a, a lot of collectors. Uh, <laughs> Well, let's let's Steve, let's move on to uh, Dagobah then the Dagobah playset. Oh and yeah. There's uh, up on the screen. This is actually one I had you autograph for me at the ICC. See, yeah. um, so you know this has become a little famous now for carving uh, the names in. And you had mentioned I think before similar to the Diadoga where you had six weeks that. Yeah. Part of the reason you did this is because you just had so long to work on, yeah. on the project. It's ironic in in light of, of what Jim was talking about with the, the tight deadlines and everything mm-hmm. that um, that would happen. But um, John Gardner was was uh, not to be hurried. Uh, he was meticulous 
And he, he was laid back. I mean, he was Dr. California all over. You know, he was just very easygoing yeah. and, and everything. But when it uh, came to working on the piece, um, uh, you did not, he didn't want his staff to be hurried. Okay, well, that's a good thing. He had, he had um, published a 12-week development time for that. And um, I had it uh, pretty well done, uh, but I knew that you know it was going to run out to the to the 12 weeks, and so um, w again with the wax, it was a it was a by our standards it was a fairly large piece. Yes, yeah. And so um, the more you handle it, the more your your fingerprints are just going to wear away detail that you've already got on the yeah. upper surfaces. So you just sit it there and you just move it around, you know, and you'd see something that you needed that needed to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And I just kept looking, you know, like at the leaves, and I thought, ah, you know, five more days, you know. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, that looks kind of like a G around that leaf, you know. So I, and if it's an E, you know, and you can help it along a little bit. And yeah. so I ended up doing a, yeah, there it is. There's, yeah. there's Getty's. Uh in the kind of doorway. Yes, and I and and um, I uh, you know and then I, I put my daughter's uh, name on the back of a lizard and the back of a snake. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's the lizard and it's I, Emily. Yeah, and I, I thought all of that went fairly well unnoticed. <laughs> um, and my daughter Emily grew up and went off to you know art school at the, in Detroit. Yeah. And uh, she had a boyfriend and went home with him one, one weekend, you know, and, and meet the folks and everything. And so they go out to, out to a bar, you know, with him and his high school friends and everything. And they're just sitting around um, the bar talking. And uh, somehow Emily just mentions the fact that, you know, she, her dad worked on all this stuff and everything. Yeah. And the one kid just says, oh, my God, <laughs> you're, you're the Emily. You know, it's like all of a sudden she was, you know, kind of famous. So I, I, and I was surprised. She came home and told me that. And I, I, I thought, wow, somebody really found that? Yeah. Yeah, because to the naked eye, it would be pretty hard to, to just yeah. find them. Yeah, it, well, it, it was, um, I, I also, uh, well, I put my wife's name in, in the leaves somewhere, too. But then uh, I, I, I really decided to, yeah, I really decided to push the limit. And uh, I, I snuck a uh, self-portrait in between a couple of the roots on the tree in the backside. Mm -hmm. And I thought that cleared. You know, I didn't think anybody noticed that. And uh, I was at a – every summer we would have a, a, a company picnic down at Old Coney, uh, which is, you know, like an amusement park down, yeah. down on the river in Cincinnati. And uh, – so I, I had to go to the men's room, and so I was walking back to the, the building that housed the men's room, and I ran, I, I, I met Paul Hawk, who who ran the, the model shop. Um, model shop? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and, you know, Paul was a, kind of a big, this big, hulking, imposing guy and everything. Yeah. I said, hey, Paul, how you doing? He says, hey, okay. He says, and then he turns around, he says, hey, you know what? He says, the other day, uh, the guy that's working on the cavity for that Dagobah, you know, swamp planet thing, because they always did preliminary, at that time they were doing preliminary 
uh, molds so that they could uh, cast uh, early, you know, prototypes. Okay. Um, down in the model shop. Yeah. And he says, you know, um, the guy's working on that cavity. He says he, he calls me over to his bench and he says, he says, look at that cavity. Look right there. He says, does that look like a face to you? And Hawk says, face hell. And it looks like the son of a bitch that sculpted it. <laughs> Hey, it's Chris again. That was amazing to hear those two guys in the same room. I really just want to take a moment to thank Ontario Star Wars Collectors Alliance members Toby Black, Mike Freeman, and Todd Thornhill for putting in the bulk of the work to make this event happen. If you want to get a heads up when all the panels become available and to hear about our upcoming events, please go and follow May the North Be With You on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Lines to see this month. We've gone for something a little bit strange, a little bit different, short as anything, hardly anything was made, but I think it's important because, you know, it's a very British industry, it's pottery. Kilncraft from Staffordshire Potters Limited. In 1950, Kill Street Potter's name was changed to Staffordshire Potters Limited. They became the largest producer of utilitarian white cups in three popular shapes, the Windsor, the Worcester Block Handle and the Osborne. During the 1960s and 1970s, the company concentrated on the production of mugs, kitchen and dinnerwares. The Kilncraft brand name was introduced in 1972 and introduced a new range of modern shapes, colours and surface decorations, such as the Bramble and Bacchus ranges. This range was so successful that the name and trademark was adopted as a corporate symbol for Staffordshire Potters Limited. In 1977, Staffordshire Potters Limited was producing over a million pieces a week and by 1985 were the largest manufacturers of mugs in the world. Can I, can I add an archaeological element yes, to this? please. Because I've, I've actually managed the excavation of late Saxon pottery kilns in Stafford. So these are uh, essentially what, uh, 11th century? So kind of late, just before Norman Norman Conquest, and that's Stafford Ware. Um, and then, you know, I said, it's what uh, Alfred was uh, giving to his troops as they were as they were marching north. And then, as you go forward a few hundred years, there is Staffordshire Ware, which is I, I'm, I'm totally sure the century. It's not my particular expertise, but kind of well, 17th century that kind of time. And you get these sort of nice highly glazed wares with um, sort of nice pictures of, of uh, birds and things on, a bit, maybe a bit later than that. So there's been pottery associated with uh, Stafford and Staffordshire for a very long time. And it wouldn't surprise me if, well, there's still certainly potteries there, um, if this is essentially the, the latest incarnation of all that. For our non-English uh, viewers, Staffordshire, Stoke, all those areas, they were... You know, that is the, so much pottery stuff. Obviously now... It, no, it's known sport, as the potteries. It, well, exactly. I mean, the football club's pottery, you know, Stoke, the potters and all that sort of stuff. So it's a, it's a big area, it's very historic in Britain. Um, all the pottery came from there, obviously. All the best pottery in the world came from there, obviously. Uh, but it is, yeah, it, it's... I, I was surprised, actually, when I saw it, because we were looking for a, a licensee, and I, I was going down the list, thinking, oh, yeah, they, they look a bit dull. But I never, I just didn't have any inclination that, that uh, a company like Staffordshire Pottery or that organisation would have got into it. You'd have thought it had been just handled by a, another brand who would have used them 
to make the stuff and then of course put their own branding on but uh, yeah i'm surprised anything actually came from there but obviously before we get onto this huge list of things pottery now in downstairs in the front of the house there is a couple of shelves and the where i throw my shoes off there is a, a the, i have a pottery item I, I have from a child it's not a star wars pottery item obviously but it's a hedgehog i should take a picture of it and and post it but it's a hedgehog from my childhood days made at made out of clay you know put in the oven i think it might be about the second version i made the nose too thin and it kind of fell off a few times but yeah i did love a bit of pottery action i have to say i was you know you know me bit of a creative person loved it as a kid but we didn't get enough time to make pottery bowls and stuff teachers only made you know got us to make something else i never used a pottery wheel i would have loved to but uh, it was like right make something out of clay we stick in the oven we'll bake it and it'll come out again and you can have it and that's as far as we got but so pottery stories let's just knock out richard out straight away no way Although he might be making bowls and stuff for the house, I don't know, probably not. Andy Preston, oh, I reckon he, oh, I reckon he might have made something out of clay. Probably something ridiculous, like a motorbike or something out of clay. Spoons, probably like me. Probably made a few bowls, maybe a couple of hedgehogs. Uh, and Jason, he's Scottish. Um, I think, I reckon you, I reckon pottery was big in Scotland. So I reckon you made some lovely things. So Preston, no, Richard, you didn't touch pottery, did you, when you were a kid? Um, well, you'd be wrong there, then, because <gasps> Happily I wrong. certainly remember in primary school, I made a pottery pig. We made it out of clay, and it went in the kiln, and stayed in the kiln for overnight, and I painted it the next day, and I think the pig still exists to this day. <gasps> it's amazing. I reckon we might find everyone's got a pottery thing from their kid, their child, because parents love a pottery item. Did you, pay, did you paint a pig? Yes, I did. did you, was it like a money box or just a pig? No, it was just a pig. And I'm sure that now resides in Malta, which is where my mum lives. I'm sure she's still got it. She's trying to get to get a picture before we release the podcast. Preston, you, like I said, you must have been doing all sorts of this. I've done about all sorts. I can remember a couple of projects. Uh, oh. I can remember making a a sun. God knows what it was for. I don't know what you'd have done with it. Perhaps it was a just sun? Decor- just decorative, yeah. So it was like... What a, you use for your garden? Yeah, it, it, I think it was just something to sort of stick on your window ledge or on your shelf. It was a, a sort of round circle with um, points coming out of it in all yeah. directions. Your garden, that will be. A smiley face in the middle and various different... Um, I, th- I, think we, I think the idea was that you sort of divided it into sections and then you'd sort of scratch or stipple or you, you create a different texture on each one and put some colour on and so on. So that, that was one project. And then the other one I remember doing, we had to make a bowl and being into my American football at the time, still like a bit of gridiron, but uh, I thought I was going to do a Super Bowl. So I made an oval bowl and I decorated it to look like a an American football stadium with the pitch in the middle and the tiered seating and so on. I was quite proud of that. I it, knew you'd go over the top, Andy. I just knew yeah. it. So that, gridiron, that, that's, a, that's a term that often used these days. So that came home with me, and that was used in our kitchen as a fruit bowl for a matter of a few weeks until it got dropped and smashed, and that was the end of the Super Bowl. Have you had an, an inquisition with the family to make sure that they didn't drop it on purpose? <laughs> no. Oh, my God, it's Dad's fruit bowl. We've got kids, we've got to get rid of it. It's garbage. Oh, we can't upset him. Well, no, look. no, this, 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 this is when I was a kid. I think I was in the oh. Super bowl. 
your mom. Oh, look, I know Andy, he thinks it's great, but it's rubbish. I know, I, Dad, have we got to get rid of this thing? Look, we just said a cat knocked it off the shelf. Yeah, just yeah. Said a cat. The cat always knocks things off shelves. Oh, we are sorry, Andy. You were poor. We loved it so much. Thank God that thing's gone. It was gas. <laughs> I'm sure you're right. I reckon that's it. I reckon that's exactly how it went down. Right, spoons, save me. Well, you were almost right with me, and I'm surprisingly similar to Richard on this one. So I absolutely love pottery. I always quite like my art, but never been that good at it. But we did, it was at secondary school, I think second year, so we did pottery for a term. And I think it was like the art, I was not wasn't very good, but the art I was best at. And I made four items that I remember, because all of them still exist. And much wow. like Richard, it wasn't a hedgehog that you said I'd made, it, but it was an elephant um that like a little cartoony style elephant that still lives on mum and dad's shelf in their house in wales also on that same shelf which i do really like but was an accident is my hippo pot and that started life as a fish so imagine a fish with a big open mouth and i put sort of two googly eyes on the side to make it like a like a fish but it was just rubbish <laughs> so i stood it on its side and realized it looked just like a hippo so i added four legs i think that's a bad fish yeah it was a, a bad it was a bad fish but it makes a good hippo and it's like so its back is like a little vase so you can and so my, that, that mum obviously like that because that's still on the shelf as well you need to get a picture of that fish hippo yeah i will i'll ask them to take a picture the two other items one one's with me here and i don't know why they go it's all right this it was um we had to make a leaf a pottery leaf and it's a big thing so and then those and again how times these times change so we all made leaf ashtrays uh so it lives on my windowsill a leaf ashtray for the kids yeah it's all exactly your dad smoked 50 a day so he might might as well make an ashtray (laughs) i mean at that time i think he probably still did and a bit earlier action man we had um parachute packs made out of benson and hedges packs and things <laughs> but yeah it's so this, this uh, ashtray and it, so it, it's got loads of shells and things kids have collected from the beach that lives in it now and that's all right I don't mind that so that lives here i think the last item is still with mum and dad i don't think it's here but like, this was a bit rubbish but it looks a little bit like modern art so the idea you know like you get the kids shape sorters you kind of you know they're plastic things you put a hexagon in or a square in and they drop to the bottom and get you know, like for preschool kids the idea was it was one one of those and it's this little tower but it's absolutely tiny <laughs> there's no there's no room to put anything through it so it's just a, a, like a you know it looks like a, a castle tower but with geometric shapes cut into the sides so it's a bit bit obscure but that still exists as well so well, yeah. these, we need pictures of all these items right Jason, you're not telling me a Scotsman does not love a bit of pottery. Um, I, I, I've kind of got some vague memories about making some pottery thing, but oh. nothing, nothing survived. I know, I know, I know it was available at our schools because there, are, there are pots and stuff made by my elder sisters. Oh. I can remember see, remember them being around. The only things I've, I've got that I made at school, I've got. Woodwork, I've got like a wooden crocodile that I made in, in there. And in navigation, I did this um, knot chart. So you kind of get all the all the different types of knot and then frame them on a card. And I've still got that, but no great memories of doing pottery. I did. Oh, I, I used to do a lot. Of, I did art up, up until about um, 
I don't know, just before O grade, and I was fairly good at that. I don't know if any of that stuff has survived or not, though. So. Right, let's get on with the actual items then, because it's short and sweet. Andy, these these are British, so you should have all these, yeah? I wish these are not easy to come by. Well, some of them are uh, easy to come by, but others are not. Now, I've got a little confession, Pete. I've stuck <sighs> some things in the show notes without actually knowing for sure that they <sighs> are Staffordshire Pottery Stroke Kilncraft. Well, we're just going to assume it until someone corrects us. No, I think we are. These are the Star Wars mugs. So Kilncraft definitely did a range of Jedi mugs, but the Star Wars mugs, there are two examples that I know of, and the only there's no maker's mark on the mug itself. On the bottom, it just says made in England. Who actually made them in England is anybody's guess, but uh, a good bet is that they do come from Staffordshire Pottery because they made all sorts of character mugs back in the 70s and 80s so uh, uh, yeah we'll we'll go with it shall we was anyone else making pottery with star wars stuff i can't think of i know we've seen you know cups and mugs and bowls but they're mostly plastic or made from some random process but was anyone else actually make ceramic mugs i've got a couple of bootleg ones that are you know obviously homemade yeah, we had that um, Chewbacca one. There's that Chewbacca one does the rounds. You know, the, was that a Sigma mug? I can't remember. It's a beautiful, like, you know, Chewbacca mug thing. I'm sure it was a company called Rump. Um, Rump? That sounds a, cool. A, a, an American company. Rump. And they did Chewy. Uh, they did... Uh, was it Vader? Um, they definitely did a Ben Kenobi one. I think it was three or four they did. But yeah, obviously kids were just were not into, uh, into ceramic mugs. No, I mean, the, the, the rump ones were really highly detailed, sculpted, yeah, yeah, beautiful things. But uh, no, these, these are common garden mugs, the sort of thing you've got in your kitchen cupboard. The two Star Wars ones that may or may not be Staffordshire Pottery Kilncraft, one's featuring C-3PO and R2-D2, and the other one is Han and Chewie. Whether there are any more, I don't know. I mean, you'd expect that there might be one with perhaps Vader and a Stormtrooper, or maybe Luke and Leia. Uh, if those are out there, do let us know. I'd love to hear. They're lovely, quirky 70s. The droids one has got, well, from the, from the handle, if we sort of go round the mug, uh, in, going right from the handle, you've got C-3PO who's sort of bending over and it almost looks as if they're in the Death Star control room. They're in front of a blue panel with lots of sort of red and yellow and white controls and dials and switches and things. And 3PO is bending over. It looks like he's adjusting a couple of dials. So 3PO's right, you've got the Star Wars logo. Not the one that we're all familiar with, but the, the early Star Wars logo that's on a lot of the British publications, the, the British stuff. So it's the one that's a, a sort of, oh, it, it tapers towards the top. So you've got the, the Star Wars sort of coming out towards you at the bottom. Same one that was on the Chantrell cinema poster. Yeah. And below that says, may the force be with you. And then to the right of the logo, you've got R2-D2 standing there. Um, and again, R2 has got one of his little arms extended and he's uh, operating some sort of switch or dial. Uh, in fact, if you look at the bit below him on this uh, on this computer wall, it almost looks like he's operating a washing machine. But I'm not quite sure that's the... <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> looks, sure he looks very... Case. Very awkward. I mean, I don't know quite sure what he's trying to do. He's, uh, it looks like he's operating a disco machine or something. I'm not really sure, but it's, it's very brightly done. It is very, very eye-catching, isn't it? Very appealing. The Han and Chewie one is basically sort of orangey brown and black and white, which I suppose is the colours of those characters. So again, going uh, in, going in, in the, the right-hand direction from the handle, you've got Chewie aiming his bowcaster at you. 
Uh, you've then got the Star Wars logo, and again, it's the same Star Wars logo, says May the Force be with you below that. And that is quite cleverly positioned within the detention block, uh, that sort of hexagonal tunnel. Is that um, the first and only bit of Star Wars with a detention block in, in a in a thing? I mean, have you ever seen the detention block used like that? It could be. Well, it's on some of the publicity images, isn't it? And lobby yeah, yeah, that's things, what I think. But on, a, on actual, an actual product. Yeah, exactly. That is a very, I mean, I to be fair, artists these people messing around with massive computers are you know, completely bizarre, but that is a very... I mean, because you'd have thought they yeah, maybe just answer the Falcon or something, but that's really, I mean, it's well designed. It looks great, you know. Um, Fits in very nicely with that logo, doesn't it? Because you've got the logo yeah, tapering, yeah, exactly. tapering away into the dis- distance in the same way as the corridor does. So, but The fact that it says 1977, I mean, they didn't have a ton of time to come up with that. And it's just, it looks, you know, some designers done a really good job there. And it's something really unique. Although <laughs> one of the picture you've got, the Chewbacca's yeah. drawn a bit strange. You've got to say his nose all over the place. Absolutely. And then, and then to the right of the Star Wars logo, you've got Han Solo again pointing, firing his blaster. The Han and Chewie images are quite clearly taken from the photo shoot that they did in the Death Star hangar in front of the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, yeah. Is it the same images that are on the card back for those yeah, two characters? So, I, I think so. it might be. Chewie looks like he's been reversed. They've been done so. Both podcasts are pointing the so other way. So they're facing the right way to each other. Yeah. So look yes, I, I, I think those might actually be the, the same images as the card backs, or, or at least very similar to them. So those are the two Star Wars mugs. Extremely hard to find. Very, very rarely come up. And you um, have these? Do you have these? Uh, no, no, no. I wish I, oh. I wish I did. A couple came up on eBay from the same seller. They, these these two mugs, in fact, that's where I took these photos from, came up on eBay two or three years ago. And I mean, as as everything goes, does on eBay, they were they were sort of sniped at the last minute. So you, you had no idea where they were going to finish up. I put bids in, didn't get near them. They were both well over £100. Be very keen to try and uh, pick one of those up or both of those up. Um, and to know whether there are any more in the same series. As I say, if anybody out there knows, do uh, get in touch. Now, the contrast with the Return of the Jedi ones, Andy, these, I'm going to call it now, hot garbage. Shall we say cheap and cheerful? No, hot garbage. <laughs> Absolute hot garbage. They are just dreadful. I mean, do you own these ones? I've got, the, I've got three. So uh, there's, it's a total set of six. Oh, three of them are very easy to find. Three of them are blooming impossible. Yeah, probably because it got binned because they were so rubbish. Well, it could could be, could be. I mean, these these, these mugs do have a habit of getting dropped and so on, don't they? For for a mug to survive forty years is doing pretty well, I would have yeah, thought. Yeah, let, let's start off with the one that's caught my eye because it's so bad. I mean, they're all bad, but this is bad. So there's a there's a really badly drawn picture of Darth Vader in line form only. And he's behind some Imperial Guards. And he's got an Imperial Guard, I think, on his nose. And it's, he it's, has. it's just awful. <laughs> it's very odd, isn't it? Who designed that? <laughs> I mean, Imperial Guards are okay. I mean, the artwork isn't... I mean, to just give people the imagination, it's a very white mug. Well, it is just not very white. It's just white. And on it is the Return of Jello logo, normal. But it's on the top of images, and there's a bit of colour, not used too many colours. On this particular one, there's like black and red and a bit of brown. But there's the line art in the background, is it looks completely unfinished. Um, you're not really sure whether it was an afterthought or something, or it was deliberate, but it just looks naff. And then they just position things over the top of it. But Darth Vader's there. It looks like a half-drawn picture with, an, I think it's an Imperial Guard on his nose. 
It 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 is a royal guard. Oh yeah. My God, it's awful. Is it not? Is it not Darth Vader himself on his nose? <laughs> he's he's definitely a different colour to the rest of them. <laughs> Just awful. How would you look at that and go, yeah, that's that. We're going to release that. That's great. Yeah, it's it, it's 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 pretty dreadful, isn't it? it is is there any chance, giving them the benefit of the doubt, it's been through the dishwasher a few times and and all the colours gone from because the no. others, some of the others are pretty worn, don't they? No, they also it, it's that style, isn't it? They've kind of tried to do a little bit of background to not take away from the characters, and it's all very bitty. And I don't think that's been through the dishwasher. I think that's just rubbish. Yeah, it it might be Vader himself actually on the nose, <laughs> but it, it, yeah, the the artwork is just dreadful. Yes, I mean, I mean, look at the Luke one in his blue outfit. I mean, he just looks like Harry Potter. I mean, well, let's put a bit of blue on there. What should we? Where should we put it? Well, give Luke a big wig and stick some blue on him. I mean, that is dreadful. Yeah, it's it's the scene in Jabba's palace where he's pointing his blaster at Jabba, and you have got Klaatu and a gamma ray guard menacing him uh, from behind. But uh, look at yeah, his it, nose. Yeah, he's got a I, fat nose. Oh dear, Andy, these are bad. Yeah, I think any of us could have done a better job than that. Yeah, it's just... I mean, this, I tell you what, the Stormtrooper looks beautiful on the Stormtrooper one next to a Jabba that looks like a bourbon biscuit or something. I, mean, <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else there. <laughs> looks know, like, I mean, Jabba looks like something that's fallen out of a cow's behind, I think. But the Stormtrooper is beautiful. Look at him. looks fantastic. But the Jabba, oh my word. What is that? That was like a was like Pizza the Hut more than Jabba. It's absolutely awful. Oh, my word. Now, I've seen the R2-D2 as well. They've kind of got the shape right. They've just drawn lots of blue on him. Like, oh, I'll just keep going with the blue. Fantastic. Although, to be fair, there is somewhere on the Return of Jello logo on some of these. So whether it's just they, just they just didn't print very well. Or maybe they had me doing the kiln and just kind of like uh, shove it in for a while. Well, could be, could be. Whoever did the line art hasn't done too bad a job, but... Uh... <laughs> Then it went over to the guy who was doing the colouring, um, uh, um, you know, blind Bob, and, <laughs> and there's a green jabber yeah, as well. Just oh, slap it oh. on. Green jabber's not too bad actually. It's just green. There is a green oh, jabber. The easiest yeah. way to describe them is if you imagine the the cup sitting in front of you. If you if if you're right-handed, uh, you'll have the the handle on the right-hand side ready to pick it up and have a drink. Um, and if you are right-handed and you've got the cup that way round, then you'll have the Return of the Jedi logo facing you. Looking at the mugs, the three easier ones to find, uh, you've got Wicket, R2-D2 and an Imperial Shuttle. You've got the one that you've just described with the big white Darth Vader head and the Royal Guards. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, and then you've got one of Lando uh, in Jabba's palace uh, with Leia on his right hand side wearing her Boosh outfit with the mask removed. And I think there's an Ewok on the left. Why, why there's an Ewok in Jabba's palace is beyond me. But <laughs> <laughs> Why not? So that, at this stage, Andy, why not? At this stage, why not? So that, that, those are the three easy ones. And I have got all three of those. The three that are slightly harder. Now, I've only been able to find colour photographs of two of these one is droids and ewoks again on the front side below the return of the jedi logo you've got a a, a, a rendering of r2d2 and is it wicket looks like wicket anyway an ewok in a hood and yeah. the other one you have got darth vader in that classic arms folded gangster pose uh, you've got the emperor to his left wearing a very fetching white robe interesting and a royal guard in the bright red robe to his right. So uh, those are the 
two that are that I've got the colour photos of. The other one, the only photo I've seen of it anywhere, is a very small photo in the Tomart's book. And that shows, again, on the front of this mug, uh, Lando in his um, skiff guard outfit with his helmet on, he's holding a force pike up. Standing next to him is Leia in her Endor um, outfit. Again, what those two are doing together, I don't know. And it looks as if it's Luke in his Jedi outfit just going around the side of the mug on the left. I've got a picture here, Andy, of yours, and you've got C-3PO with some baby Ewoks, as you do, and then the cannabis leaves. Yeah, well, that's that's the that's the other side. That's the reverse side of the one with R2 and Wicket on the front. What's he doing? Why, why is C-3PO getting jiggy with some cannabis leaves? Well, I think that, that explains a lot about returning the Jedi, doesn't it? <laughs> the baby Ewoks look very concerned about C-3PO's cannabis obsession suddenly they're looking at him very considerably look at their faces the little one on the right is like no way no way is golden boy getting drugged oh dear yeah, well, Listen. yeah they, they, they look half stoned anyway those baby walks don't they it looks startled and concerned about them i guess it must be we must have been very concerned about him making all those star wars noises could be could be and you've, you've already mentioned the green jabber now green jabber <laughs> is on the reverse of the darth vader mug really is a horrible green colour. It's, it's, I was going to say a bright green. It's not even a bright green. It's more of a sort of dirty, Ugh. bluey green. And that'll put you off your tea. Oh, it would, wouldn't it? Um, and it looks as if he's got Salacious sat on his tail, Bib Fortuna in behind him, Klaatu, Gamorian Guard. Uh, Gamorian Guard's wearing a lovely blue outfit. It's a lovely blue. Blue and orange. And he's the same colour green as Jabba. The Empress needs to be trying to you know, trying to knock off Salacious Crumb with his stick. Look at him, look. he's got his stick. He's trying to hit his foot. Get off there. I want to sit there. Yeah. What, a, the, what an interesting and bizarre composition on all these mugs. Very strange. They are. Strange choices of characters, strange choices of colours. Strange. Just strange. That is someone who had no idea what the films were about and just shut So here's some characters and shove them on. Yeah, well, like I say, it's Blind Bob in the graphic design department. Are there any humanoid characters? Apart from the Emperor, is there actually any humanoid characters? Oh, yeah, there are, of course. There's Lando Skiff, although he's in a helmet. Yeah, Luke and Leia and Han. And, yeah, they're, they're, they're all on oh, it's just different mugs. They are dreadful. I'm glad we covered them, but they're dreadful. And that's it. Thank God for that. Two Star Wars mugs that may or may not be Kilncraft. Six <laughs> Jedi mugs. Not aware of any store displays or advertising or packaging boxes or anything like that. As we always say, if anybody out there knows any better, do let us know. I'd love to hear. Right, Andy, that's fantastic. No one else cares. And we'll do another one next month. Right then, guys. Um, I don't know how this has happened, but we've got like 5,000 items in the show notes, but we've finished a lot earlier than normal. Um, I'm sure when this show's edited together, I'm sure that's a good five, six-hour show, but uh, recording time-wise, we've done really, really well tonight. Um, so let's head over to the feedback and goodbyes over on Star Wars from UK. Jez, I listened this week, lads. I especially like the countdown quiz. Great to hear you all again. It seemed like a long time. That must have been a really tough recording for you all, and especially for Jason. The thoughts of the entire community with you, Jason, mate. Take care. Hopefully see you with FF getting closer to the big 100. Um, I think that's a bit harsh, that, Jez, because 
you know, Jason's not quite near uh, the big 100, but yeah, I, I get your point. Um, but also, I had a lot of feedback on, um, you know, Jason's announcement last show, and I'm pretty sure Jason's got lots and lots of private messages and things that he's been sent. And, and I know Jason from talking to you, um, you've appreciated um, all the reach out that the community's done for you, and uh, you know, lots of people were um, thinking of you and had you in their thoughts. Over on Facebook, Jeff Johnson was driving home, started listening to the new episode today. I was gutted when I heard about Jason's wife. Words can't say enough how sorry I am for your loss. Um, Dave Reed asked, was sorry to have your news, Jason. Thoughts are with you. And Kevin Yates, was sorry to hear the news in this episode. So thanks very much, guys. And uh, Jason, I'm sure you can uh, chime in soon to, um, you know, just give your appreciation to all those who reached out to you. Yeah, I mean, it's been the, the, the response, especially on Facebook, was just... Um overwhelming there was just like every every post i made there were just hundreds of replies um from 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 all corners of the, the you know star wars community and cosplay friends and you know all the friends i've made over the years um but we're almost i'm trying to think how long it's been now seven weeks i think it's been um katie would have been 42 tomorrow so that's going to be a tough day. I mean, it has it has been since I've been back. I've been back at work a week and a half now. It's still really hard. You know, I, I do have my moments. I was um, I was at Westfield um, doing some shopping, and I walked past the the jewelry store where I buy her earrings and just started crying. I'm just going to help myself. And then I was going to the gym on Monday, and I got out the got out of work at lunchtime got my phone out and I was like why have I got my phone out it's because I'd always call her at lunchtime and just kind of see how she was and it was just like so yeah it's uh, still really difficult but um, I'm trying to build a new normal that's what everybody says you've got to build a new normal but I said we like my new my new normal as I come back to an empty house and you know maybe the cat will be there maybe the cat won't be there and it's uh, you know, so I've got the cat for company, but it's uh, hard times. But it's, it's nice getting out and seeing people. So it was like, you know, at the weekend when I went out and went to uh, London Film Comic Con, it was nice seeing kind of cosplay friends at that and Star Wars friends and stuff. So, yes. Anyway, thanks for all your support. Absolutely, Jason, mate. Um, so over on Instagram, Darth Raider 73 great episode, and at last, the Starfire Badges. I got my Akbar badge back in WH Smiths in the 1983. They had the display and the whole range. Came with batteries and a little rubber band on the pin that could use to break the connection in the circuit to stop it flashing. Always loved it, and as Andy says, you never see these available to buy. Laser brains regarding Starfire. Ah, so fire regarding Nero's. Need those on Nero's as soon as possible. Now, I don't know who's put this bit in, but the cult of Maidine, Fanthatrax, you nut as we approve. Um, where's that come from, lads? This was on Instagram. So this was the picture of uh, Jason and the fellow uh, Maidenites bowing down and worshipping the general. Ah, from the Echo. So they, these, these, are the, these are the comments underneath. 
Yes. Oh, so comments from Rebbeby's call. This is too good. Uh, Mike talking. Awesome. And Chewbacca ate my lunch. Lol, the expression on the onlook as kills me. Chewbacca would eat your lunch, though, wouldn't he? He's a greedy bugger. He'd definitely <laughs> yes, eat your lunch. absolutely would. But he wouldn't eat my lunch because I'm a vegetarian, but, you know, never mind. Right then, guys. Um, so, cracking episode this month. Um, it does seem like quite a long one. Um, next one is our big 100. So, as well as uh, Jez was alluding to, not only is Jason hurtling towards 100, but we are also hurtling towards 100. So, next month's show um, will be something special, I am sure, once we get my heads together and plot something out. Um, but, you know, we've been sketching things and it's Christmas and, you know, time for a good show, I think. If anybody wants to leave us any feedback, you can email us on swtvpodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out on social media, search The Vintage Rebellion on all of the social media platforms. Once again, a huge shout out to Chris Porteous for everything that he's done, not just over on the YouTube channel, but this month, obviously, he's been super busy in Canada, collecting interviews and reporting back on an amazing con over there. So I'm sure you guys will love the stuff that he puts together and puts out on, um, on YouTube when he gets to it great show um i think it's time to wrap it up now so it's goodbye from pete come on england it's goodbye from jason smith come on scotland in the next <laughs> it's goodbye from Andy Preston. cheers guys england 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 may the force be with you it's goodbye from andy smooth norton goodbye everyone and to change the theme be like lobot dance like no one is watching and it's a later guys from me and remember only you can decide with star wars toys this podcast is not endorsed by disney Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Teddy! <laughs>